It's 8 a.m. in New York, 1 p.m. in London, and 4 p.m. in Dubai. It's time to start the MetaShapers Web3 and AI Summit. It's a real honor to have 30 MetaShapers joining me in today's summit. It's going to be epic. Take notes extensively, audience. And formally, I want to welcome you to today's show. My name is Sharad Agarwal. I'm the Chief Metaverse Officer of CyberGear and also the founder of OnlyWebinars.com, the platform that we are using for today's summit. The best thing about Web3, you guys know, it's not the technology, it's not the applications, it's the people. I've been in the digital space for 27 plus years. And the best people I've met in my life have been in the last 18 months. And that's the reason I decided to start a Web3 community. And therefore, some 15 months back, MetaShapers was born. And today we are presenting to you the best leaders in the Web3 and in the AI space. Let me just put some context to Web3 in today's world, why it's important and why we all need to be Web3 savvy. It's the natural evolution of the internet, right? From Web1 to Web2 to Web3. So if somebody says Web3 is not going to succeed, they actually don't know what they are talking about. It's like saying the internet will not succeed. It's the logical iteration of the internet. It's the next phase of the internet. And what's important to note, which again, nobody is talking about, is the fact that at the back of Web3, there is a major power shift happening from big brands to what I call we the people. We the people will own our data, our content for the first time ever. Because in the past, the big boys in the social media business, the Facebooks and the rest of them, monetized big time, they became billionaires at our expense, at the expense of we the people. We created the content, we shared it, we liked it, we commented, and we made nothing, zero, zilch, nada, right? So now for the first time in this new creator economy, we have the chance to create, own, and monetize our data. So this is a big thing that's happening. And this is what I call the power shift. The second impact this is going to have in the future is the fact that big brands will have to listen to the consumers through the communities. And we will decide what we buy, what we wear, what we shop, etc. No more will it be that a Louis Vuitton or a Gucci decides to make a collection and we have to pick one of the above. That's gone on for too long in my opinion. Time has now come for us to design our own attire and for the big brands to manufacture according to our personalized requirements. And why do I say that? Because it's good for the planet. It's a sustainable model. Nobody thought of this before. Do you know that whatever is manufactured by the top 100 fashion brands, and this is something you can Google, 50% of inventory is unsold during the season. And you know what happens with that 
it is liquidated, or even worse, goes to landfills. Bad for the planet. So I think one of the pillars of Web3 is sustainability. And we'll be touching on some of these very important issues during the conference. And the reason we also decided to talk about AI is because you cannot live without AI. The Nike CEO famously said, we are not an athletic wear company anymore. We are a technology company. If Nike can say they are a technology company, then trust me, all of us have to learn AI very quickly. We have to reinvent ourselves. We have to be future ready. We have to be AI smart. We don't have an option. It's a no-brainer. It's a Hobson's choice. So I urge all of you, double up on reading up on generative AI. It's all plug and play. All the tools are there. My company, Cybergear, has already you know, produced a directory with more than 450 tools that can help you go to a business. You can brainstorm an idea for a business. You can create a board of people who matter. You can create a business plan. You can go to market. We have no excuses, but to make things happen. So this is the new creator economy. Welcome to this new world and uh, start creating your businesses. Everybody, in my opinion, can be an entrepreneur. You must have a hustle. You must have a gig. And I have quite a few. I don't want to talk about it now, but during the course of this summit, I will address some of the new things that I started doing uh, since Web3 became a reality. So, uh, so much. I think I've been allowed only three, four minutes. My time is up. It's my distinct honor now to introduce to you Susan Furness. Some of you already know her because we've been hosting a lot of webinars together. She's a very important part of the MetaShapers community. And she is indeed creating the voice and the vocabulary for the new creator economy. And that's a big thing what I just said. So forget all the PR that she used to do. Forget all the you know, brand upselling promotions she used to do. She is now the authoritative voice in the new creator economy. And she is here to help us uh, transition uh, through our summit from one speaker to another. We have lots in store she will share with you. We have amazing speakers. We have fireside chats. We have panel discussions and some other things which we will reveal to you as we go along. My time is up. I'm going to hand it over to Susan to take this forward. Welcome, Susan, to the show. You're on mute. Thank you, Sharad. You know, always such a little thing, that mute button, right? Um, so, yeah, thank you for that, Sharad, and thank you, all of you. So, uh, AI smart. I mean, how about this from, as you say, you know, somebody that's really enjoyed words and the creator economy all of my, my career, which um, goes back some 42 years. How about, you know, AI friendly? Just embrace AI as a member of your team. Now, we can talk about that a lot more later. Um, what I'd like to just say is that, Sharad, you are a pioneer. Uh, in fact, everyone in this room is a pioneer. But, you know, I first heard you speak about AI in 2017. So you were probably thinking about it, you know, 2016. And when I say talking about it, you had a strategy for it, Sharad. 
So thank you for having us here today as we're sort of well in the middle of that bridge from web two to web three and all of us in the room today. And let me just have a little look, you know, already over a hundred participants in the room, 101, thank you all. Uh, we've got nearly a thousand registered. And as Sharad was saying to you all, uh, the flow of today is, um, Oh gosh, presentations, 12 of them, uh, panels, two of them, uh, each of five people, so 10 panelists, a wonderful fireside chat, um, and indeed uh, the most amazing well-being meditative session just midway through. We've got four or five polls ready to get interactive. Um, and indeed, um, we've got our very own uh, in-house, um, or let's say resident meta artist, our wonderful Antonia Meza. He will be capturing everything that we say and see today in what I call hashtag visual poetry. And that word was um, given to me by a wonderful friend, Francis Amanda Briggs um, uh, from South Africa. And indeed, you know, that shows the global nature of everything, doesn't it? So we've got people from around the globe today, from everywhere today, both in the cast and in the audience, including, in fact, our second speaker, Dr. Jax Ludic, who is also from South Africa, the same as my friend and my uh, Francis. So um, a cast of 30, that includes five people working back of house. Please thank you to all of those. Um, and um, I just want to say that if you want to ask us questions, um, do this, please. Ask them in the Q&A and then keep the chat for your ideas, et cetera, just so that we can really sure that we grab your Q&As because we don't have traditional Q&A sessions through here. We're going to weave it these in for you when we can. At the end of each session, you'll get resources and links in the chat. So please have a look at that. And now I'm going to sort of just close there just to tell you that you will get at least a hundred takeaways. And these takeaways will be published in one of um, uh, only webinars and meta shapers and cyber gears manner. And that is a beautiful glossary of takeaways that will come in about a few days. So for now, I'm going to introduce our first speaker. Um, our first speaker, gosh, you know, is one of many um, with the with the wonderful PhD title uh, uh, doctor. And that's Dr. Christina Yang Zhang, who is in the room now. But, you know, like many of you in the room, audience and cast, uh, I mean, Dr. Christina is a, is a true uh, edge walker, a true pioneer, a bridge builder. Um, and a bit like you, Sherrod, um, but actually she beat you to it, Sherrod. Christina, I have down that you first started uh, really looking into um, the metaverse um, in your master's in 2006. I mean, what a long time ago is that? And, you know, your master's, like many of us on screen today, not me, unfortunately, is in philosophy. So, you know, everything that you're doing from your hat as, a, um, as an architect and actually construction engineering, civil engineering, media culture through to metaverse. Um, so I'm going to just let you get on and break ground, um, not in the construction world, but here in the webinar. Dr. Christina, please take us forward to 2040. Over to you. Thank you so much for this wonderful opportunities. And uh, you see my screen? Yes. 
Wonderful, let me try. We can, yeah. Can you go full screen, Dr. Dr. Christina? Yeah, is it full screen now? It is indeed, thank you so much. Okay, let me just make a start. So thanks everyone for this wonderful opportunities. And uh, I want to talk to you through about Vision 2040, which is the world's first people-centered metaverse strategy. So let's start it with talking about uh, how people's perception about AI and um, the CEO of Alphabet has a very positive view and they think AI will have a more profound impact on humanity than fire, electricity, and the internet. But not everyone clearly agree with that. So you can see Elon Musk is very much concerned. So he said, mark my word, AI is more dangerous than nuclear, and we need to have more regulations in place to ensure it's human friendly. Of course, AI is um, nothing new. I mean, the whole history has been there for like maybe more than 60 years already. And uh, AI, even though it's like extremely hot now, it also experienced like two major like winters throughout history. So I think when we come to like uh, looking at how technologies impact on our society in general, it never really achieved its ultimate like goal in one you know, attempt, it will be like very incremental, it takes time. And uh, before last year, AI has already been having a major impact in all kinds of different sectors, you name it, like retail education, communication, gaming, mobile hospitality, entertainment, workplace, aerospace, healthcare, agriculture, you name it. It's nothing new and it already have quite wide applications in general. So there has been lots of debates on how we can really using AI for positive benefits for society at large. This um, piece of research is quite significant. It was produced and published in Nature Communication, one of the most prestigious academic journals of our time. And this article is looking at how AI has been utilized throughout its development history in the past 50 years to be applied to support the development of 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals. And what is quite significant is, you can see, based on rigid scientific like uh, research, about 80% of the UN SDG target can be supported through utilizing of AI, where about 30% we will experience some kind of issues. And that's mainly to do with ethical consideration and the bias, you know, as a result of the data we use, the training AI is not really representative and holistic enough. So overall, I think AI stands more benefits to help human societies to go further and far. But that was conducted in 2020 and this piece of research alone was cited more than a thousand times. So you know, it's quite significant. What's really got everyone overexcited this time is the ability of Jaranty AI was being able to utilize to really populate like text images and uh, all the other like different things. So you can see this chart is from Sequoia. And um, what they have been looking at is instead of only looking at text to text, text to image, to video, to films, etc., one thing start to populate is text to 3D objects. 
3D avatar, 3D environments, 3D digital assets, etc., which are becoming the most powerful building block of the metaverse or the Web3 ecosystem globally. As you can see, some of the most prominent players start to emerge in the space. They are using AI to using text pump into 3D avatars in high resolution, as uh, mentioned here uh, by Synthetic AI, a San Francisco-based live startup. And in the middle, you have seen the latest research from Tel Aviv University in Israel, where they looking at how to use generative AI to really accurately predict human motion. And this is really groundbreaking, because I mean, if you're looking at working in the space of um, um, predicting human behavior within the simulation environment, it's the most challenging one, but now they cracked it. And of course, NVIDIA is doing a lot of very powerful simulation to produce 3D objects in large quantities, hundreds and thousands simultaneously in very short time, much faster, cheaper. So I think instead of saying metaverse is overshadowed by generative AI, actually generative AI has become the most powerful building block to power the future of creation of immersive world at scale. And of course, lots of people will be uh, saying that uh, we are slightly worried um, if AI become a little bit too smart and maybe we'll have a situation where Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, will very famously say, I'll be back scenario in Terminator. But personally, I think maybe we should have a more balanced approach. Technology is not going to like, uh, you know, be one size is extremely negative. We need to worry but we need to definitely pay attention to the ESCO issue. But at the other side, it's not going to be a panacea to solve all our problems. So we need to have a very balanced, very pragmatic approach. So that should be the way forward. We're very delighted to work with the municipal governments of Tampere in Finland to create the world's first people-centered metaverse. I think it's really important we talk about it now because it's more than never that we should put the well-beings and happiness of our people in any kind of digital future we're developing. That's the key. And why England, as you know, um, it's uh, one of the world's happiest country. And um, they are really, you know, very strong when it comes to like innovation, very forward thinking. And uh, people is uh, really well positioned to do that. So everything we were doing there is looking at how technology can really empower people from diverse backgrounds to empower women to really, you know, allow us to be living in the future society where our well-being, quality of life will really prioritize rather than worry too much about job loss, automation, you know, et cetera. So one of the big part of the report is looking at how our world will look like in 2040. We talk a lot of like very bold, uh, like predictions, I want to share a few with you today. The first thing, as many of you have already seen, is the convergence of our physical and digital world in a way that never happens before. Lots of us will talk a lot about digital twin on different level, but from like uh, a convergence perspective, the most like fundamental digital twin is actually our own avatar. 
So there has been a lot of you know innovation in the space to looking at how to use the people's like uh, you know health and the lifestyle related data to actually input that into the digital twin for themselves to use it to really create every human stage of life that can live in and learning alongside us almost as our twin sister or twin brother. So we can utilize digital brain to have better you know, performance analysis of our you know, daily life and work. And also we can use it for health analytics. We can use it to enhance productivity and that can be linked very well with predictive medicine to encourage us to live in a very healthy lifestyle and also reduce carbon uh, emission. The second level is actually looking at how digital tools can be utilized in the built environment to reduce carbon footprints. EY produced a really interesting report in 2022, and their research found out that actually using digital tooling within the virtual environments can reduce carbon emission of commercial properties by 50%. That's another layer. And one layer up is actually looking at city level, how we can use immersive technologies to provide better traffic control and urban planning. And you can see here on the uh, left side is the Shanghai airport, one of the biggest airports in the world with a massive light traffic every single day. So they using digital twins to look at how to optimize the traffic flow, you know, especially with different airlines of the city. And on the right, you can see it's uh, in New Zealand, in Wellington, where the whole digital twin models is utilized to better optimize uh, parking slots, traffic control, and reduce pollution. So that was on the city level. If on the country level, what was really interesting here, as you can see, that uh, the Singapore has developed the world's first um, digital twin of a whole country, which is quite significant. So they are utilizing digital twin to create a more sustainable future. So the government is planning to put another two gigawatts of solar panels by 2030. So where to position those solar panels? They are actually looking at different, like, uh, you know, geopolitical situations. And also they analyze thousands of satellite images together with laser to scanning the whole countries in 3D environment, all putting them in one block of digital twin platform to optimize the location of where they can install the solar panels. And they are doing that at a rate of about 350,000 citizens every year from now to about 2013 with very significant impact. If we want to go even further, on the European level, they are actually creating the world's uh, most significant like digital twin of our planet called Destination Earth. And they're already putting 150 million euro in place to try to looking at how we can use digital twin technology to really uh, allow us to prevent extreme weather from taking place and reduce carbon emission. So as you can see, they are all coming together, the virtual world, and the digital world, and they are converging at many different levels, all the way from individual citizens to our built environment, whether it's work, life, study, or it's to the city level, to the country level, and to our whole planet to really make our world more environmentally friendly 
and inclusive. Another major finding we identified is the user interface will become more immersive. A lot of you will be you know, very excited about the latest announcement from Apple with Vision Pro. But another gentleman, uh, Elon Musk, some of you know, is extremely passionate about uh, the idea to have a brain-computer interface. And uh, he's eventually, in June this year, managed to get the US government to approve for his human uh, trial to start it. And he's now actually looking for like uh, volunteers. A lot of things he's actually doing is really trying to address the medical issues. So for example, when people are, they are paralyzed or they're suffering from Alzheimer's, Parkinson's disease, or they are blind, he was hoping using brain-computer interface to really allow those people to bring back their sight or gain mobility again. So that's more on the medical purpose. But I think his ultimate goal is really to address the issue as pointed out by Dr. Geoffrey Hinter, the godfather of AI. So this is what he said in a review uh, with MIT a few months ago. So he said, I can have 10,000 neural networks, each having their own experience, and any of them can share what they have learned instantly. That's a huge difference. It's as if there are 10,000 of us. And as soon as one person learns something, all of us know it. But currently, we can't do that. So that's why he's quite concerned. So you can see that uh, in the recent announcement from Elon Musk, he's basically saying that Neuralink could slash risk from AI. So they are trying to see how we can you know, use brain-computer interface to become a better interface to help human race to survive the singularity issue. But he's not even the first person to successfully done that. At the other side, as early as last year, another major brain-computer company is called Syndra in the United States. They received funding from both Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates to create the world's like, um, brain-computer in a non-invasive way. And uh, early this year, Tsinghua University in China, they have non-invasive brain computer, which you put into your inner ear with no surgery, but they can achieve the same kind of quality as invasive one. So I can imagine in the future, maybe brain computer interface can be the ultimate like uh, interface for our you know, immersive experience, just like my earring, you can just wear it. And uh, there is no concern as much as what we're talking about now, um, like ethics and uh, et cetera. So this is a quite funny photos where Jeff Bezos talked to Elon Musk in like a brain computer interface without the mobile phone. So that's quite likely to happen in the future. Another thing we talk about is actually computing power. We all know that in order to unleash the full potential of the metaverse or any kind of major simulation, we need at least another 1,000 times computing power than we ever, you know, can imagine. And that was, you know, uh, quoted by Intel senior leaders two years ago. But what can we find those computing power? Content. You might remember in 2019, Google made a major announcement where they say they have achieved content supremacy. So they develop a content computer, which is 158 million times faster. What that means is for a calculation, which used to need 10,000 years to complete, and now it's only four minutes. But what was even more exciting, that was four years ago. And recently, they have a new version of content technology, where this time, 
the computer can run 241 million times faster than the previous supercomputer. So it's just like how fast technology is moving is incredible. And there is the content digital twin developed by Bosch, one of the world like leading player in the you know manufacturing. And they are using this technology to connect 240 plants, 1,200 machines all together for optimization 24-7. And that increased their efficiency by a quarter. Imagine there are 88 billion annual turnover company, a quarter, you know, like improve efficiency. That's a lot of money. So you can see how technology is really driving at this moment. Of course, another thing we talk about is actually in the future, we will be feel comfortable living in a world in harmony with our fellow robot citizens. So that's going to have a major impact on how the human society will evolve. We develop like governance to help governments to navigate that. But there will be lots of issues to do with the governance regulations, especially how we deal with the intellectual property rights of like AI generated like creation. Currently, no country in the world allow AI to become an IP owner or creator, except in South Africa. So maybe that's something we need to look at in the future, how to define the rights of human and robot in the future. Another area a lot of us worry about is the automation related loss of jobs. But we pay a lot of attention on how the universal basic income will be put in place to allow us to have more freedom to pursue you know, noble pursuits rather than just work because we have to pay the bills. So it's going to have lots of interesting things coming up in the years to come. And maybe different countries, they will have different level of UBI and it will create a new you know, like a balance of immigration and emigration between countries. And of course, we talk a lot about women's you know, importance in society. I mean, bear in mind, we are still 300 years away from achieving gender equality, according to the latest figure from UN. So how can we empower women to play a more active role in the future of society so that they can make a balance between their work, life, family, and children will be critically important to the well-being of all humanity. Sustainability, as Sharon has mentioned, the latest, I would say, major improvement is really in nuclear fusion. And the US scientists have predicted that if we can scale this like technologies in the future, it can potentially you know, allow us to create electricity, which is carbon emission free for another 100,000 years. So that's going to completely change everything we're talking about today. This is a little map we created. And that's the work we are doing in the UN, in like International Science Council. So I think I really want to leave you with this very important message. We are in a time of great uncertainty, but we are also in a time of great opportunities. If you want to go fast, you can go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. So let's go together to really use technologies to put human at the center of any kind of digital future we are creating together. And thank you very much. Dr. Christina, I mean, it's our thanks to you. That, well, that was absolutely awesome. And no doubt that you gave us that little quote earlier in the week that 95% um, expect 
a positive effect from everything Web3, Metaverse and AI in a decade. And, um, you know, you also stress to us, don't you? Don't get left behind. And thank you for putting your contacts up there, but the Metaverse Institute in London is really doing groundbreaking work across the globe. Um, Dr. Dr. Christina, thank you very, very much. And it's a wonderful dovetail into you, uh, Dr. Jacques Ludic. Um, thank you so very, very much for coming on. And again, you know, just as a bit of a cheesy thank you, but for thank you for again studying philosophy, you know, in the very depths and breadths of philosophy, philosophy, just like Dr. Christina, because by understanding, as you said, Christina, you know, the importance of bringing the human into the space, into the creativity, into this opportunity that we all have um, with Web3 is just outstanding. And Jacques, I know a lot of your spotlight is on well-being and health wellness. And, you know, and I love that bit about team mental health. So Jacques, um, AI and humanity, um, can you lead us away and tell us how we can use this in a decentralized world? Over to you. Absolutely. Uh, I just would like to share my screen. Thanks, Susan. Indeed, you can. Um, Sharad, is yeah, uh, Jacques just, there for the screen sharing? Yes. Let me just have a quick look yeah, Jacques, there. Okay, okay thanks. thanks. Okay, can you see my screen? Yes. Okay, I'll fire away. Thanks, Christina. Thanks to Susan uh, and, and also uh, Sharad. It's fantastic to be here. I'll get, get away straight on. Um, so I'll be talking about AI and Web3, which is the next generation of the internet for a decentralized world in the smart technology era. A lot of my favorite words there, as also expressed um, in my book, Democratizing Artificial Intelligence to Benefit Everyone. The sub subtitle there is Shaping a Better Future in the Smart Technology Era. And that's very much uh, part of my massive transformative purpose as well. And some of the, even the businesses and things that I'm involved in. So quite excited about to talk about this. Um, and I, I normally start with this kind of slide because it's, it just helps contextualize things as well. So on the Y axis, we see business value unlocking. On the X axis, we see time. And we, we are really um, in the AI or the smart technology era that sits really on top of the internet era that generated the huge amount of data for us really at an exponential rate. Um, and it's basically provided, provided the foundation for the AI era. So with the compute, we've got the data that's been generated there, and it's opened the door uh, for the smart technology era. Um, and it's if you look at the, the smart technology era, it's not just AI. We know that blockchain, and we're going to talk about this in this particular talk, Web3 and AI, how they combine to, to be the next generation of the, the decentralized world and internet. Um, but there's a bunch of other technologies as well. There's blockchain, biotech, neurotech, nanotech, new energy, there's 3D printing, sensors, AI, robotics, drones. All of these kind of technologies fused together can create incredible applications. And what we see here is really linear to exponential growth trajectory as a result of these fusion of, of these kind of technologies. So the speed of, of technology change is exponential effectively. Now, this is another interesting way of looking at this as well. It's like a four-dimensional way. 
So when we look at the bottom here, we, we see uh, the smart technology era uh, from the perspective um, of industry. So industry 1.0 all the way to industry 4.0, um, starting off with steam and water power and mechanization and going all the way to computers and automation in industry 3.0 as part of the information revolution. And then going to industry 4.0, which is really about cyber and physical systems. But you can also look at this on a society level. So going all the way from society 1.0, hunting and gathering society, agriculture, and then industrial society to the information society. And now we label ourselves as a smart society. We kind of enter that kind of era, society 5.0. And then again, we talk today about web AI. So you can actually trace back 1.0 quite far back if you think about just being focused on read. But if you think about web 2.0, read, write, and web 3.0 is read, write, execute, or read, write, trust, or read, write, earn, all about the creator economy. And then you're on the tools level, you can also see um, kind of biological brute strength, animals, basic tools going from to wind, water, steam power, and then with computers having tools like cognition and memory, and then cybernetics is about the fusion of human and machine. So it's really, this all constitutes uh, effectively the smart technology era, and it is a new era. <clears throat> so what we're all hoping for is a really a smarter world. In my mind, I would like to say a wiser world, as well, because I think we would love to see humanity also becoming really wiser in terms of what we do. Uh, but in terms of a smarter world, it's all about real world AI, smarter apps, and really across cities, grids, homes, cars, devices, logistic, retail, construction, farming, healthcare. And if you just add the word smart to it, it could really be this is the kind of future that we're moving towards. Um, but we got to be careful. And in my book, I also talk about this uh, analogy um, or meme around the runaway train, uh, because we live in, we, as humans, we see things more, we experience time as linear, but we really sit in times where we will be more and more surprised by exponential changes. So we need to be first principles thinkers. We need to think on our feet, make the right choices, choices. And as I've mentioned, save our lives and get control of the situation and navigate things in the right direction uh, to shape that better future. So we need to take control. So we need kind of visionary leadership in terms of this. And we know that um, as a civilization, there's a lot of system thinkers that think about where we're going as a civilization. And we are on a problematic trajectory and things that we need to think about. We do struggle with sense-making and meaning-making. There's wealth gaps, job loss, there's catastrophic risks, there's discrimination, data abuse, bias, human agency, all of these kind of things. But we can do something about this. Um, and this is where we need visionary leadership, collective sense-making, wisdom. So I bring in the word wisdom because I think that's something that we need to really work on as a, as a civilization and humanity. We need to think about global collaboration and not fight uh, with, with all, sorts of, uh, all sorts of different issues that's not going to be important in, say, 500 years time or a thousand years time. So we need to think about humanity, our civilization, that we're moving in the right direction and that we unlock the tremendous potential that we have with AI and other smart, smart technologies. So the impact of AI on society, we know it's immense. Uh, I think with generative AI, it kind of announced itself to the world. Um, it definitely affects my productivity already. 
um, but it also affects the effort and time we take to complete daily tasks, uh, the way we search for information. Uh, we don't often always go to Google search. We do other things now. Um, understanding of complex problems, understanding of the brain, human intelligence. But clearly, it's also affecting privacy, transparency, ethics. And, and that also affects how we, what we expect from the world, from business, from public services. Um, so there's incredible potential to improve, enhance, reinvent, and also disrupt our lives. But we need to be smart about it. And from, a, from an emerging markets perspective, I think one of the big problems here uh, in terms of impact um, is, is digital literacy, digitization. Uh, we don't want to have this being a the largest separator because this couldn't be, be in fact the case. And it won't be just purely religions, vocations, and cultures. It might be that as well. So you need to think about it. So this particular slide is just kind of very in a high level, just summarizing some of the potential benefits of society uh, and social good, but also talk about the challenges. So on the, on the benefit side, we already talked about new efficiencies and enhancing capacities, um, optimizing, augmenting people's lives. But from an applications perspective, I think I'm pretty excited about the future of education, the future of healthcare, uh, because I think it will make an incredible impact there. It will personalize things as well. It will disrupt those uh, applications and industries uh, tremendously, which, which, uh, which, which is going to be great. The future of work, um, that will change, obviously. But we've got to be aware of the risks. I'm concerned about surveillance capitalism. And also a, a concern about state surveillance. Um, and then there, there are things like human agency. We don't want us as humans to, to lose control. So I would advocate. Uh, Dr. Jean. Thanks your audio. Uh, uh, are you there, Sharad? Yeah, I, I think uh, his uh, connection has frozen for a bit. Okay. So, um, um, let me let me chat away to you all, audience. Thank you so much. Um, um, because I think it, uh, is it possible to? Yeah, you Dr. Yeah. Jacques. Hi, Jacques. Yes. We lost you for about a minute. I or just oh, under really? a minute. Yeah. We did. Okay. Yeah, but you oh, were no, talking about humanity. Where did you lose me? From impact? From here? Can you see me now? Yeah. Good. Can I continue on this slide? Yes, please. Just after this. Okay, just after this. Okay, yeah. The next one, Jacques. Yeah, we were we were looking yeah. forward to mayhem, and you gave us mayhem by dropping. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so oh, much. Yeah. I was talking about mayhem, and I did talk about what we need is visionary leadership, collective sense making, wisdom, practical actions to ensure that humanity and our civilization is moving in the right direction. I think that's going to be super important. This is what we need. Uh, what I talked about here was just the impact of AI on society. Um, it's going to affect everything. It's going to affect our productivity, effort and time we take to complete daily tasks, um, the affect the way we search for information. It's already affecting the way I'm interacting, my, my productivity as well. Um, understanding of the brain, the human mind. I'm very interested in human intelligence and machine intelligence, and, 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 and it's going to help with that. Obviously, it's going to impact privacy, transparency, ethics. Uh, those kind of things are going to be very important. Um, but if we think about digitization and digital literacy, um, it, it can became the, become the largest separator. And obviously, that's a problem. Um, and what we need to make sure that that is not the case. We need to navigate in the right direction. 
So what I was talking about here was just the, the, the benefits for society and social good versus the risks, concerns, and challenges for society. Um, and what I'm highlighting here on the left-hand side is um, some of the benefits here, producing new efficiencies, enhancing human capacities, or, uh, optimizing augmenting people's lives. And I truly believe that we can do these kind of things with this smart technology. We just need to navigate this in the right direction. Um, I'm very optimistic about healthcare and education, um, more kind of personalized, ultra-personalized medicine um, and, and so forth. So I think those kind of things will be incredibly uh, important. Uh, and the future of work will be changed. I, do, I am concerned though, however, about surveillance capitalism, state surveillance, um, and specifically things like human agency, uh, loss of control. We don't want that. Um, so I would love to see personalized AI that's actually helping us uh, to be more, more robust and, not, and empower us as well. We've got to be careful with data abuse, um, with job loss, dependence locking, all those kind of things are super important. And, but there are solutions. We need, if we uh, are visionary, or if we are really navigating this in the right direction, the problems that we face as humanity is global in nature. Um, it, it is things like, obviously, nuclear power, um, those kind of things. We need to be very careful, not for energy generation, but in terms of, from a, um, a, a, say, a war perspective, global wars perspective, we need to be very smart about those kind of things as well. But we need uh, to improve our human collaboration across borders, stakeholders. Uh, if you think about lethal autonomous weapons, if you think about uh, viruses around uh, as well, those type of things, we need to collaborate uh, as well. So we need to develop policies to assure that the development of AI will be directed uh, at augmented humans uh, and the common good. And we need to shift the priorities of economic, political and education systems to empower uh, individuals. So we need to prioritize people. We need to look at value-based systems. And that's what I've been talking in my book as, as well about. I'm talking about a massive transformative purpose for humanity, where we um, optimize quality of life and we're thinking about our values because those are the things that are absolutely critical. Um, and then if we think about the man-machine intelligence continuum, we are on a journey from assisted, um, augmented to autonomous intelligence. Um, and we need to be smart about this as well and think about how if we create these kind of different types of intelligences, intelligent agents, how is it actually complementing our lives and really help us to shape that better future. So I think that's gonna be absolutely critical. Um, I do have this slide from Kaifu Lee that I've just adapted, uh, annotated a little bit, um, where you can actually position jobs of the future on, on, on this two dimensional place, instead of just a one dimensional space, we look at optimization all the way to creativity and strategy. And what we have here is um, on the left quadrant, bottom quadrant here, is where, we, where tasks can be optimized. Uh, we've got routine tasks, we don't need compassion. Um, you can have AI playing a heavy, uh, significant role there. But when you move to the right here, it's like AI and human plus AI because we're moving more to creativity and strategy, but it's still compassion, not so much needed. But when we move up to the top side here, we can see AI with the warm embrace of humans We've got autonomous, uh, augmented intelligence, assisted intelligence, and where compassion is needed. So we can define jobs. We can reward people for their positive contributions to society, civilization. 
Um, and if we move to the right here, uh, it could be a kind of a place where humans really play. Creativity, strategy, compassion, and we can add more dimensions as well. Um, so what is AI? I'll be very short here. It, it's really the cognitive process of machines, the ability to learn, recognize, analyze, and make decisions. There's another more definitions that also talks about achieving goals. And you think about generative AI, which is a subset of deep learning, machine learning, and AI. It's all about generating new, unique data or content that are similar to the data it was trained on. And there are many kind of definitions around this. Um, and, and maybe in the later sessions, one, one can talk about these kind of things as well. But if you think about AI and Web3, the next generation of the internet for a decentralized world, we know what the impact of AI, um, the reasoning, learning, the problem solving, um, things that it can do. But with Web3, it's really the new vision of the internet. And as Sherrod has mentioned, also it, it could create a more decentralized, secure and user-centric digital ecosystem. It could be built, it's built on the blockchain technology, and we can create trustless, transparent, and censorship-resistant applications and services. So it's really going from read-only static to read-write interactive, all the way to read-write trust and verifiable. That's what Web3 is about. Um, and clearly, there's going to be super gains. We know about the gains that, uh, that PwC talked about, specifically in terms of AI. We talked about $15.7 trillion dollars added to the global economy, um, which is 14% increase in global GDP. Initially, it's all about labor productivity, but eventually it will be more about GDP, uh, GDP gains uh, from consumption side impacts as well. So that's how they look at this. So if you think about now AI and Web3 and the fusion of these things, we, we're really talking about the revolutionizing the way we interact with the internet and with each other as well. So and AI can power the new apps and services that are more personalized, efficient, and secure, and Web3 can provide a more open and democratic platform for innovation. So, and, and I like this kind of saying that what we are really talking about, this new era of decentralized innovation, is creating a decentralized world where intelligence meets trust. And that's effectively what we have with the combination and the fusion of this. Um, and with this kind of Web3, we, we're looking at a kind of offering a read, write, own internet that is more equitable and, and secure for all users. So I'm quite excited about that. Um, the benefits are really tremendous in terms of personalized experiences where you can recommend products and services that are relevant to users' interests. We already see that, but it's going to be more put on steroids effectively in a Web3 kind of context. Um, we know about the security benefits, the efficiency benefits, um, and also democracy. So Web3 can provide a more open and democratic platform for innovation. And that excites me as well. Um, then there are challenges, and it's around the familiar ones, data privacy, um, the bias, uh, and the regulation. But we can fix those kind of things. We can use encryption and anonymization techniques to help protect data privacy. Um, we can use data from diverse ranges of sources uh, and using algorithms that are designed to be fair so we can address bias. And we can also regulate AI and Web3. We can protect users um, and make sure that we use it for good. So those are things that we can do. Um, and then from a roadmap perspective, developing AI processing, decentralized data, these incredible things that one can do uh, from this. We obviously need to think about efficiently analyze and process decentralized data. So this is where AI researchers and Web3 developers need to collaborate. 
We obviously need to think about uh, ethics, ensuring transparency, accountability, and privacy. And I'm very much for uh, promoting open source um, and then developing best practices uh, uh, around this. I think that's going to be super important. So to conclude, and I, I know we had a little bit of a breakup, but um, this is kind of a bit of a summary. It's, it's really what we're talking about here is the unlocking of unprecedented possibilities in driving global innovation. And, and also talking about promises of economic growth and promises of a more equitable and decentralized future for all. So that, that is the, the first part. I maybe just want to end with this. Um, in my book, I do talk about uh, a, a massive transformative purpose for humanity, where we evolve a dynamic, empathic, prosperous, thriving, and self-optimizing civilization that benefits everyone in sustainable ways and in harmony with nature. And what I've defined there is also um, very specific, there was a bunch of goals around these four aspects. Decentralized adaptive systems, it needs to be adaptive to benefit all. Democratize smart tech to benefit all. Optimize quality of life to benefit all. And then sustainable, livable planet and exploring the universe. So this is what that is about. And there are very specific goals that complement the United Nations uh, SDG, Sustainable Development Goals, in terms of helping to achieve this. Uh, as well. And I do talk about this lab, uh, quite a bit in the book. And here I'm just mapping how this corresponds to the United Nations SDGs and Sustainable Development Goals. So each of these four areas are really contributing to that. Um, and, and maybe finally, um, I'm quite passionate about uh, personalized AI that's trustworthy, explainable, private, decentralized, human-centric and user-controlled. And I think the era has arrived especially in the creator economy with Web3. So I'm very excited about this. And if there's people interested to, to talk about this kind of thing, please feel free to do so. And on this note, I'll end. Thank you, Susan. Well, thank you, Jacques. I mean, that was just outstanding. And that's not just me saying that. And we've got some wonderful comments um, from within the panel room as well, as well as within the audience. And there's also some three fabulous questions in the Q&A, Jacques. And um, we had dropped a poll and I was gonna do live Q&A with you, but I won't now because you just finished that so beautifully. Um, you know, effects, all of the effects, uh, the positive and the negative and the, and just the things that we can do to just make sure that this is a beneficial human centric future. So may I kindly ask you to go in the Q&A and uh, you've got John Freeman there, Antonio and Aaron who've given some great cues. You could answer yeah. them live. Bless Fantastic. you, uh, Jacques. And let's Thank drop you. your screen. Yes. And um, we're going to now go over to our third speaker of the day, but not before I just um, remind you all that um, there is going to be a recording, but I'm not telling you that because I want you to drop off and think, well, oh, okay, then I'll listen to the recording later. It's just that many of you have been asking, so I'm just letting you know that if you've registered and you're here, then you will do. And you'll also be getting another gift. You'll be getting our 100 takeaways. You've already seen from two speakers just how many takeaways they are, there are. And guess what? Your third speaker of the day, uh, Alison Alexander, is also not going to let you down on takeaways. Um, Alison, I mean, you know, like Jacques and Christina, but maybe, I don't know, uh, it's strange. I've never met you, but I know you. 
And, you know, why not? Because again, you're a trailblazer, you're, an, you're courageous, you're an educator, you're always present, you're always showing up. You've been named a visionary, a visionary woman of 2023. And, you know, you just have admitted your love affair with Web3 because it is ours to build, a bit like Jacques and Christina were saying to us. So as co-founder of Meta Campus, helping us indeed unlock human potential, can you bring the ethical, uh, inclusive, playful edge walker to the room? Alison Alexander, over to you. Alison, let's take you off mute, can we? I'll help you do that if you like. Just press your- Yeah, um, I can do that. I can do that. Sorry. <laughs> I love Web3, but I can't unmute myself. So- uh, <laughs> I did it at the beginning. Off you go. <laughs> okay. So uh, thank you so very much. And a massive GM to everyone who is here in the room. Um, and I imagine lots more people will join throughout the day. Um, as I kick off, because I know endings, we always run out of time. I want to start with an ending of saying- Thank you to Sharad for being the heartbeat of all of today's event. Thank you, Susan, for orchestrating and supporting all of us. For all of the speakers, those before and those after, who are giving their time of free, and to everyone who's shown up to listen. They are so important. So for me, a massive big GM to all of you. Um, and so... These sessions so far have been amazing, and I'm really hoping that I'm going to be able to build on what's come before. Um, um, and if you're here for the whole event, I think you're going to spot a thread that brings meta shapers together. It's our belief and passion that the tools of Web3 give us a chance to secure change. So at the end, check back to see if that's what you notice about the thread and the 100 takeaways that you're going to get. So think about this as my first takeaway. Whether you're a speaker or a listener today, we are all co-pilots in the Web3 journey of social change. And for me, the journey about social change is about securing a fair, accessible, inclusive and safe society, which is a massive issue. And people always say that to me. That's a rather large ask, Alison. So I'm going to narrow it down and I'm just going to focus on three Pacifics and they've been covered some already. We're going to look at gender, disability and ethnicity and that there are lots more areas, but we have limited time. So I'm going to dive into those. But first, some data to remind us all of the challenge. And sometimes as a woman in my 50s, I think we don't need to be reminded of this, but I think we do. It's important to keep thinking about the data. As women, we're half of the world's population, less 10, but less than 10% of global leaders are women, and only about a third of managerial roles are filled by women. Just those two bits say that we have a long way to go on gender equality. But there's over a billion people who are registered as having disability across the globe. A large percentage of them experience poverty. 80% live below the poverty line. Higher levels of unemployment in those with disabilities and non-disabilities due to bias and the lack of access to high quality education, housing and transport. The fundamentals of life, which I know everyone here in this webinar would be saying they are the fundamentals. 
So we've got a long way to go in reducing discrimination around disability. And if you're from an ethnic minority, you are much more likely to be disadvantaged in the recruitment process still, even with all the new ways that we manage. If you have a white sounding name, you are going to get more likely to get a callback than if you don't. In accessing an achievement in education, there is still a huge disparity and in persecution from the police and judicial system, you are likely to experience that at a much higher level. So again, a long way to go to secure equity across the races. And for me, as I said earlier, the data is crucial to demonstrate the point and demonstrate historically the point. But sometimes data can depersonalize the impact, especially if the reader or the listener is neither a woman, have a disability or to be a person of color. And for this reason, I like to, I'm always the one who shows up and talks about um, behind the stats, the human stories behind the stats. And in fact, for me, it's millions of human stories, stories that demonstrate in these three areas alone, gender, disability and ethnicity, we've not secured enough change. We need Web3 to permanently change the script. As we dive into using these shiny new tools that we're going to be talking about a lot today, AI, blockchain, metaverse, it's important to recognize that Web3 in itself is not a magic wand. Discrimination inequalities are already present in the Web3 ecosystem. And as Susan said, I love Web3 and thought Web3 was going to be the game changer. But what's clear to me is that it's we're the ones that make it the game changer. Because at the current time, if you look, women-led startups receive so much less funding from global VC funding. And there's no data on the representation of people with disabilities as founders, which in itself tells you the issue. And if you're a founder of colour, you make up a small proportion of VC funding, like as little as 1% in the US. So as I said, for me, the new tools of Web3, they won't automatically mean new attitudes or new equitable systems, even though I love that. The change comes from each of us consciously leveraging these new technologies, listening to what we heard so far, building on that, making sure we are taking action to create a more equitable world. Which brings me to the second takeaway, see the world through others' lenses. So let's do that. Let's look at a few practical examples of Web3 changing lives. And I always like practical examples because I've, I've had a many array of jobs and I always find that sometimes when you're a strategist, it's great to be shared or given information about the practical applications. It really helps inform a more inclusive macro level policy on all these new technologies. So let's start with that AI that we've heard about. One of the things I think we all have in common is communication. We live in a world that privileges a specific way of how we communicate with each other. But if you're a person who has dyslexia, you can find doors that are inadvertently closed to you. And this could be because you have lost confidence in your own ability to take up the higher level studies. So you exclude yourself. You don't feel able to express yourself in writing as you do in person. So you stop doing those activities. And you can't 
pass tests as quickly as others. So you discount yourself from certain jobs. Having dyslexia can significantly impact a person. And this is where I think AI can revolutionize it. Yes, AI doesn't take away our dyslexia, but AI can take away that shower of words and package them. It can be by co-producing content with AI, my language becomes more interact, um, my points more substantiated, and the flow of my thoughts move from that storm to a more coherent form for the listener and reader. In essence, I believe AI really allows me to present an articulate version of myself. But also, just as importantly, the more that we find tools and use tools to allow people to speak, the more we're likely to hear a more diverse range of voices. And when we hear a more diverse range of voices, we're more likely to create a fairer, more accessible and inclusive world. So from AI, let's jump to the blockchain. I live in a place in the UK where every day 125 souls, yes, 45,000 a year land on the beaches fleeing persecution and securing a new life. But when they arrive, they're held in camps or in hotels and they're told they can't work or move from that place. And because of the need to flee, they could neither bring their identification documents or some of them had to surrender them to the person assisting them to escape and they never gave them back. So imagine overnight you go from a person with a name, a history, a set of achievements, a place in society, to no longer having that identity. You're really stripped of it. You're no longer Amelia or Dave. You're a number, if that. So now imagine if those 45,000 people, if all of those, if they could store their identity on a blockchain. Don't you think it could be revolutionary? They could demonstrate who you are because blockchain technology ensures that their identity is assailable. It's immutable and it's under their control. Using the technology, we would allow millions of people to reclaim their personal narrative, their dignity and their autonomy, going from seen as no one to being recognized having the freedom to move around and to start to contribute and become community members. It's not just about technology, all of these words. This is technology that allows us to protect lives. So now we've imagined we've lost our identity. Let's just keep imagining. You find yourself, you're here in the UK, you're eager to establish a life, to work, support your family, and you've got a a profession. But because when you left, you didn't bring those qualifications. And when we're 30 or 40, we just don't keep them around as much. And traditional verification systems leave you stranded at the moment. There's no international entity to vouch for you. Even if you're a nurse, a lawyer, electrician, you're stuck in a bureaucratic limbo. You're qualified, but you're not verified. Now imagine again, everyone, as you know, I'm going to say, if everyone, and that means everyone, stored every qualification on the blockchain, you wouldn't have to wait for an external body to verify you. You can do it yourself. Evidence your skills, your knowledge, and your qualifications. 
So it's not merely a streamlining of administrative processes. This is about empowering individuals to take control of the destiny. And actually, if you allow someone to work, you allow them to be a part of society. You create more harmonious communities. And that's what we should be about. And that is it at its core, the transformational promise of the blockchain that made me love Web3. It was giving people back the power of their lives. And one group that needs that power and that protection more than others are those who are vulnerable to modern day slavery and human trafficking. This tool would have been extremely useful when I was the director of children's in the UK. We often found young girls or boys who were suspected of being trafficked for sex. But finding out who they really were was so difficult, especially it was in the interest of those trafficking them to hide it. So this, again, is why I so promote this. So from the blockchain to the metaverse, let's take a moment and imagine you're a talented individual with a physical disability, frustrated by previous bias and limitations of the workplace to enable you to work. Now imagine your next job interview, your business meeting is taking place in the metaverse, in an office designed for a universal accessibility. Here, your mobility challenges don't hold you back. You navigate and interact just like everyone else. The metaverse is not just about the means to review, review, remove all our ramps and our elevators. It's about creating an inclusive environment where your skills speak louder than any other part of you. Don't you think it will be liberating? And it applies to so many people. People who are judged for their gender, accent, color of skin, and the way they walk into a room. For me, the metaverse gives us a reset button. You can define how you want to be seen. It's an opportunity for us to redefine the landscape of inclusion. So this is another key takeaway. The metaverse is a tool that allows us to reset and secure greater inclusivity. But in the end, securing society change isn't just a passive action. It needs active, intentional and deep collaboration. But for that to happen, I think we all need to re-engage our childish playfulness and inquisitiveness so that we're less likely to fear the unknown. Instead, you embrace it and become the architects of this new world. So my next takeaway is don't fear the unknown. And I just want to conclude by really thanking everyone who's here for being here, for contributing and for listening. I believe everyone here is what I often like to call edgewalkers, which I was introduced to by Susan. I think it's those courageous people. I really see it like that. There's so many people who they 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 take risks, they pave new paths, they build bridges, they break new ground, and that's exactly what the meta shapes is about. And that's what we are going to hear about everybody today. We all are wanting to do things differently, and we're seeing the Web three tools to do that. But I don't underestimate the task ahead. It needs dialogue across everybody. So thank you for joining us on our journey, for standing at the edge of change and for daring to really take some leaps of us. And let me just remind everyone that when you're thinking of what this new technology is about, think about it about yourself, yes, but please take a moment and walk in the footsteps or through the lenses of other people. That will help you engage with this new technology differently. So a few points. 
And then thank you so much for joining. Bless you, uh, Alison, that's, that's absolutely wonderful. I mean, we've moved, you know, just in a very short time from uh, philosophy, from civil engineering to smart technology, to education. And in a minute, we're gonna go to Dr. Martha, who's actually, you know, got a foundation in law. I mean, Sherard, I can see you on screen. Did you, did you want to say something or are you leaving it to me? No, I'm just loving the presentations, back to you. <laughs> yeah, thank you so big. Uh, Alison, we, we definitely um, love you um, as we love all our Metashapers. And indeed, you know, it's love that we are bringing into uh, this new space, isn't it? Because it is ours to build. And uh, another uh, woman that has been noted as a woman of the future is indeed Dr. Martha Buchenfeld, and she's in the room with us. Yes, I agree, Alison, uh, a, a round of applause. And um, so Dr. Martha, um, I'm gonna, you know, time of course is one of those currencies that has a life of its own. So because of time, can I let you introduce yourself uh, much more, a, a bit more than me? Um, but I do want to say that anyone that has a verse named after them, because they know that that world is great, they, honestly, Martha, I mean, Martha-verse, please all of you go and have a look at Mar Martha-verse. So for now, Dr. Martha, um, beyond Web3, how can we create this world of abundance? Can you go on full screen, please, Dr. Martha? Yes, uh, thank you very much. Um, I'm so grateful to be here. And I'm even more grateful, Alison already showed how she was with me in the Martha-verse. Uh, so it's always difficult to introduce yourself uh, and speak about yourself. So thanks for all the nice flowers you have given to me. I'm a woman of the future and we have also a number of other women of the future here. You will meet them. Uh, you have seen Christina, you have seen uh, Stephanie, you will see Alison. But it's not so much about this award or title, it's more about what we think about. And I believe that all the people here today are part of a bigger movement, as we have seen from the first speakers. Uh, it's really amazing and probably overwhelming, I would say, even for me to see what we have pulled together. Um, today, I would love to take you on a journey with me, um, how Web3 can create this world of abundance. And we have one, one very big game which uh, and, and play, which you have seen before, what we all talk about is humanity and how we can create a better world for all of us. And how can Web3 help us? So let's start with what is all close to our heart. And when you go to the metaverse, it's the same. It's a reflection of myself. It's uh, it's a beach. It's uh, it's it's the ocean. It's nature. I absolutely love nature. I love to connect with nature. I love technology, but I think it's very important for us also to make this connection and uh, to see what technology can drive. So nature is really where it's all starting for us. And in this vein, it's not only about the nature itself, but it's a big well-being. So it's it's where it all began. So let's have a look at what the world is about. And we see, unfortunately, that we all face what we have also seen in the previous speaker talks. As the world evolves, we face really unprecedented challenges. And how can we survive these challenges? Let's have a look. 
more than half of global GDP is dependent on nature. Some maybe even know it. And um, I've been CFO in my previous roles. I have a big finance background. So obviously numbers always matters also to leaders. And I want to bring this to you to attention. It's US dollar 44 trillion is really what is at stake. So half of the GDP worldwide is nature. And what happens now, we are losing a lot of the insects and the value of those insects is at risk. It's 235 to 575 billion per annum. I think it's important we bear those numbers in mind as well when we're talking to leaders to understand what the impact is, apart from the well-being, which is very, very important to me. This beautiful whales and the stock of whales is alone one trillion, the value of whales. So my little niece recently did a run. And she was collecting from all the family uh, money for that run, but it wasn't really for the run because they had the project at school where they would do a sponsorship for whales. So I think it's also very important what we talked about before to have education very early. What is important in our life? How do we protect? And the other part is in the Antarctic. So the cruel uh, Antarctic cruel, which I didn't know before how they look like. Uh, so I created this picture to make this more visible, this beautiful animals we usually don't see because we don't live in that space, deliver carbon sequestration services of 15 trillion per annum. So the first part is really about nature. The second part, we, we really, what is very important for us is community and is people. Uh, so what happens to us now? Where are we now in, in terms of people? We have population trends again, 2050 points to merit of changes. So we have a huge population which will grow, but they're not all growing in, in a very, I would say, happy status and very um, a, a very good survival status. So there are a lot of underdeveloped countries still. It's around 9.7 billion already in 2050, so it goes fast. We also have a problem with skilled workers. It's very diverse where the skilled workers are. And it doesn't mean always that skilled workers are in very developed countries. Amazingly, as we know, we work with a lot of people in, in Brazil, in Japan, in the US, but it's a high diversity. So we all talk about global, but it's not really global. Global uh, is not working as long as we are not connecting uh, with each other. So all regions also have uh, fewer people of working age to support elderly people. So this old concept of uh, we can take our care of older generation doesn't really work anymore. We don't have that skill set of workers. And we have seen that also during COVID that there is a, a huge gap in terms of healthcare. There is a huge gap in terms of sharing data. There's a huge gap of very skilled workers to support us. We also unfortunately have widespread diseases. And one is mental health orders. Uh, we have today also a beautiful session with Oliver who will uh, show us how to help us with our mental health in a be light multi-sensory meditation. And at the same time, we have obesity. So uh, nature, again, food, everything is so important for us, but we somehow don't manage. Education is very diverse and education is getting better, but again, only for certain parts of the, of the world. So there is not one picture fitting all. What everything uh, is, is, or what dri is driving everything is technology and innovation. 
But technology is only part of it. What is really, really important is obviously part of this technology is Web3, is blockchain, is advanced computing, is immersive access. We know we also have a web around Web3, is a kind of ecosystem of what we're talking about. Uh, people sometimes misunderstood, uh, misunderstand Web3, metaverse is all different, but it's not all different. It's one part of the big convergence also Christina mentioned. Where do we start? with all of what we have seen, people, nature, technology. We follow Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs always said, you have to got to start with the customer experience. And it's not only the customer experience, it's the experience in your life. And then you worry about technology because quite often technology is there. What is not there is, is the right experience. So what if Web3, AI, and the metaverse can create abundance for all of us? How does it work? Imagine a world where healthcare is personalized and accessible to all, where education knows no boundaries and where individuals can be a creator, what also Sharad mentioned at the beginning and what uh, Jack mentioned and what Alison mentioned. We can all be creators. What does it mean? How does it feel? So get better in the health world. And there are some beautiful examples. One of them I want to show you uh, later as well. But in the interest of time, I skipped this one, which is pretty amazing. Um, there is the first augmented reality surgery on a patient, and it feels like the doctor said, like a GPS, where he's guided how he can really help that patient. So let's look also at the metaverse. Uh, uh, right now, doctors are trained in the metaverse. We have uh, also doctors who can work with augmented reality. We have even UAE, we have hospitals in the metaverse. And it goes further. This is my absolute favorite because in Brazil, as we have seen all the different uh, different things in the different worlds I showed you before. In Brazil, some of the doctors are not really able to perform uh, operations where you can separate digital twins. And here, what happened here in virtual reality, they tested was real expert from London. And magically what happens, they were very, very successfully. So virtual reality can provide magic to people. This is also one of the astonishing examples I would say we have seen in the last two weeks where a brain chip interface helped a woman who cannot talk to talk to a digital avatar. So Metaverse is not only about the NFTs, the Nikes, the big brands, the Gucci. It's really about helping people, like Alison described it, how you can transform your life and how you can live better. Because she couldn't talk to her husband. When you see the video, it's absolutely, you we will start crying. And this is not a brain chip from Elon Musk, even though, Obviously, as Christina mentioned, he just got also the license to, uh, I would say, also to spread and uh, to develop further. So she can now work with an, a digital avatar to go the, around the world. So this is another example for virtual reality and how you can help patients is now in clinical trial. Virtual reality is a way to immerse people in alternative worlds. So we use goggles that transport people to an entirely different universe, a different planet, a different environment, places that we've never seen or been before, maybe even never imagined before. We meet patients where they are. We come to their hospital room and we fit them with the goggles, make sure they're, they're snug and comfortable. And then we bring them through the video experiences. One video brings people to Iceland where they get in a helicopter and they can explore these 
you see this connection to nature is also very important for your well-being and it's beautiful that if you imagine in this awful sometimes hospital rooms unfortunately i've been there uh, beginning of the year quite often uh, for one of my family members and i realized it's it's really terrible so what you can do with virtual reality in terms of operation in terms of helping people in terms of like really really making sure they get to a better health it's amazing Another part is generative AI, and generative AI is now able to predict basically also your health status, so you can change it, you can uh, get support, because everyone has a certain status and everyone has uh, certain genetic markers, I also did uh, years ago a, a test, so if you have guidance how to behave and how to live better, it's not only about longevity, but it's about a more healthy and, and better life for all. This is a beautiful thing which happened uh, a week ago where this little boy, his mother being very smart, but not an academic even, uh, he, he was uh, going to 11 doctors. They couldn't help him. Uh, then she put all of the doctor's reports in ChatGTP and guess what? ChatGTP helped now in the sense of getting a holistic view of the status of the uh, of this little boy and providing assistance to uh, to see what the what his condition was and she went then to another specialist who could help so we have seen now ChatGTP can uh, can listen can see images so it's a whole new world I'm not saying that ChatGTP per se should be a new doctor uh, but there are a lot of things where also ChatGTP can help because the health data is scattered so with for example holistic view uh, it, it is very possible and likely that you can improve your health status we have seen this this afternoon already digital twins. So you go out of your door before you go out of your door. It's no longer a uh, a science fiction. You basically are scanned how you do, how well you are. Uh, so that's not only healthcare related. That has a bigger picture. Just imagine what we have seen from the ex Google also quote just imagine all your knowledge you have is shared with the digital twin and you can feed all the knowledge of the other people with that digital twin so the whole world ten thousand, can be feeded into the digital twin how much more can be done how much uh, this will this will help us let me see um, I also skipped this one. Everyone knows her, I think, very, very famous Sophia robot, uh, because there is some more latest new. This is an image also I created for you. So how could Sophia look in the future is no longer maybe that robotic, but it's on purpose robotic because of the uncanny valley effect. She also created now or her founders created a metaverse. And this I want to definitely show you that's a Tesla bot because that's the next level of Sophia and why this is important. Sophia is already helping children and elderly people. You see that this path 
power of these robots are actually getting um, are actually quite amazing. Uh, let me see. I I think I actually have to get out of this view and then to get to the next one. So if we pull all of this together, we have a real metaverse health framework. And as you can see, it's not only about the metaverse, it's about uh, spatial computing, AI and so forth. And maybe we don't think about a digital twin in the sense of another person. We more think about it like a veil around us. So eyes to the future, it could be a digital way. If we also want to look at the, the industrial metaverse, so we have uh, now looked at the health wars, the industrial metaverse is a very exciting other part where we have BTW and Siemens and everyone involved. And this is another part I'm very excited about. NVIDIA is helping a lot of companies. We have heard this also this afternoon uh, from Christina with 3D creation, but this is, I think, one of the prime examples where they work with NASA and where they're trying to work out the what happens in our world in terms of global warming in terms of global changes and the researchers are absolutely thrilled it's the so-called omniverse they are using also for industrial metaverse so where do you really want to live and we saw this example of tampere vision 2040 which is for me is the most amazing right now it's a little town in in finland and they're most happy people yes but they also have the highest rate of suicide so it, they have both and what i like about it the mission really states very clearly they are focused on happiness equality governance sustainability well-being and health that's for me the most important and they have a very very clear strategy for the next years and they talk about the cognitive city so everything is connected again jack mentioned capital surveillance uh, is the dark side of it but let's focus on the bright side and what we can do is it health everything if you if you have a certain condition and you have a problem so this could be another eye to the future where you basically look at the smart cities in a way where you have your green smart cities helping you uh, you don't uh, not only live in the country to get the nature you get the nature everywhere the next level of adoption we have to talk about it because we need to see where we are going and how uh, how we are going there uh, 10, 15 years ago, we had this guy, Tom Cruise, in Minority Report. We all have seen science fiction. I love science fiction since I'm five. Uh, so this was a very early version of going to the holodeck and relaxing with Star Trek. Uh, we know biometrics now is over here. So everything we have seen 15 years ago is here and everything we have seen 30 years ago is already done. Now we have the new Vision Pro. It's very beautiful because uh, we have the we start with augmented reality and we have the option to immerse ourselves in printing this and uh, pushing this button. And this will change our world tremendously. Will it replace the smartphone? Is a big question. We need a so-called killer app, which is not yet there. But you will see because they have the whole ecosystem. They work with Microsoft, so everyone who's using Microsoft Teams, three hundred forty-five million, we will be able to to use this if they have the Apple Pro, which is uh, expensive for now, but there are other ways. So this is another part of how we learn in the future. And this is just a couple of days ago, Meta now not only has a new Quest 3, but they also have glasses with video and so on. It's maybe not all perfect yet, but we've seen the exponential growth also Jack mentioned. 
I don't show you this one, but you have to look at this uh, offline later, is human AI pin. Do me a favor um, and um, just take a picture of this because you can now register. It's an AI pin just pinned on your jacket. So the next device might not be on your face. It's seamless. It's an ex-Apple uh, employee, not a normal employee for sure. So why everything happens now is because we have a big convergence, like we see here. Everything is converging, like Christina mentioned. And we also see that what, uh, what definitely Elon Musk said a couple of years ago, but he's big, big, big into AI, creating himself a supercomputer. Uh, computer. AI will be smarter than humans within five years. Sam Altman also is now creating what he calls a replacement of the iPhone connecting to ChatGDP. He's very clear in his mission to ensure that artificial general intelligence AI systems that are generally smarter than humans benefit all humans. That sets the target. This is what we should focus on. Uh, but he also has made some other a bit disturbing statements. Uh, but I think for us, this is an important message. The next big thing uh, to get all this started is Google's quantum computer. And if you look at this, it's just mind blowing because we have heard about quantum computer so far away. In the next decade, we will see them also being real life. Uh, so have a look. The big question is does super intelligence, AI, autonomous um, AI of human control, is it a, an ex, 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 existential risk and also threat to humanity? Yeah, it can be, definitely. Or is it a technology wave of innovation? And I've been working with some incredible people, and actually it's my a part of my family, it's my nephew and his, his partner. I'm always very fortunate. We are all focusing on the future and how to create a better future for all of us. And we created the Femitopia world, which I want to show you today. Is uh, you, you, you are the people we see the first time who are here today. I posted it on, on LinkedIn. Uh, we are creating a whole community. So what is Femitopia? I saw a world teetering on the edge, yearning for change. Our planet was crying out, and I felt its pain. I dedicated my life to a vision, a dream of balance and harmony. Femitopia, a revolutionary artificial intelligence, was my answer. A beacon of hope in a world of chaos. But every solution has its challenges. The Aeon virus was one I hadn't foreseen. The virus changed us, made us immortal, but it came at a cost. Men, the other half of our world, began to fade. Femitopia's creation, the Aeon virus, was not a mistake. The virus had a purpose, a design I hadn't intended, but perhaps it was the world's way of finding balance. With our new existence came gifts. We can communicate with animals, understand them on a quantum level. It is a bond like no other. An unparalleled alliance was born. Women, animals, and technology. Together we share wisdom, work towards a common goal. Our mission is clear. Unity, empathy, and balance. This is the world we fight for. This is the world we built.
This is the beginning of Femitopia. So you have met my alter ego. You have met Dr. Serena Vega. She's the quantum researcher. And this is very, very close to my heart. This is the world we fight for. This is the world we build. And this is really what I want to leave you with. Um, just also on our way to singularity where we might not have our human body anymore. Let's always remember this is a world we fight for. And I have a beautiful quote from Aspen Institute, because for me, again, it's very important, like Alison, Jack, and everyone in the Mater Shapers, it has never been clearer that we share an urgent responsibility to ensure that the scientific and technological advances serve the many and not just a few. We have seen beautiful examples, but this is our focus also for the entire Metaverse event. This is the world we fight for. This is the world we build. Thank you. No, Dr. Martha, um, really, it's thank you. I mean, that was absolutely outstanding. And there you, there you gift us at the end with yet another um, sign of the creativity, the uh, collective creativity of you and your team. And to hear that it's also a family team is, is, is so wonderful. I mean, you know, somehow you, I've heard you say this before, but you somehow make the intricate um, sound simple. But I think, you know, as I've, I've more heard you say is that we need to find a way to make the intricate work simply for us and ensure that the benefits of the fourth industrial revolution are uh, distributed with equality. So thank you. Yes, let's create a better world for us. Please look at that um, QR code of Dr. Martha and, and thank you so very, very much, Martha. Thank you very much for having me and thanks a lot for all the major shapers and audience. Thank you. Bless you, bless you. And um, on that, I'm gonna thank one meta shaper, particularly Martha and that's Saha Malani. Um, if you all go to chat, you will see some most wonderful resource links going in chat after every speaker. So uh, now you should have at least four lots, including Dr. Martha's. And um, also Saha is going to put in a link to the Only Webinars website where we have a document that has all of the cast members uh, links to LinkedIn. So please do get in touch with our speakers. Uh, if you're not connected already, please connect. Um, and also I can see in chat, um, Sharad, some things about um, proof of attendance protocol. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about that? And then I think you've got another surprise for us. Over to you, Sharad. Yeah, thanks. Actually, uh, Paul Hamilton has uh, very kindly offered us this facility where our audience can uh, mint their participation certificates. So uh, he will handle all the issues relating to this. I know there are some people who are unable to go to next step, but uh, stay in touch with Paul or I'll connect you with Paul and he will make that happen. There's a poll that I want to run now, if it's okay, Susan, it'll just take a minute while uh, Steph go is ahead. setting her presentation. Yeah, this, please go ahead. Yeah, so I want to share this uh, uh, poll. I don't know if the audience can see it. Let me know, yes, if you can. Um, certainly, I can see it. Um, yeah. uh, Andrea, can our audience see it? Yes, everyone yeah. can see it, Sharad. Yeah, so this poll, as you can guess, was created by Dr. Jacques Ludic uh, with the help of Andrea. And we need your insights on, you know, what do you envision? 
the future of AI in a decentralized Web3 environment. So um, we will share the results of this poll in a bit, but till then, I think uh, Susan, you can introduce um, Steph and we can start with her presentation while people are polling. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, Sunil, may I ask you to kindly, you look gorgeous, but may I ask you to kindly go off camera, Sunil? Thank you so much. And um, yeah, gosh, it's you, Stephanie, it's, it's your time. So look, here we have um, a doctor, uh, we, I was going to call you doctor, but of course you are a doctorate of business administration. So you're really giving us the full spectrum, uh, Stephanie Breton Air. Of, 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 of the quality of the substance and of the commitment to learning about our topics that all of our speakers bring into the room. And Stephanie, not only that, I happen to know that, you know, you've spent many, many years um, really using your business skills right in the heart of business. And there's nothing better than that. And that's both the good, the bad, and the ugly of business. So much so that you, Oh, like many of us, really uh, eager to look for another way of getting a return on our investment. And so bringing in this other eye, which um, uh, you know, we've been mooting for a long time, haven't we? The, re the impact eye. So return on impact squared, Stephanie, is absolutely awesome. And no wonder, therefore, that even Forbes recognized you this year as one of the top 40 women in tech. So, um, you know, please from speaker, you know, and a non-exec advisory from also, you know, thank you for, for coming to our home turf in Dubai and making it your home turf, not just for your business, weimpact.world, but also for your family. So in your, with your, message to us, Stephanie, that tech is not an option. Can you tell us a little bit more about what we're going to do with impacting purposefully in Web3? Sure. Stephanie. First of all, let me thank you for having me today. Uh, it's it's uh, always a pleasure to be part of and to join, you know, the MetaShapers community. So yes, I'm going to emphasize you know, how we can leverage uh, these technologies for purpose. And for me, it's all about utility and how we can solve problem for, you know, the corporate uh, world. So let me share my screen with you. Okay, give me one second. Here we go. Are you good, Stephanie? Yeah, just give me one sec. I do have a small, hold on, just a quick tech problem. Here we go. Do you see my screen? Yes. We, we do see your screen, impact oh. hacking TM. Yes. Yeah? Okay, hold on, because I do have a problem on my side. Don't worry. Um, let's have a look there. I can, while you're doing that, Stephanie, I'm just going to speak. Um, a couple of you have your hands raised. Um, thank you so much for that. We really appreciate it. But could I ask you to stick your question into Q&A? 
and or indeed your insight into the chat. It's not that we don't want to hear from you on screen, but we promised you a bumper session, you know, 20 minutes for each speaker over six hours. So um, Sherrod has promised we will try and weave some cues in, but um, please um, don't, don't think we're um, neglecting you. Um, Stephanie, how are you doing? Can I keep talking for a minute and just talk about some other I think, things? I think I'm fine, but do you see my screen? My um, we, I can see your screen, but we'd like... I don't hear you anymore. You're on mute, uh, Suzanne. Yeah, we'd love to have you on full screen, Stephanie. We can see okay. your screen, but it's not full. Um, okay, Andrea, are you there to pop in and support Stephanie? No, no, it's we, we did uh, the. Um... Yeah, if you share again, it'll be okay. Just yeah, share. Have a, hold on. Have a, yes. Sure, I'll try. Try again. We did uh, the the rehearsal, the technical check earlier. Give Don't me... worry, Stephanie. You just check it. I mean, Sarah, thank you for putting up that other poll. Is that the is that the same poll? The role of AI in Web three copy. Yeah, I have one very basic one as well that I wanted to ask our audience. Wonderful. Yeah, I think she's set up now. Steph is set up. We'll do a poll in a bit, another poll in a bit. Should okay, be a I've got, I've got, Perfect, Steph. I've got okay. a poll on my screen, uh, Sharad, just to let you know. Over yeah. to yeah. you, Stephanie. Um, okay, so very pleased to be with you. So I'm going to introduce, you know, um, the impact hacking model that I've designed to support the transformation of the organization. I'm not going to go into too much detail because you already introduced me, uh, um, Suzanne. So I just wanted to pop up the fact that uh, some, let's say, funny facts, additional uh, information about me. I'm a Web One veteran. I launched my first e-commerce website for Dior in 2003. And the first corporate social media campaign on Facebook in 2008. And for me, that was the beginning of, you know, what we experiment uh, right now. We, at that time, faced exactly the, the same type of, uh, you know, struggling and, and fears from the corporate world. Uh, another fact uh, related to, um, you know, my personal uh, background, and this is something I'm sharing with you because it's exactly what's going on right now in the organization. I, um, I'm used to say that I had two lives and the second one started after uh, my brain stroke in 2013. And right now, many, many organizations are going to go through a brain, not a brain stroke, but a business stroke because of AI, but not only. Um, for me, you know, ESG and sustainability, corporate sustainability um, started um, after you know, uh, my two years around the world, because after my brain stroke, you know, it was for me a, a sort of emergency to uh, um, discover the world. So I left for two years around the world, discover many emerging economies, and everything is linked to uh, what I'm doing uh, right now. So very briefly, uh, what is WeImpact.World? It's a community-led impact ecosystem. The core mission uh, the core of our mission actually lies uh, into the support of the transformational journey of 1, billion, 1 million organizations in the world aiming to collectively um, contribute to our mission of impacting the life of 1 billion people, 
nurturing uh, what I've called uh, a breed of impact billionaires. So the idea behind that is um, we want to turn uh, these entities and individuals um, defined by not, I mean, defined not by actually Steph, their financial- Steph, sorry, yep. sorry, Steph, can I interrupt you for a second? Yeah. Uh, our audience can see only the top half of your screen. So you need to either move it up or reduce the size or something. Okay. Yeah, please. It's weird. Yeah, we can only see the first half, top half. Is it better now? Oh, it's the same. Okay, so I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Thank just, you for that, Sharad. Uh, yeah, don't worry, share, Steph. Yeah, I tell you what, can I make a suggestion? Let's. Yeah, now we can now see. Now it's it. looking good. Okay. Do you know where you were up to, Steph? Yeah, yeah, all done because, okay, no, no worry. Okay, so, um, no, this is not working for me. Give me one sec. I just want to fix that. How would you feel? Um, do you want us to pop into something else and give you time, Stephanie? We've got other things planned. That should be okay. Yeah, now we can see your full screen. Okay, finally. Okay, sorry for that. So, so let's move very briefly. So this is uh, what we do. So, you know, usually when I introduce um, uh, what we do at WeImpact.world, emphasizing the fact that we uh, leverage not only uh, technology fused with uh, ESG, but also with neuroscience and science people, you know, ended and said, okay, okay, so let's get ready for the future. But actually, we're not talking about the future. You should get ready now because it's what we're going to um, go through. It's actually, you know, what's going on right now. And, and this will definitely impact your organization. So just to, um, to explain uh, the, the immense um, and, and the deep transformation that we have to, uh, to deal with. Currently, there are in the world 334 million organizations worldwide. And according to a PwC report, 60% of CEOs think their business will no longer be economically and sustainably viable in a decade from now. But actually, these 60% rely to the fact that they are struggling with their business, losing talents, and struggling with uh, um, a stagnant culture and a poor leader leadership, and they should go into leadership. Uh, they, they are totally lost when it comes to technology and innovation, and they are fighting for capital, and they are totally overwhelmed by EHG, particularly in Europe, because there are a lot of new regulation coming out. But actually, they say they have a decade to transform their organization. I think they have between three and five years to really transform their organization if they don't want to die. Um, and the reason why they are, you know, um, Stephanie, yeah, Steph, you're going Steph. to, you're going to, oh, sorry, Sherrod, you're here. Yeah, Steph, uh, the presentation is not moving. I mean, we are still on that opening slide. Okay. So I do have a tech problem. I'm sorry for that, guys. Um, uh, so I've got Shay from the audience saying it seems fine. 
but definitely from our screen step, it wasn't moving. So how about this? May I suggest that um, we let you have a, a, a five minutes away to go okay. and, and look at that. And um, I could ask uh, Saha and Oliver to come on screen and we go into a wonderful meditative space, which I think would be a wonderful bridge, wouldn't it, Stephanie? Thank you uh, for uh, for that. And sorry, we, we I don't know what's going on. So sorry for that, guys. Don't you worry at all. We we thank you. You you, you go and sort that out. So um, um, here I am back on. Let me just. I just wanted to properly unmute myself. Um, so, um, uh, Saha uh, Saha Milani, um, I'm going to pass the button to you. Um, because um, we divided this uh, this summit into four. I mean, um, um, let's let's just let Steph's um, can can Andrea let Stephanie go and practice in another area? Yeah, just for a minute. Because what we're going to do, um, uh, Sahar, is first of all appreciate you, um, particularly because I know you bring in to your work in brand and communications. You bring in mindfulness and. One way that you really bring that into communication is with your podcast that launched earlier this year, Mindful Makers. And I thank you for that. It is so awesome. Um, and so um, um, what I'd like to do as well is know that after we have the most wonderful um, Olivia uh, now come to the room. Can I, can I pass that to you, Saha, and you introduce mm -hmm. Olivia? Bless you both. Thank you very much, Susan, for passing the baton on to me. And I've received it in multiple dimensions. So thank you very much. Um, so after a very juicy start to the MetaShaper Summit, which I can all, I think you'll all agree, has been incredibly insightful and inspiring, we are now going to go on a sensory experience with the wonderful Oliver Smekach and Ivo Fossum. I hope I got those pronunciations right, Oliver. Um, yes, yes, thank you. I will not delay any further, but I just want to leave you all with the fact that Oliver and Ivo are the creators and founders of a multi-sensory metaverse app, which I will allow them to explain to you. They are passionate about the next generation mental health and meditation, which blows my mind because as Susan mentioned, I'm very passionate about mindfulness and they explore the realms where ancient wisdom meets modern science. So enough from me, over to you, Oliver. Thank you so much for your kind words, Sahar. And yes, I know my family name is very difficult. Even, even in Germany, it's uh, no one knows really how to pronounce it. <laughs> so Oliver is fine. And yeah, my business partner, Ivo, is here as well. And um, yeah, are you ready for a little experiment? I mean, we had so much inspiring words here so many amazing speakers so much insights so it's it's really really great to be part of the metashaper community and yeah really to bring um the next industry revolution or technology revolution to to the next step so and for us just a, some brief words what we are doing here because we developed uh a very new way um, it's a kind of neuroscience meditation so we're working with light and sound frequency so it's a pulsing light and for everybody who's very sensitive to light or epileptic please turn the brightness of your screen down otherwise uh, 
we can just enjoy. And what we are doing is, so we're working with frequencies based on your brain waves, so that meditation, relaxation, focus, sleep, whatever we have or you have um, in your mind or maybe a challenge with, um, there's different brainwave states. And we can easily induce these brainwave states uh, with light and sound frequencies. And just to give you a brief idea what it's about. So I think everybody knows this phenomena, like when you're listening to music, that sometimes your leg is swinging in the same rhythm, like the beat from the outside, from the music. And very unconsciously, so your body is picking up the signal from the outside and just adapting to this. And this is happening also with your brain. So when you're stressed out, for example, or you cannot sleep or whatever it is, so it's a sign that, for example, your beta brain waves are too dominant. So you're in the higher beta brain wave state. And if we're stimulating with light pulses in alpha and with sound frequencies in alpha, then within five to 10 minutes, your brain is adapting to this more healthy frequency and then slowly slowly you can focus better you can sleep better or forever whatever you you need even for work or in your free time leisure time you can use it and so we will go with you on a direct experiment and do it now here with you live give me one second so we created something especially here for the meta shaper summit and uh, we developed an app, so we'll share later also a link to our app. If you want to use the app, maybe for your company or maybe at home for your beloved ones. I think we all know, right? So mental health is such a big topic and it can be burnout, it can be depressions, but it can be like having sleep problems or concentration problems. And for everything, there's different frequencies. So please feel free to check out the app. And later tonight, actually, we have also a session in the Metaverse. So you're all welcome to join. But now we will go and start the session. It's like less than 10 minutes. And uh, I mean, after all these insights and this amazing speakers, maybe we give ourselves now 10 minutes to give our mind, ourselves a mental breather. You know, you close your eyes. So we will enjoy the session with closed eyes. If you have headphones, please wear headphones so then you can enjoy the sound frequencies even better. And as I said, my business partner, Ivo, is, is also here. And everything, what you can see now, the visuals and also the sounds, is uh, developed by himself. So enjoy it. And now it's time for yourself to relax. You have nothing to do. And you will see the technology, the light and sound pulses and frequency you will do the hard work. So it doesn't matter if you sit. Start, Oliver, I'm just going to interject and remind everybody, if any of you are sensitive to light or have any photosensitivity, please dim your screens now. It's very important that you look after yourselves whilst we're on this and otherwise enjoy the experience. Thank you. Absolutely. And also you can just use and enjoy the sound frequencies and the beautiful soundscapes. So just listen to your body, what feels good for you. And most of the time, you know, we're not really listening to ourselves, to our body. So I really encourage everybody, you know, listening to yourself. We know all that our health and inner power, inner strength is actually coming from the inside. So now we're going inside and especially in the Web3 and Metaverse space, everybody's talking about immersive experiences. And now we'll have a real immersive experience with closed eyes. So immerse with yourself, inside yourself. So, 
So the first 30 seconds is a short explanation, how you can set up your screen and everything. And then we will start this session immediately after the first 30 seconds. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Pascal, co-founder of Be Light. I will guide you on your first light and sound journey. Do you want to make the most out of your first journey? Then darken your room and increase the screen brightness. Use the full screen mode, your headphones, and sit or lie down comfortably. You can use a selfie stick, VR glasses, or lean your device in a creative way so your hands are free. Depending on the device, the screen should be 10 to 50 centimeters in front of you and reach both closed eyes. Or just enjoy the sound frequencies. Which position on light intensity feels good for you? Just give it a try before we begin. When you're ready, we'll start with a calming breathing exercise. Breathe evenly and deeply without pausing between inhaling and exhaling. Now close your eyes and keep them closed for the whole session. Forget the outside world and just focus on my voice. Feel the gravity of the earth. Relax your arms and feet. Breathe deeply through your nose. Notice the weight of your body and how heavy your arms and legs are. Breathe in deeply and breathe out without pausing. breath, your body becomes softer and you sink in more and more, deeper and deeper. Breathe in without pausing and exhale without pausing. Breathe in the cleansing air and release 
adjust your breath and relax. All thoughts are allowed to go now.
slowly coming back and open your eyes again so give yourself a second to fully be here back in the moment and i hope you enjoyed it uh, was a short session to help you recharge for the rest of the web summit and to increase your focus and there as i said there's a lot of sessions in our app Uh, where you can boost your focus, sleep better, relax better. So please feel free to check out the app. There's also free sessions in the app. And um, we all know 10 minutes sometimes helping us even during a stressful day, you know, to recharge, to balance ourselves again. And maybe a lot of times to try to push through. And from my own experience, from my own burnout, really, I can, um, um, and I really, Yeah, I want to address it to everybody of you. Just 10 minutes a day can really help, you know, to prevent mental health problems and that we are more focused, more creative, more productive, successful, but also that we have more energy, more energy for our beloved ones, more energy when we come home for our kids, for our family after a stressful day or for our colleagues or clients. So please feel free to check it out. I will share my LinkedIn. So happy to network and happy to tell you more how you can use this, the app or the Metaverse a solution for your community, for your company, for your employees. So thank you so much for joining our session. Thank you very much, Oliver. That was an incredibly different and enlightening experience. And I know there's lots of active chat going on, which I'm sure that you guys will enjoy engaging in. So um, moving on now, I've added any of the further reading links and links to the apps for those of you who are curious about how to um, explore that world further. And I'd like to know if we're ready to move to um, Tracy and the panel discussion now or whether Stephanie would like to come back. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. Okay, welcome back, Stephanie. And thanks to Oliver, I, you know, feel much more relaxed after this technical <laughs> bug. So thanks a lot, Oliver. Yeah, you're welcome. So I'm listening now and enjoying your speech. Okay, so uh, if you can allow me to share my screen, Sahar, that will be wonderful. 
Yes. Let's do that now. Yeah, I will just do that in a second. Okay. Yeah, you are you are good now. Amazing. Amazing. Stephanie. Yeah. So now you should see my screen full screen. We do, yes. yes. Amazing. So let's talk not about the future, but let's talk about uh, what's happening now and it, how it will impact your um, organization. So um, let me start from here. So I was saying that uh, 33, 33, uh, 333 million companies are uh, exist currently in the world. 10% are large corporation and the rest are SMEs which represents 70% of GDP and 70% of uh, the employment according to World Economic Forum. Why I'm saying that? It's because 60% uh, of the CEOs interviewed by PwC say that they believe they will be uh, no longer economically and sustainably viable in a decade from now because they're currently dealing uh, with unprecedented time uh, struggling with business development and uncertainty, losing talents, dealing with stagnant culture and poor leader leadership. Uh, they are totally lost with technology and innovation, fighting for capital and being totally overwhelmed by ESG, particularly in Europe due to uh, the massive new uh, regulation. So the world is facing new environmental, social, monetary, geopolitical and economic challenges. The corporate world aims to play a leading role in solving our shared problem. We are really entering into a, a new paradigm shift, which is happening now. But you can't apprehend as a leader, you know, um, what's going on if you don't know what you don't know. So my vision is clear of, you know, the way we should um, um, actually support the organization in their transformation. Actually, it's no longer transformation. They should reinvent, reinvent their model. So we have to re, redefine what we impact means. It should not be understood anymore as a way to talk about environmental carbon footprint. We have to break silos and reinvent a corporate world as an ecosystem. Um, um, Christina said we enter in a, in, in, a, in a phase of conversions, but at the same time, we have to leverage divergent uh, thinking to uh, tackle uh, the problem that we are dealing. Because if you study everything through silos, it won't work. So we have to empower individual and starting uh, a deep leadership we have to reinvent our business model. I won't have time to deep dive in, in that specific point, but we need to leverage new impact business model and share revenue model. And this is where Web3 will play a critical role. We have to be net positive, meaning that we have to give back to the community and protect uh, our planet and resources. We have to take action against the biggest polluters. We have to find new ways to finance this transformation and offer the possibility to the organization to find new revenue stream. And last but not least, we have to leverage new technology in a purposeful way to make a difference and a positive impact. It's all about utility and interoperability. 
So the, the um, let's see how uh, I help actually my clients to understand and the board I work for um, to understand how they can apply tech in, um, I mean, to their business. So let's talk about and start with the opportunities, okay? Um, I'm not going to scare you straightforward. So I've identified, you know, just a few cases, but we won't have time to even scratch uh, the surface. So as mentioned previously, you know, um, digital fashion is, is, is booming. AI is, uh, is a tremendous uh, way to create uh, new design. And we will see that um, it's critical to address the sustainability uh, issues in uh, this uh, industry. AI text to textiles are just mind-blowing. Look, this tool is called Fabricator, and you can basically enter a prompt how you want the fabric to be and the mesh. And just like that, you can have the normal map, the roughness map, height map, all in the software to get downloaded and used on your VFX. So this is just an example when it comes to product design, how far we can go. And this is just the beginning. Another example of uh, the way uh, in I mean, China leverage AI, they have created uh, um, a virtual influencer that are running 24 hours, seven uh, days a week, 365 days a year, live stream shopping uh, session. So it's a way to stream, um, to stream and to introduce your product and make you know, a constant sale. Another way actually AI is impacting uh, uh, the, the organization, it's about you know, supply chain and real-time data-driven uh, supply chain. This is an example, very short one about uh, Monopri, which is actually a supermarket company. And they have implemented that system to boost and scale actually to the roof, the efficiency and productivity of their ordering process. Virtual try-on, uh, this uh, type of uh, usage of, uh, of AI combined uh, with uh, virtual reality um, improve not only the experience of the customer, but it has a direct impact on uh, your carbon footprint as a company, because in, especially in the fashion industry, um, we can expect 70% of returns. So you can imagine the footprint of the transformation of all the parcels. Uh, this global market actually represents, um, uh, is valued at uh, 2.73 billion in 2020. So you can, you know, ex we can expect 25% of uh, growth uh, by 2028. Okay, let's talk about a critical point uh, for me. You know, it's all about how can we leverage those technology to support the sustainability transformation and also get rid of counterfeiting with proof of authenticity. So I've been working on those topics for the last three years, how we can leverage not only AI, but also blockchain, utility, dynamic NFTs and biometric um, technology to, uh, you know, to, to tackle the problem of authenticity and also bring much more traceability and transparency within uh, the, uh, the value chain of any organization. This is something that is going to be really critical 
for the next three years to come uh, in Europe, because Europe is currently, I'm, I'm currently, you know, in discussion and working with EU regarding the digital uh, product passport, and they expect to implement it all over Europe between 20, I mean, in 2026 or 2027. Um, I'm also um, for, uh, I mean, uh, we impact, we are developing what we call the proof of AC, it's action, contribution and impact. Uh, currently, when it comes to sustainability, a lot of people are talking a lot, but doing very little and proving nothing. The idea is to tackle this issue and bring back some trust when, when it comes to uh, sustainability. Another usage and use cases of AI has been uh, the advertising campaign of uh, Undies, which is uh, a, um, a lingerie uh, a brand uh, in France. And immediately, as soon as they have been able to get, um, you know, a quite um, qualitative results, they have created their visual, not, not anymore, you know, going through a traditional photo shooting, but uh, through AI. Stephanie? Yeah, so informative so far. And thank you so much. I just wanted to let you know, we've got five more minutes of this presentation left. Okay. Uh, yeah, I have seven on my screen. So, okay, fine. Uh, so going through AI operations, this is a type of AI combined to automation that I'm using. Uh, you can run also uh, and create, um, you know, a, a training powered uh, by uh, AI. Uh, and... Okay. This is an, yeah, another example I'm going to go through very quickly, but um, um, here we go. Uh, Tesla use our AI agent uh, to uh, run some uh, sales and uh, customer uh, service. So you can create also your second brain. I'm doing all my research and I do have uh, my second brain uh, thanks, to, uh, thanks to AI and um, you know, leveraging and creating a, a, a web three community is critical. Uh, but when you link it, linked it uh, to uh, to impact, uh, you can get uh, amazing results. And this is what we are we we uh, we will launch in the next uh, next uh, weeks to come. So let's. I still have six minutes, so let's be focused on the risk. Actually, if you don't tackle all these technologies right now, your business is at uh, is at risk. Uh, just a few examples of, of, of what's going on. So this is a funny example about trust. Uh, you know, people can, uh, you know, change their face. This is a filter on TikTok that is going very viral. Uh, but when it comes to trust, uh, we can go through very, very scary uh, situation. Uh, some people have um, uh, overdubbed the voice of a kid and, uh, you know, and, and threatened uh, a, a family saying they had kidnapping, kidnapped uh, their, their kids. So this is the kind of things that um, may and have happened recently due to the easiness of overdubbing a voice. So you should put in place uh, within your organization uh, some uh, password to uh, prove and check uh, the, the, the the trust and, and and make sure that the the person you are talking to is really who you think it is. Another example of very scary things is um, about cybersecurity. If you leverage 
um, ChatGPT and ask uh, ChatGPT, uh, please find in my network any vulnerability and create, write a code uh, to leverage that vulnerability. ChatGPT, you know, will give you uh, what you could do and you will threaten uh, your uh, company security. Another example, very scary. Um, they have been able, thanks to MRI, the combination of MRI and stable diffusion, which is normally a tool to create art, they have been able to read minds. So people could, you know, imagine something or think about something, and the system has been able to, uh, you know, um, describe uh, what the mind was uh, was uh, was thinking. So that's very scary because if you apply that to business, uh, that means that you know even your thoughts uh, can be uh, a threat for your company. Four minutes to go. So this is another example of the fact that they've turned a, you know a very simple Wi-Fi system uh, into a way to detect uh, people even in the dark. So Shein, you might know this uh, this fashion uh, fast fashion uh, uh, brand. They are no not in reality. They are not uh, a fashion brand. They are a data company uh, producing fashion, but everything is linked to AI and data. And they have a year three thousand designer recently to you know even boost and um, and adapt their design according to the data of uh, their customer. So because of the way they, 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 they do and they produce um, uh, fashion, this is a satellite image of the desert of Atacama. And this is what we see from the space. So when you know uh, the impact of fashion um, on, you know, on our planet, I mean, 68% of what is yearly uh, produced ends in garbage in less than a year. Uh, I mean, just imagine to produce only one T-shirt, you need... 2,700 liters of water. So what a waste and what an impact on our planet. Another example of what's going on in Ghana currently. So another risk is the fact that even um, the, uh, you know, the top uh, mathematicians and experts say that uh, uh, AI will predict, uh, um, will reach the 52% of accuracy in four years when actually, it turns to be in less than a year. So we are in an unprecedented pace and uncontrolled situation. And that's the reason why the companies have no time to move forward. Another example here is, you know, with, I mean, ChatGPT is really new. And when you look at the impact on what we call the theory of mind, until now, you know, it was at the level of a child of a nine years old uh, child. But in March, they reach even further, you know, the, the level of an adult. So it's, it's, it's going at a pace that it's really unbelievable. And uh, many companies think that they have the time. You know, we started the digital transformation, let's say in 2000, um, uh, 2010, 2015 for many companies and even some much later. But actually, with what is going on in, with, with AI, they have just a couple of months, years at, at, at the most. So just uh, an example to prove what I'm saying, uh, numbers of your to get to 50 million users, you have, you know, uh, for Twitter, it was two years. For ChatGPT, 
100 million in two months. So depending of the way, um, and you know, this will be the end of my, my presentation, but the way that your company leverage this tech, uh, these technologies, you will become a tremendous positive force for good or frightening economic, social, and environmental geopolitics threat uh, for our world. So to conclude, if your company has not embraced yet AI trust uh, solution, Web3 impact strategy, community building, automation, and shared revenue, you better have to take action right now. So you will get uh, my uh, takeaways. I think that uh, it will be sent uh, to, to you later on. And if you want uh, to uh, reach me, uh, please uh, scan this QR code and join me tomorrow. I will be launching uh, my uh, new talk show, which is called Dare to Impact Your World, Our World. So thank you very much for uh, your uh, time and, um, and your presence. Thank you very much, Stephanie. That was very insightful. We're going to head over quickly to Tracy O, who is the moderator of the panel, which is uh, centered around measuring purposefully and exploring ROI from Web3 and beyond. So over to you, uh, Tracy and team. Thank you. Hi, I cannot um, start my video. It's not allowed yet. Can you? That would be I... The host stopped me. It's not okay still. Um, maybe, uh, Saha, can you help me, you know, check my video? And I should start introducing myself and the well, um, panel. Okay, thank you. All right. Thank you very much um, for everyone coming to the summit. We are very happy to have four entrepreneurs with me today. We're going to talk about an interesting topic by building a Web3 and AI and Metaverse business, we will often be asked, what's your purpose? What's your goal? And how actually to measure the return on investment? So today I will be joined by Amna, Radhika, Maryam, and Marie. They are all from different countries, actually US, uh, I think UAE and uh, the Netherlands. So can I you know, hand it to Amna, you have a you know, quick intro and then you can pass it to Radhika. Hi everyone, this is Amna. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'm a financial economist and strategist for blockchain, metaverse, web three and emerging technologies. I'm a founder and uh, advisory board member and I have had the opportunity to work with international global organizations, including the United Nations. I also identify myself as an advocate for diversity, equity, inclusion and sustainability. So great to be here. Over to you Radhika. Thanks, Samna. I'm Radhika Iyengar. I'm founding partner of Starchain Ventures. Uh, we're a venture studio based in Silicon Valley, focused on the uh, convergence of technology with uh, Web3, AI, um, IoT, and others, um, and all focused on bringing about impactful solutions for global challenges. Uh, we do partner with entrepreneurs from everywhere um, to accomplish this goal. And um, I'd also like to give a shout out to the Astro Sapiens community and project. Uh, which is a very vibrant Web3 uh, community focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion in tech, um, and also increasing opportunities and access to capital. Uh, thank you very much. Pleasure to be here with all of you. Thank you, Radhika. Shall we have Marie? 
Yeah, sorry, I was still mute. Hi, everyone. Uh, super glad to be here as well. Um, yeah, so my name is Marie de Rose or Marie. Um, to some people, I'm also known as the circular fashion detective, it's kind of an alter ego. Um, so by training, I'm an economist that went into uh, the circular economy. And uh, I'm also a strategist, but my main role is to be the, the founder and CEO of a clean tech startup called Positive Fibers. And at Positive Fibers, our mission is to make landfills obsolete, while at the same time dress people in healthier materials. Uh, and we do this by combining science, uh, uh, science design and technology um, yeah, for a better future built in style. Excellent, very interesting. How about Mariam? Hi everyone, a pleasure to be here today. And uh, I am based in Canada. I lead Hollow Art, the convergence of art, science, technology, and space. We had the pleasure of sending an art and space collection to the International Space Station, launched with NASA, and are currently involved in a series of global firsts with neurotechnologies. So uh, very relevant to the Web3 and the AI discussion today. I also work as a uh, digital transformation consultant on large scale human behavioral change and speak globally about topics such as uh, human machine futures and uh, the future of creativity. Thank you, Tracy. That's very interesting. So you see that all four of us have a very, uh, five of us have a very back, different background. And myself has a, you know, I'm a storyteller by heart. And uh, speaking of story, I would love to hear Anna's story. You mentioned you have a long experience in this space already. How about, can you share with us how to compare when you started in 2018 versus now 2023, what has evolved in your perspective? Wow, uh, so, so much has changed, Tracy. That's a great question. So back in 2016, 2017, blockchain was still very nascent technology. And over the past few years, we have seen how much it has evolved. You know, we have seen NFTs come up. We have seen total value locked in uh, decentralized finance or DeFi go up. We have seen DAOs, thousands of DAOs on different blockchains. And speaking of blockchains, we've also seen a proliferation of not just L1 blockchains, but also L2 blockchains which are uh, making a lot of noise rightfully nowadays so so the blockchain has really evolved over the past few years into the whole you know web3 industry as we know it uh, now and not just from web3 perspective and blockchain perspective but also from the ai perspective you know over the past year alone since generative ai has come into uh, being, we've seen how much of an impact generative AI has had on the world and on industries everywhere. So, for example, you know, um, there's a research done by Precedent Research, which says that in the next 10 years alone, you know, we are going to have a 1.18, uh, 118 trillion uh, US dollars impact by a generative AI and uh, from a marketing spec, uh, perspective on ROI alone, we're going to see a 5,700% increase. So these are technologies which are, you know, really, really um, proliferating and exponentially developing. And also their complexities have increased over the past few years. We have seen uh, regulation take an increasing um, focus, you know, back uh, in 2016, 2017, countries were not focused on regulation of uh, blockchain, Web3, but now we see that more and more countries are focusing on regulatory aspects of crypto, blockchain, Web3, and AI. 
So these are things which are definitely impacting and going to impact the ROI going forward, all these different complexities mix up, including the convergence of tech that we will see moving forward. Ah, very interesting. And how it's evolved, right? As you said, it used to be more decentralized, but now regulators do start coming in. And speaking of that, I would love to bring in Radhika because um, she also has more investor in, uh, in business background in that. Then from your perspective, what, what do you think? How the tax are converging? And you're on mute. Thanks. Um, actually, I co-wrote uh, a book um, in 2019 and uh, called out precisely the convergence of this tech that we're seeing today. Uh, it's called Enterprise Blockchain Has Arrived because back in 2019, nobody was really talking about Web3 on the business side. We predicted the rise of Web3 uh, amounting to trillions of dollars of opportunity in business. And uh, indeed, what we are talking about is the convergence of tech. So. Web3 has to be the underpinning for the future, combined with other impactful technologies such as AI and IoT, 5G and others. Uh, the whole point of convergence of technology, but based on Web3 underpinnings, is to really solve a lot of the issues that we are already manifesting today. Uh, so while AI seems really interesting and exciting, and there's uh, really great applications that we can think about, um, in so many different sectors across enterprise. What we are seeing is limitations around the AI um, currently as it stands from a web two infrastructure. Decentralization is not just uh, something that you add on at the end. It has to be a foundational sort of element. And if you don't have that element, we'd run the risks that many of the uh, speakers and panelists have already pointed out today in the summit, which is that you know, there is the small I in AI is what I say. Uh, in order to put the big I back in AI, you have to have decentralization as a foundation to safeguard um, really the intent, the control, the ownership of what goes into it. So if you've got single owner kind of situations in AI, which is what, we, what we're already seeing, it's going to be increasingly risky and uh, potentially egregious in terms of unintended consequences. So what we have to see from a, convergence of technology standpoint is how can we harness multiple technologies together to create impactful solutions for many of these challenges that we're seeing today. Um, so this is something that, you know, we're really excited about at Starting Ventures. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what I heard very much in, uh, agree is that, you know, the A, the I needs to be small and then we must have a decentralized space to really welcome um, a more, as you said, purposeful, impact or i would say more more safe environment for all the players and then that that makes me uh, remember what i heard from Miriam speaking of of economy right ai is also disrupting or you are trying to disrupt your industry or the artistic space that is something relatively new i must commit uh Miriam. can you share with us how you think that ai or slash um you know metaverse web3 decentralized space it's it's changing from a creative economy perspective. Sure, thank you, Tracy. And I, I concur with uh, Amna and Radhika. I think there's a lot of ethical questions to be asked right now. There's a, a big dialogue around copyright and the databases that are used, um, how the data is crawled. And uh, the disruption is happening in the medium. 
And the medium is leading to digital literacy, access to technology. And so we have um, the emergence of different tiers of uh, fluency. And this fluency lends itself to that power structure or imbalance that Rodiko is alluding to. Part of this is also related to the compendium of imaginal spectra that's drawn from the data and the information from which um, creative endeavors are, are sparked. And here we're talking about Picasso and Adobe and a whole bunch of other um, you know, image generation uh, databases. I think what's really exciting and interesting is that AI as a tool can be used to uh, pierce through the attention economy with the creative economy. However, with this um, uh, opportunity comes a lot of great risk and responsibility, which is why uh, I think it's really important to, for us to um, you know, uh, think about the funding that we have for the arts and play and creativity in future generations, otherwise in about three, four generations, what we'll find is a very homogenous uh, definition of what creativity means. Exactly, and uh, we will have, you know, we must have diversity, all right? And and when we speak for, you know, bringing in funding to arts or creative space, bringing in responsibility, and that makes me think about the R, we're supposed to talk about the ROI, right? So then can I throw the word responsibility back to you, know, Marie, because you you, you have a very, very much big purpose-driven on um, business. Oh, sorry, I thought was it, yeah, sorry, me, sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, the as, as we uh, discussed in our, in our preparatory call, right, when it comes to ROI, which normally stands for return on investment, um, it's, it's, a, it's a term that I've been rethinking. And I think that the R is, I mean, sure, it can be return, but return on impact, but maybe the R should be responsibility, right? And um, because I feel like the onus is always on the, on the individual to make change, but in my like in my experience, it's it's like businesses really have to get their act together and and make the change that is so needed. So um, I mean, it's it, I think it's always a simple uh, a simple way to say it. It's like what what sense does it make to think about oh how are we going to get a like a financial return on our investment into certain assets into whatever business practices right? Uh, but how are you gonna drive business if the planet is dying? So um we definitely need to rethink that and it's not something for the future it's something for today um yeah th those are my two cents on that exactly and uh i like you mentioned the return on impact then the the impact you know what sort of impact are you making you think um from from what Maybe you know less here, also from Amna perspective, because I I heard that uh, Amna when you started, you said that tech needs to have an impact, a purpose, right? That aligns with what Mary said exactly just now. So then, from what your perspective, you know, when you started, it may be a different space, but now when we are in 2023, so what can we do as a Web3 business? What sort of impact can you bring? So I'm a huge believer in the use of, uh, you know, technologies, specifically frontier technology to create a better world and for social impact. So there are so many use cases and studies which I can share with you ranging from UNICEF to, uh, you know, United Nations to so many. 
But because this discussion, and by the way, I totally agree with uh, Marie that, you know, it is our responsibility collectively to move ahead and ensure that we have a responsible outcome, uh, you know, in however way we approach our businesses, et cetera, startups, et cetera, uh, specifically when we uh, measure ROI. So coming back to your question, since this panel is specifically on ROI, as a strategist, um, I, you know, I would uh, definitely say that yes, there are ethical considerations that should be taken into account and that can positively impact the ROI of businesses. So for example, we have OpenAI, which is uh, with its responsible AI framework, has really gained favorable market position. And that in turn helps with sustainable ROI in the long term. So if my, uh, businesses and companies, et cetera, adopt an ethical framework, it positively impacts the ROI of the business or the startup. And it has a, it's a win-win situation. It also impacts the larger good of the, and social impact. Now, since we're specifically talking about Web3, uh, one other aspect that positively impacts uh, the ROI is uh, the aspect of network and community building. So I know the MetaShaper community is, is, feels very strongly about that, but building community around Web3 initiatives can really have a positive effect on the ROI of Web3 businesses. And that is something that is really taken in, uh, into account. For example, if you look at a lot of NFTs, for example, so just because they have a community around them, you know, they have uh, benefited so much from ROI uh, improvement. So these um, all come together to impact positively uh, ROI, you know, ethical considerations, positive outlook, uh, networking and community building. Actually, building on that, I feel like there's such potential in NFTs and fighting climate change. I mean, I'll be honest, I have been, and Sherrod knows this, I've been the biggest skeptic when it comes to metaverse and NFTs because I thought, what about the energy usage, right? Like, how is this actually going to really make a dent in the universe that we so desperately need it and need? But um, when it comes to, you know, it's like Omna and I is like always when she talks, I'm just like, I just want to pick her brain, right? Like she's brilliant. So if you're not following her yet, you should. Um, but when it comes to specifically like tech for good and NFTs, um, I see there's so much power in 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 you know really making it something with um, with a positive impact in terms of charity. So for example, not to plug, but um, you know speaking from experience, what what Positive Fibers does is that actually every purchase is directly related to adopting a coral. Um, if you think adopting puppies is cute, I mean, I love dogs, like whenever, like I, I, I always prefer dogs over cats, I'm that kind of person, but I think corals are the new puppies to be adopted because guess what? Coral reefs are the rainforest of the ocean and we really need to protect them. And just because we don't see them doesn't mean that they're not worth saving, right? Because actually, like actually we're alive on land depends so heavily on on life under the sea so uh just just wanted to add that Can I, 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 love, I love what you said about uh the the coral um coral as a past you know to donate and that reminds me of Miriam's point on on you know how you know the funding or you know how can you uh ensure uh, you know proper funding goes to you know arts particularly in the digital space on the on the from a literacy perspective so how about you know Miriam you can explain a little bit further on on your point 
Tracy, you're uh, referring to me, right? Yes, correct. Yes. Like you mentioned, so, that, you know, the, the literacy. And, yes. Yeah. So there's a 23-page white paper from 2021 um, focused on the conceptual architecture of building AI. And part of this is basing it on the universal design. And universal design is um, taking into consideration biomimicry, diversity, and these ecosystems from which we pull um, AI experts. There's a series um, you can check on my LinkedIn profile about women in computer science. It's a very different perspective. It's also about the way that our brains are um, uh, connected, our connectomes, our uh, access to language. Um, there's, uh, you know, uh, uh, Sanskrit code that's being written now. And so um, in, in light of all this, Hollow is creating a conceptual virtual Florentine square to bring together people from cross-cultural, intergenerational, six continents, over 30 countries, indigenous children, um, and AI experts. So in that light, we've had a number of AI oh, panels, the last one uh, with... Uh, Sorry, Daniela, I think you've gone off mute. Uh, there we go. Uh, so the last one in May was with Gary Marcus, who appeared at the U.S. congressional hearings with uh, Sam Altman, as well as Lee Dang, the former chief uh, AI officer at Microsoft. On Monday, we're hosting another one with Louis Lam, who is one of the pioneers in neurosymbolic AI, and Ida Tin, who will be speaking about femtech. Uh, Ida is the uh, founder of the term Femtech. We'll also have a physician, David Dibble. And so really what we're trying to do is to provide a kaleidoscopic uh, plethora of perspectives to help aid in um, establishing a moral compass and ethical direction. Part of this, the reason why it's so important, I think our other esteemed panelists have touched on it is that the future of hum humanity depends on it. If we're outsourcing decision-making to uh, artificial intelligence. We have things from assassin drones to uh, mortgage applications to real estate redlining to medical um, decisions that are made on very homogenous and weird data. And by weird, I mean uh, Western educated, industrialized, rich and democratic um, sample sets. With that, I'll end here and pass it on. Tracy, I wonder if I might jump in. Um, wanted to address a couple of different things um, that the panelists brought up. I, I did want to highlight the fact that the current versions of AI, be it OpenAI, be it ChatGPT, are centralized AI. Uh, it is not decentralized AI. And the, the risks that we're running and that we're already seeing manifested cannot be underscored enough. Um, ownership is a huge part of this conversation. So we've got single owner, single entity owning these large systems, they might be distributed, but not decentralized. And there's a very, very big distinction. So when you're talking about ownership of systems, when you're talking about data ownership, and if you're not having individual people own their own data, we are again going to see the proliferation of exploitative and extractive systems that we're seeing today throughout web, web two based systems. So for the future, 
if we really want to build this future that is democratized, that is inclusive, that is equitable, that is better for everyone, we're going to have to think about decentralization and Web3 from that perspective as a necessary underpinning, not a bolt on after the fact. Otherwise, we are going to see the proliferation of, of unintended consequences. I'll just say that from a, an impact perspective, um, I love the work, for example, Marie, you were talking about you know, from an ocean, saving the oceans perspective, we are interconnected systems here on this planet. So if we're not thinking about how we are linking together these interconnected systems from a technology perspective, using decentralized technologies as a foundational layer, we are going to be finding it much more difficult, if not impossible, to be able to achieve the kind of um, impact that we hope, truly hope to achieve uh, going forward. Beautiful. And uh, Mary, you want to you respond to Radhika on speaking of um, the, the return or, you know, the responsibility, maybe not only on ocean, on, on overall overall uh, business or investment perspective, Mary? Yeah, sure. I mean, just to, to add to that, I mean, like the reason why, because uh, as I said in my, in my introduction, I'm an economist, but I was trained in the linear system. And I kind of like re-educated myself from a circular point of view, because and, and why? It's because if you look at a circular economy, the world just makes more sense because we are all connected and, you know, there's like the circle of life, right? But, and I think that we need to mimic business more um, uh, like from that, that point of view. And I, I don't know, like there's so many other things that come to mind, also things that, that uh, Mariam touched upon. I mean, if you talk about biomimicry and I mean, biology is actually the, sorry, I'm going off topic here, but it's, it's, um, I mean, it's, it's the, the thing is like, it's all connected. And I feel like um, actually, if you want to understand bio, uh, technology even better, look at biology because there's actually a term called the wood white web. Um, so, you know, we all know the, the, you know, we all know what, what uh, the three W's stand for, but uh, trees actually connect with each other. And I feel like we're the same. Uh, but to your question about like from a, sorry, can you repeat it please? Like from a business point of view? Sorry, what was it again? No, just uh, when we talk about now uh, uh, the R, okay, or the I, we are defining it, right? The R instead of return is more responsibility. The I instead of investment is about the impact. Yes. But then when we all, all bring it back to what we used to know, ROI versus the new term we are now coining in this panel, then what do you think the, the impact, what impact can we bring back to, to a granular, you know, economic or business perspective? I mean, how the way can individual oh, business, yeah, how can it put it this way? How can individual business um, make, uh, make it viable so then the impact is ensured? <laughs> right. Um, I mean, like a really simple uh, thing to, to, to start with, in particular for businesses producing physical goods, I think it really starts with your supply chain. Um, what exactly happens in that? Uh, in in that uh, in that mechanism right and um yeah i mean it's it's like being conscious in business means you cannot just do one little thing and call it a day unfortunately it is a system so you have to be very rigid in it and i really believe that you know you have to invest up front but then the impact will follow and the other thing that might be interesting here to to notice as well i feel like there's absolutely no other way but to put impact first over return on investment 
because I mean I'm 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 based in the Netherlands and the EU is like cracking down on on businesses that are not taking responsibility for uh, for their like that are literally like not minding their 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 business in that sense. Um, so I predict that if if your business is not like truly you know like truly focused on sustainability, you're gonna run out of business. So um, it's yeah, I don't know. I hope that answers the question. I mean, it's it's a big topic, and I'm trying to be succinct, but unfortunately, it's also not that black and white. It's always important to understand the nuances. And I mean, but it, it just always comes to the point that it's a system. It's not like you know, from fashion, it's not like oh, our product is now with like a little bit of organic cotton, so we're sustainable or we're circular. No, you're not. There is like a million other pieces to that puzzle that you have to fix. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I feel like you want to say right. well I, I think it's well said because it is a system and you know end to end I think is is one point that I wanted to make even with things like supply chain so from origin to the hands of the consumer it, it, the entire chain has to be has to be thought of but I will just say you know at, at star chain what we talk about is people planet and profit so um, you know, profit is just one aspect of it. Obviously, when people think of ROI, people usually think about that, but it's people and planet as well. So for us, it's a triple P, triple bottom line uh, goal. And I think from an investment standpoint, I'll just say that the more that the investment community can make this a must have and say, you know, if we're going to invest in a project, then it has to be viable from a people, planet, profit perspective. Now you're looking at return on multiple dimensions. I think uh, I'm just going to step in as well. I think everyone has made brilliant points. And since we're on the concept of, you know, uh, sustainability and climate change, uh, Maria, I want to uh, elaborate on one of the points you made earlier on, you know, using blockchain technology in particular to um, have a greater return on impact, um, uh, specifically in the climate change uh, area. So blockchain actually has multiple uses and is being you know, propelled forward as a tool to fight climate change. For example, you have uh, the United Nations official organization, Climate Chain Coalition, which actually encourages the use of innovative technologies, specifically blockchain, et cetera, to fight um, climate change using uh, uh, carbon credits and uh, so on. So, so there are many ways in which blockchain and there are different blockchains as well. You know, nowadays we are seeing so many different proliferations of blockchains, L1s, L2s. So different blockchains have different consensus mechanisms and energy mechanisms, but overall technology as a whole, specifically frontier technologies can play a pivotal role in return on impact for societal good. Uh, for example, you know, we have uh, an old example, the Plastic Bank, which in coordination with IBM's blockchain, since its inauguration in 2013, has picked more than 11 million uh, tons of plastic. So, so there's, you know, there's definitely a silver lining there, and that's what we should focus on uh, in terms of uh, ROI, uh, return on impact. If uh, I can add here, I think it's uh, to look at the ancient wisdom from which we can draw some of these principles from. And part of this is that systemic understanding that we have this, uh, you know, uh, entangled enlightenment. And part of how we start to see and perceive our circular economy, our non-circular economies, our myopic um, 
prioritization of Q1, Q2, Q3, what we're doing is we're, we're in the midst of a paradigm shift from Newtonian physics to quantum physics. And that also is a return to ancient wisdom. In the financial sector, I think there's a lot of talk around SDGs, ESGs, um, you know, uh, regulatory boards. The question for me comes to compliance. You know, we can have uh, regulation uh, as much as we like. It, the question is why and when do people comply? And I think when livelihoods are threatened, when we have a, a, a mass sense of existential threat, there is a mobilization. And the shift here, um, speaking to Marie and Radhika's point, is with younger generations, there's a fantastic chart. If you're interested, send me a DM, I'll, I'll share it with you. It's from the Pew Center, outlining the changing values for each generation and their preference with technologies. One of the concerns that I have that I'd like to just insert into the conversation, Tracy, forgive me for going off script a little bit, is I think it's really important to think about the nature of human relationships and how they're changing, uh, veering more toward the transactional where, uh, you know, um, that being in touch with the land, being in touch with the environments in which we live and thrive ultimately part of this technology wave is separating us from our lived reality and it's really important to create spaces especially for children to be able to make that connection in their development of both values and and uh priorities and so i think eco-consumerism, uh, conscious consumerism, uh, as Marie and Radhika alluded to, uh, it won't be a choice. It'll be a necessity. That will be the way of the future. And part of that is driven by the market. Uh, we have a lot of young people today who no longer dream of owning a home, no longer think about having a family. And we need to be mindful of this intergenerational dialogue to be able to listen to children and think about what are their hopes and dreams and so at hollow i'm hoping that you know you'll look at our website it's hollow-art.io where we have interviewed children and we have asked them you know what are you, what are your thoughts on ai and it's fascinating because there's a lot of wisdom there so with that thank you so much i really appreciate being able to share thoughts here with you Thank you, uh, thank you, Miriam. Uh, a great point about humanity. You know, if I may, um, to 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 sum up as a as a moderator for this panel, I would say that what I heard, what we are talking about, how to measure purposefully, right? The the ROI when now we make a Web three AI and metaverse ecosystem here. What I heard, first of all, I heard from Radhika is R, okay, responsibility. We need to be responsible, no matter it's, you know, decentralized or particularly in a decentralized space, the AI needs to be decentralized, yet we need to be considered, you know, what's the impact creating, okay? We need to be limit the risk. Then the second thing, what we had the second R we hear was from Mariam, the relationship. Okay, although now we are building a tag space, but it needs to relate to the ultimate audience. What matters most is still a problem we must solve. We can't just randomly creating things. So then we must be more mindful of that. Then two I, what I heard, the first I, it, I heard from Anna, it's the, the convergence, okay? The I, not only just yourself, but as an investor or 
And we need to understand how things converge now from a business perspective, what Emma said, instead of only looking at the dollar sign, but looking at the over, overall picture. Then the fourth I, uh, the fourth or the second I, I heard the point from Marie is the impact, okay? When we look at ROI, must we look at the impact, okay? P particularly, for example, I guess, when we look at investors, they will look at our dollar sign, right? But still, we can also choose our investors, I may propose, instead of we urge others to invest in us, we also select purposely aligned investors when we run our business. So then we can run the ROI, not only one return on investment, but return on engagement, return on experience for Web3, Metaverse, and AI business to evolve. It needs to solve a problem that exists in the market, have a potential to be viable, and most importantly, when all five of us align, what I heard is the ecosystem, all right? How sustainable your business is will depends on how sustainability it is to impact. Like what previous man, um, uh, speaker said, uh, Dr. Shark, it's the UN SDG goals, right? When you build your business, also think about sustainability, not only the business to sustain, but the whole planet to sustain. And then like what Maryam said, then the humanity as a whole can benefit. I hope that um, summarize what we five have said in this panel. Gracie, How that is amazing. Up. Thank you so much. You summarized it, I mean, absolutely beautifully on behalf of everyone there. And I'm going to thank you all and bring in our gorgeous Saha for the next round. Bless you all. Thank you. Purposeful measurement. Saha. Thanks, Susan. Yeah, it was a great, great discussion. So now, without further ado, I will take you over to our next topic, which is going to be presented by Daniela Marqui, who is the CEO of Cineteca Studio One of Mexico's most reputable, creative and tech-savvy agile studios, which has produced high-impact content for well-known filmmakers, brands and artists all across the world. So please join me in welcoming Daniela. Thank you very much. And over to you, Daniela. Hello. Hello, can you, can you hear me? Yes. yes, we can hear you. You're a little bit low, but we can hear okay, you. Okay, so I will try my best. Okay, let's see. What about now? Yeah, it's good. We just need you to take your presentation to full screen and then we'll be good to go. Yes, yes, I will in a second. Great. Let's stop the music. <laughs> So first of all, I wanted to say that I'm very happy to be after the panel of wonderful women, and mainly they talk about ROI, and they talk about ROI of engagement and sustainability and the new generations, and all of that is very, very connected to 3D. So I'm very happy to be after them. So everything will make much more sense. So thank you for helping me explaining the importance of 3D um, uh, nowadays. So my name is Daniela, Daniela Malki. I'm also a metaverse and NFT specialist, but of course, as you introduced me, I'm the CEO of Cinetica Studio. And we are talking about the 3D as the backbone of the metaverse. So when we think about 3D, I wanna provide you with three reasons why to implement 3D in your life. 
So first of all, 3D content creates a much more intuitive interaction model for humans. So if we think about it, when we, let's say we purchase something online. So we go to, to the uh, website and then we scroll, scroll, scroll up and down, up and down. Then we find what we want, we put on the cart and we pay. Now, what if we take you to, uh, to the Gucci or to the Nike store on Roblox? The experience when your avatar is trying on the things and then you don't need to even go to a card and then pay because the system already recognizes you. So that's a much more immersive, um, immersive space and you are much more uh, prone to actually like it and buy more. The second thing is that 3D brings realism and now by realism, we understand a similarity to real life. I'm not sure this is going to be forever, but at least for our generations, 3D brings that realism that actually will affect you more when it comes to online experiences. And the third thing is that 3D content will boost engagement. And everyone today is actually trying to, um, to get the attention of people and retain them more and actually convert, uh, convert them into buyers, let's say. So 3D will help you with that. Now, we already see a lot of 3D uh, in our life. We have the virtual beings or the digital twins as we know them. Let's say, for example, here on the picture, we have Ima, who is a Japanese digital model. So digital characters exist entirely in the digital domain, but they actually live in that space and we get to know each other through interactions. It could be social media, it could be advertising, it could be streaming. And today the technology is there. So today we can see like Ima, Ima is very hyper-realistic. Now, it wasn't always like that, but today the technology is right there and we can have avatars that are hyper-realistic and we can just sometimes even not distinguish between a real human and an, a 3D avatar. And another way that the, the digital avatars use to actually interact in a more natural way is motion capture. So on the Second picture, you will see myself uh, wearing that motion capture suit. So every movement that I will make, the avatar will make it. So th that's the way that today we are uh, implementing to actually have those avatars that are very human. And as I said, at least in our generation, we are connecting much more with realism than with uh, cartoonish, let's say. Another um, way where we see for sure 3D are immersive experience. I know the Van Gogh, for example, uh, immersive experience was all, was all around the world. So immersive and spatial experiences provide context and awareness. The, our environment that replicate the physical space, the objects and the interaction and allow us, us as users to feel like our, we are present in a digital uh, world. So, the picture that I chose, uh, I'm not sure if you recognize it, but that's actually the, uh, the Vega sphere. It's a new sphere that is, I will say is, is a monument for the new uh, content generation era. So I brought some numbers just for you to know um, about this sphere. 
This food costs 2.3 billion to make. It's the world's largest LED screen. It's about 100 times uh, clearer than HDTV. It has over 160,000 speakers, 366 foot tall, and it has a capacity of about 17,000 people. And that sphere, you can, you can uh, see it from the outside, but in the inside, just imagine that amazing space where you can hold events. And recently the launch was with YouTube. So it was, it was actually amazing to see and is the new generation of content creation. Now, another place where we will see is of course the 3D devices and apps. And I think that 2023 was the year because even uh, like Meta, uh, just announced the 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 quest three the quest three and we had Apple with the Vision Pro and I also added here a picture and you might think this is a picture of my daughter's room but no this is a picture actually that I took from um, Unreal Engine Marketplace and you see it's very realistic so the level of details that we can get it's incredible. Uh, for those that are familiar on real engine, well, we say that the world is divided into two, like those developers that are using Unreal Engine and those that are using Unity. And some people will say also Roblox because they have their own engine. But the truth is that those three engines are amazing. And they're providing us with the, they allow us actually to create, to play, to enjoy, to connect. And, and this is a beautiful era for, for 3D. Now I wanted to bring some use cases just just for everyone to also uh, be much more aware next time of uh, 3D, and so let's let's play the videos. I hope they have no sound, so you will be able to to listen to them. So Nike, of course, they bought the well, they acquired Artifact, which is um, Digital Sneaker Studio, and they are making a lot of um, a lot of projects related to that. One of the last was the Dash Swash, which is like their community for co-creating at night. And they provided to the, to the holders the digital uh, sneakers so they could the, the, the holders could actually change the colors and everything by themselves. So it, it was like a customization utility. I brought also an example of um, someone that has a, like an influencer that has uh, her avatar on Roblox. Let's see what she purchases. Well, one sec, one sec. Here is again Nike, but let's see what, why it's not uh, going to the second one. Okay, we will jump into that later. So um, here we have the Squid Game. I think everyone uh, know them. Um, here's another example that I wanted to bring. So we had where Warner came, us, uh, came to us and they said, we want to start producing music videos. Um, on 3D. So this is actually, that was a, 
a singer that we made the avatar for her and then we put the suit on and she danced and actually what we did is having is making the the music video entirely on unreal engine so she was in two different worlds she draw um, a car she danced she, she did everything but actually it was everything done in in 3d um and that is very connected to sustainability and also this commercial that we did for Corona, which is a large uh, beverage company in, in South America. So they actually asked us to combine live action with 3D because they wanted to rebrand a beverage for the gen, uh, gen set. So that's what we did. We combined the both. And of course, we brought values for, uh, of the new generation. As you can see, like it's, this is um, a, a woman that is that is uh, that is falling in love with a man, and she's she's like all over her head, what what I'm going to do, whatever, whatever. And then uh, we made a, an entire story about that, and we combine live action with uh, 3D. Let's see another example. So this is the one that I wanted to show with you to show you is an influencer that has the avatar Roblox and she bought a Gucci bag, a virtual one, but then Gucci also did this digital uh, strategy, marketing strategy, I would say, and they also um, had it on the real world. So it's the digital because it's physical and digital. So she bought both. She bought the real one and she bought the uh, virtual one. Let's see another example. We have been talking about this for a long time, but this is a brain that is 3D rendered and we have many experts actually studying it and it could be in a live um, surgery, it could be just for studying as the new video that we will see. This is for education, of course, that we have been talking about this for a long time, but I also wanted to put that in here because it's becoming a reality in many, many universities, universities around the world. This is Odiverse. I brought that in purpose uh, because this is a, a metaverse with small m that was that has been developed for like 15 years and as, as you can see it's not it's not like perfect like i can see many things and perhaps not the best pictures but i wanted to bring that up because it's, it's challenging 3d is challenging here we are seeing uh the vision pro and the try on that many 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 uh brands are already implementing all this is um is possible thanks to 3d and this is another influencer uh code miko in this case she's playing around with her avatar in real life and this is this is possible thanks to um engines that are working on real life and i think this is the last example of course we everyone loves the 3d billboards or at least i i love them and this is interesting because when you're thinking about um, publicity or, or how many 
how many times are we aware of all the billboards that are around us? Not, not too often, but if we see a billboard that is 3D and, and, and it's completely amazing like this one, we will actually stop and watch. And that's exactly what, uh, what are we looking for. Now, I wanted, I wanted to, um, to talk about sustainability for a second. I, I didn't plan it, but I wanted to do it. I wanna do it just because uh, we had the conversation before. So we had, um, in the last month, we have two big companies. Uh, they came to us and they said that they are starting um, implementing like their sustainability comprehensive strategy plan uh, also in, um, in the production department. So they came to us actually to replace live action and shootings and so on. So we are working with them uh, to understand what what the scope, of course, of the of the of the projects, and help them with the sustainability um, efforts. So three D is actually also a, a a I will say a tool, but it's also like a, um, a resource that you can use to be compliant and uh, with, with the sustainability um, efforts. So um, I, wanna, I, want you, I want you like to bear in mind that without 3D in mind, we are actually describing the current world. So every time we think about innovating, about connecting better with new generations, please have 3D in mind. And many people think that it's not affordable, but that's not that's not true. Like we we you will have uh, the first perhaps on your first project you will have to put some uh, budget in, but then you will save a lot of money throughout the, the years. A, a small example: um, we had uh, this music video that we made, and we actually created already all the three D assets. Right, so we have the avatar, we have everything, like the the the, uh, the prompts, we have the virtual worlds, we have created everything. Now, what that they are doing is they they took that material to the marketing team, and the marketing team is making is like is having a lot of um, material to work for for years, because they already have a three D virtual world, they already have the avatars, so that's it. You don't need any anything more. So at the beginning, yes, you invested in creating all those digital assets, but then you have them forever and it's yours, it's your IP. Okay, so the four takeaways, the first is that 3D sets Web3 apart from Web2. The, the second thing is that 3D content is uh, more intuitive and it will improve engagement. The third one is that 3D is affordable today and becomes even more, more accessible in the future. And, and the fourth one is that uh, 3D resonates with new customer values. And I think those are four reasons and enough reasons for everyone to have 3D in mind the next time that is producing something or thinking about a project. So thank you very much. And thank you very much for the, for thank you very much to the Shaper community, MetaShaper community and to Susan and to uh, Cheryl and to Andrea and to everyone. And Sahar, thank you for being the moderator here. Again, thank we can connect so much, with my LinkedIn. That was fascinating. I mean, 
honestly, the, the cases, the examples, the visuals, everything was just so inspiring and nourishing, not, not for the eyes, but the senses and the brain. And we've got some really great feedback on chat as well. So thank you for all that food for thought. I will definitely be looking them up. Um, thank you very much. Let's connect. Yeah, big thanks. So um, next, I would like to invite you all to look at the chat because I have posted in a couple of links in there to um, further reading if you would like to discover a little bit more about 3D in the metaverse. And I would like to start passing over to the wonderful Dr. Annalisa Boyson calling in from the east coast of the USA. Um, she is an economist, a global citizen, and one of the top 100 women of the future in emerging tech in 2023. So we are in very good company. She's also founder um, and architect of Your Global Village, and I will be posting links after her discussion uh, now. So Annalisa, over to you. Thank you so much, Sahar. Um, delighted to be here, everybody. And um, just maybe a little bit more of a elaboration on what uh, Sahar said. I've lived and worked in nine different countries in the world, and that kind of does something to you. Uh, first and foremost, it gave me a real appreciation for the value of community when it comes to adapting to change. And that's why I appreciate being part of this global meta shapers community, because you just simply get so many different perspectives. Um, but it's also the reason why our uh, business community, your global village, exists. It was because of that really good understanding that community is necessary for us to move forward. So my experiences have given me a huge respect for small businesses as the drivers of the economy on the ground. And that's why I see myself as a chief advocate for small businesses in the Web3 and the Metaverse era to ensure that they too can benefit from it. So before I get started, Sahar, let me just double check with you. My uh, screen is sharing. We're good to go. Yes? Yes, all good to go. We can see your screen. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you very much. All right, so everybody, so when it comes to business strategy, no matter, no matter the size of the business, it really is essential to factor in changing trends. And Web3 certainly falls into that category. So what is Web3? You've already heard a lot about it from the previous speakers, and I will build on that. So as you already know, Web3 is a vision of the next iteration of the internet, an internet with new qualities. Decentralization is a core theme, which means that bringing ownership uh, into the conversation now gets center stage. So while Web3 is used as a catch-all term to convey this concept, I believe it actually consists of three elements. First, it embraces the concept of human agency. Second, of course, technology is a big part of Web3. And third, Web3 is also a mindset that shows up as a philosophy of how to think about the world. So let's start with agency. Agency is a sociology term that refers to self-determination of having the capacity to influence the outcome and making a difference to a social result. And I believe the ownership internet, though the Web3 internet that we're talking about, enables us to do exactly that. Web3 is, of course, also about technology. 
And as you can see, several technologies and concepts form the Web3 ecosystem. They all enhance privacy, they promote decentralization, and they empower the individual user. And as a subset of this broader ecosystem, uh, you'll find immersive virtual experiences. Now, it must be noted, it can share the Web3 principles, but in some cases, it does not. But we have included in, it in here as a subset of the broader ecosystem. Web3 is also a point of view. When we talk about agency, it has an individual focus. Tech enables the individual to have control and influence. Yet it is an individualism that does not come from self-centeredness, I believe. It is rather an individualism that aims to reclaim responsibility for the self and then use that to participate in creating a social outcome. And in that, I believe that is where the core philosophical change is. Web3 recognizes everyone as contributors which means in Web3, competition makes way for collaboration. Community becomes home because of the shared interests, but also because of the contribution opportunities. In Web3 communities, it isn't about being a follower anymore. Community means being a participant. So now that we're clear about what Web3 is, let's turn to the next question. How does Web3 become a business strategy? It is helpful to once again to break it down. In general terms, business has three focus areas. First, it is about sustaining the business to make sure it adapts to changing times and remain relevant in the market. Second area is business development and growing the business. And third, delivering on the customer promise through operations. Now, Web3 can be used in all three of these areas. So let me take you into your global village to show you how we are doing it. We're a Web3-aligned global business community to gather in a virtual village that draws its inspiration from a medieval walled city. And taking the Web3 framework that I just mentioned to you and applying it to the village, this is how agency shows up in the village. Those who join our business community mostly come because they don't want to be left behind. They see themselves as pioneers taking responsibility for shaping and owning the future. Through this, they are sustaining their businesses. This is what two of our village residents said. They are business owners in Colombia and they made it very clear they want to stay relevant. Our residents also aren't just visitors to a site. The village is their home. Through participation, they co-created it, and now they have a stake in it. They also earn village tokens based on their engagement. With this, they can purchase promotions. And future plans include a virtual homeowners association with voting rights and revenue opportunities for all. Now, this is an example of the dashboard that we prepare for each of our residents, which shows, amongst other things, how many engagement tokens they have earned. This is the dashboard of a business owner in South Africa. In the village, we believe in impact through entrepreneurship, and we've just heard a lot about impact. 
And for us, it's a true belief that while you spend time in a virtual world, you can never ever forget about the real world. And that is why we link whatever happens in the virtual village to improving the quality of life of someone or something in the real world. So with every engagement, we are remedying, remedying an inequality of some description, one action at a time by linking it to what is happening in our virtual reality space. So this is our impact house, which is also in the village, where we measure how much we are contributing to equalizing the world through our actions. The mural at the back depicts the stories we are rewriting. And the tree in the front gets decked out with tokens in the form of leaves, showcasing our collective impact in the world. So that was agency in the village. So next, we are going to look at technology and how do we use technology in this business community? Each of our village residents are, is using tech to reposition themselves to remain in the game. Our previous speaker has spoken a lot about the importance of 3D, and that is why our residents are doing that as well. They are actually learning how to do business in interactive 3D. And it starts with each resident having their own merchant house that serves as their virtual place of business and is custom designed to reflect their brand story in 3D. So here are a few of them just to show you what they look like. To grow their businesses, we help our residents to systematically build out not just a customer journey, but also an immersive customer journey. So for example, a village resident with a business operating from Kenya offers this physical pin for sale. This pin will soon be linked to an augmented reality experience that gathers people into a mental well-being community where they are supported. This experience is part of a comprehensive immersive customer journey that we are developing for her. This is it and this is her five-year plan. Our residents are also introducing Web3 technologies into their businesses to gain the operational edge. Now we've heard of a lot of different technologies here today and one by one, we are bringing them into their businesses. And we help them to track where exactly they are implementing the technologies in their businesses and very importantly, with what results. So that was technology. And then we go on to the final element of Web3, which is philosophy. So how does philosophy of Web3 feature in the village? First of all, we've created a learning community. As I've mentioned, uh, we introduce our residents to Web3 te technologies, um, introducing them to the basics, and then how do they implement this into their businesses. But after the training, they then start experimenting and soon they are learning from each other. Now that is effective hands-on learning. That is, this is what another of our residents um, had to say. He has a business based in Malaysia and he really has great appreciation for the fact that he is in a learning community and that he can get feedback and also be inspired about what other people are doing. Now, when it comes to growing their businesses, the Web3 philosophy of collaboration plays a very big role 
in the village. We host speed collaborations where the entire village gathers around one resident to find business opportunities. And this is our virtual long table on the terrace of the village cafe where we meet once a month for a speed collaboration. And then lastly, our residents work on business strategies that make room for the audiences and customers to be part of the story, building communities beyond the transaction and creating experiences where the audience can choose their own adventure. So for example, the sliding doors at the back of this merchant house, which belongs to a business owner in the USA, is the entry to a planned virtual reality experience where you can choose your own investment adventure. And this merchant house for the business owners in the Netherlands will create a participating experience with water for their clients. In both of these merchant houses, the business owners are bringing in the Web3 principle of participation. Web3 is not a static implementation. It transforms every part of the business as it flows and lubricates each part with new tech, human agency, and a philosophy of collaboration and community. So here in your global village, we're using virtual reality to make Web3 a reality. And we're constantly weaving in more Web3 elements into village life. So you've seen how we use the Web3 elements, but you might be asking yourself, so what value would Web3 have for my business? What would it add to my business? This is how. You gain customer trust through transparency and giving them control over the data. Fees are reduced because there is no need for intermediaries. For example, peer-to-peer -peer payments using crypto. Smart contracts and transparent supply chains bring operational efficiency. It even opens financing opportunities through decentralized finance, which allows for borrowing and lending, and it feeds innovation. Open source is a key part of Web3, which provides opportunities for collaboration. But these are almost technical side notes to the real benefit of Web3. The value it adds to your business, in one word, is relationships. Web3 recasts your relationship with your customer because it makes it possible to create much deeper connections. It moves us away from loyalty programs to get things, and instead, we have communities that want to be part of something that is bigger. Your community becomes your co-creators and your advocates. Through digital assets and engagement, they become co-owners with a voice and who are invested in your success. And herein lies the biggest benefit. Your community becomes emotionally attached to your brand. And that is very difficult to duplicate by competitors, which means you have, are gaining the competitive edge. This is a long-term relationship that runs both ways. And if you are a small business, Web3 is particularly good news because this type of relationship building isn't just for those with deep pockets. And this is exactly what I've shown you in your global village. Our residents join to be part of something bigger, the shaping of the future of business and making a difference in the world. They are co-creators, bringing their ideas of what this community needs. They're staunch advocates. 
the more they engage, the more value they add because they contribute to the village conversations and learnings. They have a voice, and that is how they co-create the village culture. And the more they do, the more vested they become. This is as much their village as it is mine, the creator. My success becomes their success, and they actively advise when asked on next steps to ensure more success. And through digital assets, they become renters who will soon become virtual property owners. And in that also lies revenue streams for them. And I believe it is not a stretch to say that our community is emotionally attached to the village. That connection will be very difficult to duplicate. And this isn't a short-term play. This is a long-term relationship that run, runs both ways. Some of our residents reckon that they will never leave. That is as good as it gets. And that is what Web3 enables you to do. And that is available to any business. So to conclude, we've dived into the details of Web3, but where does it fit into the bigger scheme of things? We need to turn to history for that. For a very long time, the written word was the privilege of only the upper classes because producing it was a very long and painstaking process. Now, fast forward to today, where it only takes seconds to have the printed word in your hand. And between those two points in time, something significant happened. The Gutenberg Press was invented, allowing the printing of multiple copies of a book within a day. That made the printed word more readily available to everyone, and it started a quiet transformation of society. For example, that was the reason why we have a middle class today. Now, some might, monks might have been in denial, but things changed slower in those days. There was time to adjust. From the Gutenberg Press to today was about 500 years. So let's take a look at more recent times. Web3 was mentioned for the very first time in 2013. By 2033, we will without a doubt see a much more mature Web3 with a transformed internet. And between those two points in time, something else happened that was significant. AI went mainstream putting all the knowledge of the world in the hands of everyone. And different technologies are also maturing and converging, making more possible. This point here is another Gutenberg press moment in history that is changing the trajectory. We'll need to reorganize life around this new reality as well. We don't have to wait 500 years to see this change though, probably only 10, and that means we don't have a few generations to ease into it. Life is changing around us much faster than what the monks saw. And if you're a business owner, this is something to take on board because you don't want to be the monk in denial while the rest of the world has changed around you. You can't afford it because you will fade into the background while the rest of the world embraces Web3 and everything it entails. That's why enterprises, big and small, should and must have Web3 as a business strategy, because that is the future of business. And I'm going to leave you with a summary. Four things to take away. Web3 is about agency and collaboration. Tech enables it. Successful web strategies are infused. They're not added on. And the big value of Web3 is a deep customer relationship. And please don't be the monk in denial. 
you are going to miss out. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Dr. Annalisa. My goodness, that was visually stimulating, but also I know that a lot of the meta shapers are already on your global village and have had incredibly positive experiences and have nothing but great things to say about it. So I urge you on all to check the chat and look at the links that I posted for more info and please visit your global village because it's, um, it's next level stuff. And um, I think the also the, the key takeaways are about how real relationships can really be enriched through that and how there's so much um, change and community that's coming out of it, which is music to my ears because the, uh, the quality of community is very important. We talk about community a lot when it comes to Web3 and the metaverse, but I think quality is, is something that cannot be denied. So thank you very much. Thank you, Zaha. Um, so now I will be passing you on to the next section facilitator, a metashaper himself called Emmanuel, who needs no further introduction. I will let him do the talking. Please welcome Emmanuel. Thank you, Sahar. Uh, actually, like the introduction is always welcome, but it's it's fine. No, uh, I've been a metashaper. I, I will. I want to say that almost from the beginning, but. Um, I didn't have the chance or the luck to meet Charat before, but as soon as I knew about his existence, I just took a taxi and I went to meet him in person. And it was one of the most insightful uh, meetings. And since then, I'm part of Meta Chaper. So first, I want to do a big shout out to, to Charat and, and say thank you for, for giving me the opportunity to participate here. So guys, I'm going to be running this section. Uh, in this section, I'm going to be presenting four participants. Um, um, I don't like to deliver bad news, but the bad news is that we're running a little bit uh, out of the schedule. So we are going to be reduced. The speakers have already got informed. And yeah, I got pretty lucky because I got the opportunity to introduce, I don't want to say my nemesis, but it's my nemesis. So uh, I don't know if, if Jimmy is here, yeah, Jimmy is here. So I want to say that is my nemesis. That is a healthy competition. So let's say that he might be the favorite person of Sherrod um, in the world. He's he's personally a genius. I respect him a lot. I respect his knowledge, especially around AI. And um, yeah, so this is Jimmy Vikov, and he's going to be coming and talking about. He's going to start to talk about how AI is influencing the society and uh, he's making more uh, fair fair living for the humans. But yeah, thank you, Jamie. Jamie, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for the introduction, Emmanuel. I, lo I love you to pieces, buddy. I don't know where this, uh, this friend of me outfit came from. No, I do, it's fine. <laughs> just because your dad loves you, bro. That's just, that's, it's just that, but okay. Well, no, no, no. Yeah. Um, so, thank you so much for the, the introduction. Today I'm going to be talking about inclusive AI and how we can use it to advance social mobility in this space. Um, let me just click on here. So, those of you who haven't met me, hi, I'm Jamie Beaker Brett. My niece essentially comes from working with that intersection of people and technology. Um, really moving that between those diverse spheres and disciplines in order to be able to come up with a unique perspective of where the technological intersection is. Um, 
I want to acknowledge the start this presentation by acknowledging that our current inequality happens because our economic models have inequality baked into them. And I'm going to try and contextualize it in the best way that I've ever seen um, that describes it in a way that I think will make sense to the most amount of people. So, this Jamie, is, uh, this is Susan. Hello, Jamie. Sorry about this. How are you? Susan oh, here. Just popping in. Um, we've got some comments in chat and my audio, it sounds a little bit tinny and low. So yeah. could you just ramp up the volume a tad? We want to hear you. Yes. Uh, much better. Much better already. Way better. Okay. That one, yeah. I'm just looking for I've got my webcam in front of the thing. Um, and here we go. It's good now, Jamie. Off you go. Amazing. That's perfect. Um, so, yeah, the the essentially we're um, this is the best way that I found to be able to kind of explain this, which is Thomas Piketty's formula. He's a renowned economist, um, and essentially it's quite a simple way of being able to look at it. Maybe a bit reductive, but definitely a useful perspective, which is R is greater than E, which is that the return on investment is greater than the growth of the economy. And the implication of this is that wealth generally tends to be transferred from the majority to those who have capital to be able to invest, which exacerbates income inequality. So if you have capital to invest, you're about seven to 14 times more like, uh, you're likely to get seven to 14 times percentage increase on your return on investment, whereas the growth of the economy is about 3% every year. Essentially, if the re return on investment is significantly greater than the growth of the economy, then the wealth transfer is going from the economy, which most of us sit in, to those with capital to invest. The equation really becomes R minus E when the majority of us sit in E. So you might feel that this equation is a bit reductive, but it's been accurate for the 20 countries that Piketty did analysis on. So what kind of world does that create? I'm going to look at this from the UK, from where I'm based, uh, and particularly from a point of view of looking at a younger generation. I started off my, my career as a youth worker for a charity that supported me when I was a teenager. It means at the moment that 13% of full-time employees are in poverty. That's about, about a tenth of the full-time working population. That's Three in 10 children were in poverty on the eve of the pandemic. So this was before the pandemic. And if you're in a metropolitan city like London, that's actually four in 10. Uh, there's been a 10 billion pound reduction on social security spending uh, on children over the last decade from 2019 to 2020. 45% um, of young people have experienced a mental health issue. 56% of young people express that they feel constantly anxious. 46% of young people feel that economic uncertainty makes them hopeless about the future, and that rises to 55% among those from poorer backgrounds. 20% of children and young people um, commence treatment within four weeks of the referral to mental health services. So in the UK, there's a target that if a young person is experiencing a mental health crisis, they should be seen within four weeks. That was only the case for 20% of young people. In some parts of the country, the mental health waiting list 
is over a year long. So you can imagine a young person going through a mental health crisis and then having to wait over a year to be able to see psychological support. 3.8 million individuals suffer from chronic loneliness, aka feeling lonely all the time. And that figure has gone up by 6% since 2020, since the beginning of the pandemic, showing a persistence of that elevated levels of loneliness since the pandemic. So let's start to introduce technology into this picture. That was our oversight of our, our inequality baked into our world. Let's start to have an idea about where technology is fitting into this and how it's starting to make up for some of the shortcomings and gaps in our society. In June of this year, something that I thought was a long way off happened, uh, particularly considering our AI capabilities, that AI was going to be seen largely as being centered around productivity and business applications. However, a surprising trend is that AI is increasingly being used for companionship, surpassing its role in content creation. So in June, it surpassed levels of content creation in terms of usage. And we can see that in studies such as Replica, which is an AI companionship um, application. Essentially, what it does is it was introduced as an AI companion that cares. So what we saw was they, they had an AI companion that people were able to talk to, and it was able to engage people in things like erotic role plays. And what happened is they had to change the algorithm. The Italian Data Protection Authority changed the regulations around how AIs were allowed to interact with people, particularly when it comes to sexualization. So therefore, they changed the, the dynamic of that relationship, which caused users who were utilizing it a deep emotional pain that they likened to losing a close friend or romantic partner due to sudden changes in the application's responses. This start meant that users of the application started sharing mental health support uh, services because they were having an experience that they were making as akin to a breakup. This really highlights the significant emotional bond between humans and AI and the potential fallout from abrupt changes. There is a growing emotional dependency on AI companionship that brings forth a lot of ethical questions and challenges. And this indicates a deeper societal issue of loneliness and the need for humans to have that kind of interaction. So we need to look at how we can balance that coexistence, coexistence between human and AI interactions while promoting a healthy digital boundary. Now, AI has started fulfilling this human need for companionship. And what we're starting to think about is the need to educate individuals on the complexity of these digital interactions. Can the digital landscape evolve and how can we ensure that human essence remains valued and central to the relationship building process. Um, and I'm gonna give you an example. If you think that all of this is very far-fetched out there, well then why don't you come and talk to me about it? I've got an AI that's trained on my digital footprint, that's trained on all of anything that I've posted online that you can have a conversation with that's designed as a cognitive digital twin to respond with patterns that I have in speech and information that I've put out there. So come and have a word, oh, come and have a word. It's on AI for 
It's really not that far from the future. It's already here. So this leads to a question that I didn't think you thought we were going to go down in this talk, which is, uh, do we want AI to raise the next generation? And I know that wasn't what you were expecting. Um, and I know there's going to be a huge new jerk reaction to people listening to this who's going to go, no, I definitely don't want that. But the truth is, digital devices have already started filling in for this inadequacies that we have as human beings in our societies. We are substituting the shortfall in our time and resources in raising children, even with children being raised by digital devices. I can show you the stats around it. But children between eight and 10 years old, on average, spend about six hours daily screen time. For children between 11 and 14, that's gone up to nine hours. This is at such a pinnacle point in human development. And a lot of it is being substituted with this digital interaction. That goes slightly down for between 15 and 18 years old. And what's going to surprise you all is the these figures and statistics do not include the time that's spent on digital devices as part of educational purposes either. This is purely within leisure time. So maybe human beings aren't doing such a great job at being human. And what we need to think about is what that means for our society and what does that mean from a social mobility perspective. So I did what anyone would do within this situation. I asked an AI for the pros and cons of AI raising our children. So what we could see is we've got some, when we look at the pros, we've got consistency, we've got customized learning, being able to tailor it to the individual, being available 24 seven, anytime, any device, anywhere. Um, we can program in societal values. We can broaden educational horizons, give you ex access to expertise that you would never had before continuous uh, health oversight, making sure that everything's being monitored. Obviously, some of the cons being the lack of human interaction and over-reliance, some ethical concerns, you know, raising questions around who decides, who programs in the values, um, privacy concern, that loss of a child-parent bond, um, economic impact of, of uh, childcare being done by artificial intelligence, and the loss of family and cultural values um, from generation to generation. So I think it's really important that we start by going, how on earth did we end up here? Uh, if we're going to understand where we're going, it's important to recognize how we got here. Now, my perspective from this and, and from the research that I've done is very much a case of the Industrial Revolution persuaded us to view ourselves as part of an economy rather than as part of a society. At the turn of the Industrial Revolution, we built schools, institutions that gave people skills, education, structure, and a mindset that they needed to participate in the digital work in the industrial workforce. We defined what it meant to be human in that era. And that definition really is a human algorithm. How do we fit in as human beings within that space? So we created schedules, we mirrored machine operations, we, we put in standardized texting, uh, testing, we aimed for this uniform output, we praised conformity. And I've always looked at this, that if a doctor treated every patient with the same prescribed diagnosis and medication, it would be considered malpractice. But when we treat every student with the same methods of learning and testing, instead of tailoring it to individual needs, we call that education. 
And that meant that there wasn't really room for creativity, exploration and self-expression. We treated human beings like machines. Job titles became identities. And this meant that we molded individuals into fit into predefined roles and systems. And the legacy of this industrialization and, and what it's brought is that we've emerged from this as a society that has machine-like routine for human lives. And ironically, the tasks that are simple, repetitive, and largely text-based are the sweet spot for AI systems. The human experience should not be the same as a machine algorithm. We're going to need to stop treating people like machines because quite frankly, you're not going to be able to compete with something that is available anytime, any device, anywhere, that it's capable for doing things in a fraction of a time for a fraction of the cost. We can't keep giving people this industrial education when they're participating in a digital economy. Where this is a failure is because in a digital economy, machines are better at machining than people. So we need to cultivate a society and an economy where people are better than peopling than machines. And this is going to be a shift that transitions us from machine-like routines to fostering human-centric values and systems. We need to embrace the essence of humanity, which is around creativity, empathy, and individuality. We won't participate in a digital economy the same way that we did in an industrial one. The value of a person in a digital society is what makes them a person. I always remember Dr. Who quote, um, which is that human progress isn't measured by industry, it's measured by the value you put on a life, an unimportant life, a life without privilege. Their value is your value, and that's what defines an age. So let's start to get into some of this technical nitty gritty of, of utilizing AI as an equalizer. So it's really important that we look at this as a way that progress is in progress if it's always the same people benefiting from the inception of new technology. We have to make it in a way that's equitable, that advances humanity rather than advances individuals. So let's dig into this in more detail. When we're looking at technology and we're looking at the implementation of technology, we're looking at barriers to participation. What stops someone from being able to participate fully within society. Now, this generally falls into these six categories and I don't wanna spend a time going through all of them, but if you wanted to take a screen cap, I'll give enough time to be able to do it. But these are the six areas that I would identify when we're looking at barriers to participation, be that attitudes that stop someone participating, technology or access to technology, um, financial implications of being able to participate, social aspects of being able to participate, enablement, being able to make sure that people have access to the right training or support or resources, and policy, what, what laws do we have in place that stop people participating? But what we can do is see how something like AI can be, can help advance humanity from this perspective. So AI can be trained in a way to mitigate discriminatory attitudes based on biases and social media, um, or hiring processes. So we can use it to be able to mitigate against human biases. We can use it as a way to advance digital literacy needs and to help people with the pace of learning to be able to make sure that it's tailored towards them. We can make sure that it's used to be able to give the, those who are most in need the benefits and the resources they need to participate. 
we can connect individuals with similar experiences using AI, fostering these supportive communities. We can make sure we tailor that education and pace in order to be able to make sure that everybody has access to what they need to be able to do in order to participate, and also to be able to be critical of policies and empower individuals on their participation. So the times, they are changing. Uh, 90% of BOS businesses say that having access to, uh, being able to use ChatGPT is an, a plus for job seekers. It's the most employable skill of 2023. Three million people are going to be impacted by jobs, uh, by the AI displacing people from their workplaces. So it's going to be a huge case of 25% of the US, uh, US, sorry, the global workforce being substituted by AI or seeing some degree of automation in their role by 2030. So I think it's really important as we go through this that we start to remember why we went on this technological journey in the first place. And the first thing is to remember that we stand on the shoulders of giants, that knowledge passed on from generation to generation. Surely the whole point of advancing our technological capabilities was to spend more time doing the things that we found meaningful for the benefit and advancement of all humanity. Yet those advancements have actually meant that we're working harder for longer for less than ever before. Somewhere along the line, we've lost sight of why we started this journey in the process. The human superpower is being hyper-social and imaginative. We, we've been able to create tribes. We've been able to create uh, stories that connect us all together. And this allows us to collaborate in these bigger units. Even here today, we are talking online through sound and light um, because of those technological advancements. So we need to reimagine how our economics work within the 21st century. We have to accommodate for a reduction in human labor in the workforce, particularly by doing, particularly where the, the case is that it's done better by machines. So we need to think about how we can essentially uh, stop uh, the rapid advancement around AI that poses a threat to, to humans and automation, uh, to human participation, um, has the opportunity to enhance productivity, but it can also lead to economic and social crises if we're unable to adapt to this in time. It's important that we find a balance between utilizing AI for its benefits while also ensuring that humans are not left behind in the process. In order to do this, we have to consider things like universal basic income, um, making sure that people have access to a certain standard of living, being able to make sure that there is money going in our economy because you have to uh, mitigate against the fact that you need less human labor in the workforce. And things like universal basic services. Um, Jamie. Yeah. Oh, believe, right. me, believe me, I, I'm super, super keen on this, but like, yeah, so, that's some, some like key, yeah, key elements before. That's not yeah. a problem. I will, I, will, I will step off there. So um, you. if, you know, from my perspective, if humanity fa fails to thrive in the digital era, it won't be down to our technological capabilities. It will be down to a failure imagination. It will stem from the inability to evolve our institutions, attitudes and behaviours and ironically, that inability to human will become our failure. So I'm going to move this on just a little bit to the wrap up bit that we've got here. Um, and I'm just going to put it on this last 
you never know until you do these things how long they're going to take yeah uh, i know <laughs> with so, this quality mate i wonder this is eternal but yeah <laughs> not a problem at all so look moving forward i want us to be able to think about that human-centric aspect of our ai capabilities and the evolution of our ai work if you want to be able to find out more about the work that i do um i've got a community called distributed republic where we have lots of resources on web3 the metaverse and ai we've got a conference coming up next week called virtual realms real reality um which is a free to join conference it's in a metaverse space uh, and we have 13 fantastic speakers limited tickets if you want to be able to get in and if you want to find out more about the work that i do you can go to beacoffbrett.net but thank you so much for your time, energy, participation. I hope you found this a very useful conversation. Jamie, we did. Uh, I want to congratulate you, mate, from all my heart. I'm <laughs> sorry for first of this. I want to be fully transparent. You're my favorite. <laughs> don't worry. Don't okay, worry. Like, sorry, for, sorry, sorry, everyone else. But like, I, I just have Let's a... Say that a just before my presentation, wait. Yeah. <laughs> I, I apologize that I, I have I have something when he talks about AI because I know that he puts a lot of heart and passion and obviously knowledge to like because we speak of the same. So it's like Jamie, thanks a lot. Um for our next presentation. Um still, Great job, Jamie. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm going to present actually a, like a top quality profile. Uh I will say worldwide. She she's uh, she's just something totally out of the norm. Um, she is she has two nationalities. One is from my favorite country to to be compliant in risk management. That is Switzerland, and the other one is from Morocco. Her name is Nara Sayard. I hope that I say the the her name uh, right. So she's a professor, a dean, and the head of ESG in Dubai. Mumbai, Singapore, and Sydney for the SP Jane School of Global Management. Um, she's going to come with us and share uh, some insightful information of how to build community capital in a proper compliant way. I hope that this is, a, this is my interpretation and how uh, online communities can um, incentive uh, a new economic uh, model. So Nara, thanks a lot for your time and I hope that that was a good intro for you. Yeah, thank you so much, Emmanuel. Um, I am very happy and excited to be here with you today presenting one of the topics that's very dear to my heart, actually my PhD dissertation back uh, in 2016 was about online communities. And I have been involved ever since in the topic, observing various communities, studying them, researching them, uh, and also teaching them um, through my digital marketing course. So um, uh, I'm going to be on a happy note. Uh, uh, Jamie scared you a little bit with AI and uh, you know how the world uh, is. Uh, is uh, we need to be concerned, but I have a lot of hope because communities uh, have um, a big potential to uh, solve uh, many of the global issues. So communities are not something new to humanity. They have existed uh, ever since humans existed. We are social animals. We have a need to be together. Uh, and we always had a need to come around uh, communities. Uh, 
with technology coming, uh, the concept of communities has evolved. So communities nowadays is no longer uh, just about people in your village or people in your neighborhood. Uh, you can have some communities around sports and going and exercise and, and, and uh, you know, doing some activities together. Uh, we can have communities around brands. So uh, Harley-Davidson was one of the first brands that um, was, um, uh, you know, having groups of communities going around their passion for the brand Harley-Davidson and uh, consuming these motorcycles around a subculture with some codes uh, of conduct. Porsche is also big on communities that started uh, physically, you know, going around and driving. And now they have an app where that they use to communicate around the Porsche, getting together um, uh, to, uh, to, to do driving. Uh, another community that's around a brand uh, that is very famous is the Weight Watchers community. Uh, that started just with ladies getting together trying to lose weight. And actually this community is so powerful that the Weight Watcher brand is using it now as one of the assets, one of the offerings of their uh, program. So people coming together, supporting each other, giving advice through an app now become part of the brand DNA. And Weight Watcher is not the only uh, brand that realized the importance of communities. Uh, it's also many brands now that consider that the future of consumption will be around the brand's abilities to build communities. Communities are not uh, always good for the brand and sometimes they can also harm the brand. So this is an example from the My Nutella community. So this is a very cute uh, photo of a, of a you know, a toddler, you know, with the Nutella. Um, so uh, brand owners love these kinds of, you know, community interaction with their brand. Uh, however, can you really control what people are going to say in the community? What if people that love Nutella starts posting things like this, my drug of choice, or they post things like this, associating a Nutella uh, with some satanic uh, pictures. So this is one of the biggest fears also uh, when Web2 started about building brand communities from managers, is this loss of control uh, and really giving the freedom to people to express uh, you know, their identities around the brand. But despite this, communities have to prove to be very powerful. And we always like uh, from Dubai, so I am based in Dubai, to give our own example of Huda Katan, that through her YouTube community, managed to turn a $6,000 loan into a billion dollar business, where uh, she was posting these videos and then decided to create her uh, own lashes, which uh, she had a hard time listing in Sephora, but the day of the opening, so many people were there to get that uh, those lashes. And now her dollar is a billion dollar brand. I see a lot of people being excited about Nutella <laughs> in the chat. So this is just to show you that whether it's from the tribe level to the subculture level, to the online level, that's 
a lot of things are not changing about the community. They're not changing because we are social animals. We humans, what we like, we like to be with each other. And COVID proved just that. COVID proved that people, when they stay alone and they are not uh, connected to each other, they can get depressed and they really need to interact and come together. So if you're thinking about building a community, and this is a research from a published article, um, what do you need to pay attention to? The first thing that is very important that you need, need to clarify is what is your shared consciousness gonna be around? What will bring people together? What is their common passion? What will be their weeness? How will they identify themselves and associate with each other? So a lot of people that I met throughout these years would like to build a community, but they don't, they want to do too many things and they miss out on really clarifying this weeness. We don't have this problem in the meta shapers community because we knew why we are together. We are passionate about um, Web3 and the metaverse and all the technology. And we know we want to come together around these, uh, this, this topic. The second thing that you need to build when it comes to the community is the rituals and the traditions. Um, the rituals and the traditions are very important into maintaining that culture and that interaction. Community can only exist if the members keep on interacting with each other. So, uh, and through these interactions, uh, members reproduce and transmit the meaning of the community. Um, and also they are able to safeguard uh, the codes of the community. So if somebody, a lot of the communities that I have been studied, uh, if somebody transgresses the rules of the community, um, you have a lot of members, they say, no, these are not our traditions. We don't do this. Please respect the rules of the community. And these are just members. Then you need moral responsibility. So you need to make sure to develop a sense of duty of your community members to each other. And how do you do that is by creating some value, creating some collective action. Uh, and this collective action allows you to, um, you know, build uh, a sense of moral responsibility because when you are doing a collective action, people are giving to each other some value. Uh, people are exchanging emotions, exchanging support, exchanging content. So the fact that this community is giving you um, expertise, knowledge, moral support, whatever the community is set out to do, uh, it makes you uh, re feel responsible to give back as well. But I will, I will show you later that not all the members will be at the same level. So make sure these three things are tackled for community building. So a lot of research has been done also about how can you sustain members' engagement in the community. So a lot of uh, the times we see that the community leader has a lot of energy and you know, triggers the community, people come together, but slowly the community dissolves and stops existing. Um, so if you want your community to sustain itself and not go through a stage of dormancy and disengagement, you need to make sure that the, 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 the members keep on uh, engaging through sharing, through learning, through co-developing, through advocating, through socializing. And the community leader needs to provide these opportunities 
without providing the control. Yes, you need to provide a frame through the rules of the community, but you cannot control how members interact with each other. You cannot control how members share with each other. So these are very important to stimulate these kinds of activities uh, and practices within the community to encourage people to be loyal, to connect emotional bond, build trust and commitment, and empower them sometimes to take action. Okay. When it comes to the community, another point that is very important is to realize that not all the members are going to be engaging at the same level. So I have met a lot of community owners. They say, well, you know, I'm doing all this work. I'm building my community, but people are not really interacting. They're not really engaging. Uh, why is X and Y and Z not posting? Um, so you have to understand that everybody uh, is not going to contribute at the same level. So members who have a strong social tie to the community uh, will be contributing more than the ones with the weak social tie. And the other thing that's very important is uh, the centrality of the purpose of the community. For example, an insider will be the highest contributor. An insider would be somebody that would come and that will act as an expert uh, within the community and will provide uh, expert advice, support each other, will be very engaged and will be uh, will create this uh, hierarchy level within the community, implied hierarchy level, uh, and they will be considered as the, um, the root of the community. On the opposite side, you have the tourists, all right? So the tourist is just here to take a look around and to see what's going on. Uh, these people will not necessarily contribute. Uh, they will just come and see and then read and maybe benefit from the things that this community has to offer, uh, but they will not really be engaged. But uh, these tourists can move. They can move to uh, insiders with time and interaction and have a higher status. So this is just to reassure those who have a community or are trying to build a community, it's perfectly normal to have a mix of all these profiles depending on their social ties and uh, the extent to which the purpose of this community is important to them. So I, I talked about the tourist becoming more uh, engaged and becoming an insider. So this is gonna depend on uh, the increased time and number of communication. The more people interact and communicate, the more um, they get more involved within the community. This is also another piece of research about the community that shows that at the beginning, the person just exchanges some topical information. Uh, then uh, the person starts uh, uh, talking a little bit about the norms of the community, what we do, what we don't do. Uh, then the person owns this community and if somebody transgresses, uh, for example, I was uh, researching um, a community of um, body positivity and whenever uh, the members started talking about dieting, uh, which was not allowed in this community because it was about body positivity, then the other members came and they were saying no. Uh, they were reinforcing this cultural norm and saying no, you cannot here talk about dieting because we are all about body positivity. 
then you move to cultural norm adoption and cultural cohesion where you feel this community is really central to your life activities. And, and the more you interact and communicate, there is also an escalation of commitment that happens uh, throughout this process. So these are the things that didn't change uh, from web two to web three, but some things have changed. And the biggest change we are noticing is the Gen Z behavior. Uh, and, and, and I teach Gen Zers uh, a lot. So half of my teaching is with Gen Zers and I do see uh, the difference between Gen Zers and millennials, it's huge. Um, the Gen Zers uh, are uh, rooted, and this is um, a report from uh, McKinsey, about where is the truth. Expressing their truth, um, they are able to connect through different truths. Uh, and um, so I'll give you an example. I had um, uh, an experience where I took my Gen, my Gen Z students to the metaverse. For, um, for a conference, and I asked them just to create uh, through ReadyMe uh, player their uh, avatars. So I was, for me, you know, I was expecting each Gen Zero will have one avatar, except that was not the case. When we were inside that experience, many of them had many avatars, and so many identities were expressed. I could not even see the link between and the avatar and recognize the person. So uh, this um, desire to uh, connect through different truths and expressing themselves through the various facets of uh, personality um, is something that characterizes them. So uh, this is an example also of an app that uh, allows you to create your identity. And we do see a desire for expressing identities and sometimes even to express the confusion and the contradictions uh, of their identity. So they have no problem, uh, you know, having a lot of controversial identities and, express, and expressing them. So this is one example. And this is another example to go beyond the physical, what the physical environment allows them to do. And in Web3, uh, you know, expressing their uniqueness. Um, what has also changed is um, how consumers connect with brands. So we see that uh, with COVID, more and more uh, consumers, and we it's not only uh, Gen Zers, we see uh, throughout all the generations a desire for going and shopping online. So there is a huge potential also to create these communities online for selling various products. We also see some statistics inferring uh, that customer experience now is central to uh, the, as important as product or service. So this is a big encouragement for Web3 communities that uh, it's no longer just about the products or the service, it's also the experience that you build around it. And we have seen many examples that Web3 is really uh, allowing and we can keep on improving itself because for now it's not yet perfectly ready from a technological perspective, but as it will keep on improving, we will get a very uh, good level of technology to serve the customers that are in demand. So they are waiting and they are in demand. They're just waiting for the technology 
to be ready. And yes, um, gaming will be the way also to reach because people are looking for entertainment. We see from a consumer research perspective that there is a content crisis. People want to engage, want to be entertained, want to play, want a better quality content. So, and, and this is true for all ages. Uh, you know, playing video games, and it's true for all, both males and females. So we see, as for now, a lot of brands experimenting with Web3 and trying to build some ephemeris communities that appear and disappear. Uh, this is the example of Walmart that's built this metaverse uh, uh, universe for, uh, you know, girls, teenagers uh, who go and Stay around. So this is ephemeris. We mm. see also an example. Excuse me, doctor. Doctor, um, we need to finish soon. So if you can just. No, I have. Yeah, I have two minutes it. left. My timer is going. I have a timer. I have oh, two minutes. Okay. So, so two minutes. <laughs> so um, uh, we see that Hyundai is there, uh, also trying to introduce its brands and and then offering this uh, game in for. Then years to experiment the various models of Hyundai. And then we see some really high, good levels of activation. Uh, and uh, here I have the example of KFC. I'm going to show this quickly. This is a very good activation where they are using gaming. And gaming in Web3 is really more advanced in terms of graphics, uh, where they are using this uh, community to create. Um, to create uh, brand activations. Can you hear? Can you hear? Now we can, yes. Uh, no, we can't actually hear. Oh, Wait, okay. I will just share the sound. Okay, now. By 2021, there will be 1.5 billion desktop gamers in the world. They customize their machines, chairs, and gaming sets. And use keyboard shortcuts to speed up their performance. Because they never want to stop playing, ever. We know how valuable gaming time is, so we invented the newest, coolest, and fastest way to order KFC without interrupting your gaming. By using a popular gaming convention, the cheat code, and the KFC name itself. KFC. Wow! Shift? Okay. Sorry, this is, uh, it's not showing the full screen, just give me a second. Doctor, we're really tight on time now. Is this critical for you to show this? Almost done. By 2021, there will be 1.5. Wow! Shift? Okay, we launched it across seven countries in the Middle East with zero production costs just by adding a single line of code to our platform. Registered users have their favorite meal, address, 
and credit card saved with us already. So every time they used Shift KFC, an order with their registered favorite meal was automatically placed, processed, and delivered. For non-registered users, the cheat code unlocked a new secret menu, which would be delivered to their actual location after a regular guest customer confirmation. Easy. Shift KFC, inspired by gaming culture, enjoyed by all chicken lovers. Very good. Um, one a few seconds. So the elements that are very important to engage with Web3 uh, is all uh, the fact that people, when they are doing it, they are in a positive mood. Uh, they know how to manage digital, um, digital natives. So they are expecting that digital interaction. You get their undivided attention. They engage with Web3 for long hours and the experience is becoming kinesthetic. So this the research is showing very good impact on learning and retention. All right, so these are my four key takeaways that are uh, important from this uh, session. Don't forget to build a community. You need a common purpose, rights and rituals, a moral duty, and start experimenting now. Thank you very much. Thank you, Doctor, for this insightful uh, presentation on community building. I think that is quite important to start to have some standards uh, when when we are building a community and obviously a purpose from the beginning uh, or we can see that the consequences can be disastrous um i i, I just see meta share pairs of, of one of those beautiful communities that we can present to the world and be proud of it uh, maybe we need an internal language that that will be that will be good that will be good for the notes so yeah, but thank you, uh, Doctor, for this so for this beautiful session. So guys, right now we are going to pass to another panel. So right now, <clears throat> this is this uh, the schedule change a little bit. So we are going to have a, another extra person. But this extra person is is um, is someone that everyone knows. So we're going to have the honor to have Sharad. Um, sharing the panel with Nova and as well as Shumi. And um, the three of them that are going to be talking about fashion, AI, and AI in the metaverse. And obviously, the, the how this will, how the humans will be able to express themselves through their avatars um, into this new virtual reality. So please feel welcome, uh, Sherrod, Nova, Nova, and uh, yeah. Actually, this is Ashumi and Nova in conversation. Since Ashumi has to leave in a bit, I'm going to jump in at that time. So these are two good friends. I couldn't resist, uh, you know, partaking in this conversation. So go ahead, Ashumi. It's your show. Ashumi, you're on mute. Uh, yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm so happy and honored to be here. Thank you, Sharad, for bringing this wonderful community together. I am so excited to be in conversation with Nova, who I've known for a long time now. Uh, we were also um, together as the top 100 women of the future. So we've known each other for a while. And I'm really excited to be talking about fashion, which is an industry that I've worked in for 20 years now. 
um, and the impact of AI as we're sort of moving um, into this sort of new new phase of how generative AI specifically is going to be um, disrupting a lot of design and creativity, but also uh, in, a, in a lot of senses helping um, to progress uh, productivity and you know, and allowing uh, designers to be able to use these tools in very creative ways along uh, across their workflows. So um, just a little bit about me. I'm uh, the founder and CEO of a creative production agency called Mad Global. Um, and I'm also launching a membership platform called Future Plus, connecting the fashion industry to emerging tech. Um, and Nova, I'll let you introduce yourself and then we'll get into uh, some question and answers. I thought it would be quite important also to be able to showcase the tools that um, are being used for um, a lot of what is being known as like generative AI to be able to create not just imagery, but also Nova has, has prepared a wonderful presentation that just really takes you through step-by-step um, how to be able to use those tools in a very, very simplified way, which I think is really important because as we're sort of moving into this space now, we find that most people are quite afraid um, of the technology. Most people aren't really, um, maybe most people don't really know where to start. Uh, so we've sort of just really dialed it back and we're showing you a visual presentation of how to get started with some of those tools and hopefully, um, you know, uh, um, incorporate them into your own creative workflows. Yeah, I'm excited to be here um, with two dear friends. Hi, Sharad and Ashumi, and always excited to share the honor of being a top 100 woman um, with you. And then I see some familiar faces as well that share that honor in the room. I'm Nova Lorraine. I'm an award-winning fashion designer and futurist, author and podcaster. And I'm also launching a community called the House of Nova Collective. And our purpose is to onboard female entrepreneurs mm -hmm. into Web3, um, but also having fun with fashion and keeping mindfulness and well-being at the forefront. And so I am ready to dive into this really exciting conversation on the future of AI and how it's intersecting with the metaverse and how important self-expression is going to be in the future as it revolves around these technologies. Thank you so much, Nova. Um, so I guess just to start, I would love for you to just talk a little bit more about House of Nova, which you've uh, shared a little bit about. I know it's your, it's it's uh, digital couture um, and it's your new collection, but also as you mentioned, it's your community. So I would love for you to share a little bit more about uh, House of Nova, um, as well as some of the other projects that you have coming up um, and that you're working on. I know that we've um, talked about uh, a few of them that maybe you can touch upon as well, including the Lunar Project, which is very exciting. And you can have your designs going into space very soon. Yeah, absolutely. So the House of Nova was born um, about a, a summer ago, not this past summer, but the summer prior, um, while participating in an accelerator that was hosted by NASA and the Virginia Tech Science and Research Park. And it's really bringing couture together with emerging technologies such as AI, AR, and blockchain. And so what I do is I bring fashion forward as art and present that in a, a multiple array of mediums. And part of the journey is to allow individuals 
to learn about couture, learn about the fine art of fashion through the expression of art. So I'm participating in several exhibitions and projects, as you mentioned. One is the Latin American Art Drop that's taking place in South America in Brazil in one of the largest Web3 conferences in November. And I'll, I'll be showcasing one of the pieces there where proceeds will be going towards a sustainable water project out of Mexico. Another project, as you mentioned, is the Lunar Project, where I was selected as one of 222 artists in which we'll be showcasing how we can preserve humanity and, and art through art um, by sending these artifacts and then these art pieces in the form of digital blockchain to the moon. And so the next lunar launch is scheduled for mid-November and um, the art pieces will be on the rocket. So stay tuned for more information there. Um, another project that I'm really excited about as well is in conjunction with the Marthaverse. Um, so Dr. Martha and I have gotten together to do some really incredible storytelling around sustainability and fashion. We're putting together an art walk in the Marthaverse um, at the end of November, and you'll be able to see the fashion collection of the House of Nova um, for the first time in this medium, and where the percentage of the proceeds will be going to a, an elephant reserve in South Africa that's focused on saving baby elephants. And so we really want to showcase how sustainability is so much more than us and how, it, how connected we are. Um, as humans to our ecosystem and really excited about that project and collaborating with Dr. Martha on that. That's very exciting, Nova. Um, and actually you touched upon a few things here and I would love to sort of understand, you know, you're, you, you talk about different mediums um, and you're obviously very multidisciplinary when it comes to be able to using these different mediums and the different tools that you have to be able to showcase fashion through um, also art and uh, showcase fashion as art. Um, can you perhaps talk a little bit more about your process um, and the different tools that you use? Absolutely. So I, as a designer, we're always looking for inspiration. And I was born in Jamaica. And I think that really influences a lot of what I do and, and how connected I feel with the environment, with nature, being an island girl. And um, so that is a really big source of inspiration for me. So Connecting the dots with couture and sustainability and eco-fashion is just something that's very much in my DNA. And then looking at emerging technology as a way to power fashion, to bring it forward, to make it more accessible, to allow individuals to use it as a tool for communication and self-expression. You know, how can we use something like fashion that touches everyone in the globe? as a way to raise consciousness, as a way to improve mental health and well-being. And so this is something that I'm really excited to do. And when I was introduced to generative AI um, on my journey in Web3 and emerging technology, I was so excited about how we can use this tool to bring ideas forward more quickly, to communicate with teams remotely, to speed up processes, and to combine with other emerging technologies such as blockchain, such as augmented reality and virtual reality, such as immersive environments and 3D modeling and design to really allow storytelling to have its greatest impact. And so some of the tools that I use within the generative AI space, um, there's obviously your text to text, your text to video, your text to image, your text to audio, 
And, you know, as a podcaster and as a storyteller and designer, I'm able to really play with a lot of these tools. Um, as it relates to fashion specifically, and I'm mainly working with text to image and text to video. And so the text to image tool that's my favorite right now is Midjourney. Um, it's not the only one. There are some other really incredible tools, depending on what you're doing, such as Leonardo AI and Stable Diffusion, of course, and there's many variations of that's built on the same technology. But uh, I was introduced to Midjourney about a year and a half ago and I've been exploring and playing with text and image and then bringing that to video and animation for quite some time. So I use Midjourney as my starting point for concept designs, patterns, um, prints and textiles. I also use it for just creating content for my posts as well. Um, we know that images are so powerful when we're telling a story and sharing information. So I like to use that. I've also worked with collaborative projects and other brands and helping them bring designs to life, helping them bring logos to life using the generative AI tools, helping them bring, you know, ad concepts to life. So it's a really incredible way for productivity, um, especially when the, in the hands of a creative. Um, so just as you mentioned something about bringing these designs to life when you use generative AI, um, this is something that is actually really interesting because there's been a few different um, initiatives recently, uh, just one to reference, for example, there was AI Fashion Week that happened recently with uh, Revolve, uh, which was a marketplace, and they had AI fashion designers um, submit their artwork, which were then selected to become physical collections. As a designer, do you think there is an, an, an added complexity to generating some of these designs using AI and then making them into physical pieces? Is there a certain one like how does that because obviously you're sort of uh skipping a step so to speak yeah. with the pattern making and, and the the actual um garments being produced yeah that's an excellent question um thank you for that so there is a complexity added because of course the ai is using uh it's the tools and drawing from millions of data points and being guided by i would say your strokes um which are in the form of words to create an image and it can be extremely complex and it may not necessarily be translatable for production. And there are 3D tools that have been around for a while like Clo 3D and Browseware that allows you to create a 3D model design um, that facilitates that production process going from a digital item to a physical item. And that process isn't perfect either, but it does give you uh, a little closer step than just a concept through in generative AI photograph, so to speak, or illustration or vector image. And so I think it's really important that individuals that understand production and, you know, that have been trained in your traditional fashion techniques. And, you know, I am super honored to be a graduate of FIT in New York, the Fashion Institute of Technology, where I can take my knowledge of construction, of pattern making, of textiles, and incorporate that into the process of creating designs that can successfully be produced. And also identify what are those areas that need to be addressed from this concept if I wanna bring that into reality as a physical garment, or is this something that's purely for art and to be appreciated as inspiration? And so there is a step that needs to be incorporated and you can't always go directly from a concept image to physical production, but I believe the way forward and the immediate adoption of digital fashion will be that bridge 
between digital and physical, which often is referred to as digital fashion. And that's where I live. I believe that fashion can be appreciated and experienced and worn in the virtual world and virtual spaces digitally, but also very beautifully experienced in the physical. May it be on a physical runway, may it be as a canvas on your wall, and of course, as you as the model adorning the clothing. And so I do believe that bridge is the physical meeting the digital. And it's super important for us to understand when it comes to AI, as humans, as creators and innovators, we are still the ones that are guiding the ship. We're the captains of the ship, the conductors on the train, the jockeys on the horse. And it's not just an immediate fix. It's not, it can't just live on its own and do everything. We're still so, so early. And understanding the gaps and the deficiencies in the tool is also equally important. So I really love that question. Thanks. Thank you. No, absolutely. And exactly like what you mentioned, um, there's something that I do also want to um, just add into that is that there does seem to be a lot of different fragmented softwares, even across the 3D softwares that that are, that are used. Um, but now with, with AI and the different tools with AI that are being used as well, interoperability, I feel like still requires a lot more education on how to be able to integrate these different tools. So where, like, where do people really start? Like, how do you actually plug and play uh, with everything that's available in the different sort of uh, softwares? Uh, and, and where do you really start? Yeah, I would say either start with a, a true interest or passion or a problem you want to solve. And because there are many tools, you know, you don't just have to stick with generative AI. Of course, there's blockchain, there's 3D modeling and design with Unreal Engine and, and um, you know, programs such as that, like Unity. And there's augmented reality, virtual reality, a combination of what we're going to see continue to be a force as we move forward as it relates to adoption, you know, thanks to products and hardware such as Apple Vision. So I say either start with a problem you want to solve or start with an interest or a passion. When we're looking at fashion and seeing the gaps that existed a year, year and a half ago, as it related to how they were being interpreted online, I knew that there was still this distance between adoption and digital fashion. And to have true scale, we're going to need more hyper-realistic solutions as it relates to fashion. In the meantime, we can leverage the technologies as we have now done with generative AI, with 3D models, with spaces such as spatial, for example, um, and sandbox and create experiences, you know, mm -hmm. give individuals the ability to play with these tools. And because the gaming was one of the first ways of how we were introduced to, you know, virtual worlds, that's still gonna be that means of bringing people in. And then fashion is just one of the most powerful use cases when it comes to these fashions. And yeah. so I, I started with, um, you know, NFTs and blockchain, and then went into immersive environments, and then started using augmented reality. And when I stumbled upon generative AI, I saw AI, artificial intelligence in, in general, as that foundational technology, that's going to power all of these tools, that's going to bridge all of these technologies and allow for adoption to happen so much faster. When you can build a virtual world in three months or three weeks versus three years, that's a game changer. And I think that's where we're gonna see AI coming into play is really allowing that productivity and scalability and, and layering that on top of these wonderful tools that all, we already have. That's, that's perfect. And actually I'm gonna just leave, before you jump into your wonderful presentation, I wanted to just ask 
one last question, which sometimes feels like a little bit of an elephant in the room when it comes to the conversation that is had, especially with generative AI and the topic of IP. Um, and, you know, especially where designers are concerned, everyone is very much protective of the creative IP that they create. Do you think as a designer yourself that blockchain is the answer to that and having the provenance of generating something in AI and then um, minting that or putting that on the blockchain would be um, something that gives you and your designs prominence? Yes, absolutely. And thank you for sharing that last question before the presentation. Um, it is the elephant in the room. You know, what are we going to do? you know, as relates to protecting our artwork as creators. And this is something that's come up. We've seen cases such as the comic book case from the artists out of New York and in which initially the copyright request was denied. Um, but when they looked at the work as a whole, it was approved as a whole work. We're seeing the conversations that took place in Hollywood and the writer's strike where you can't own the copyright of an original work unless it's authored by a human. And so where the producers won was that they needed human writers to collaborate with the technology and generative AI to produce a work that was copyrightable. Now I see blockchain and I'm so excited about blockchain because as artists, we can mint our digital creations and may it be in a 3D form or generative AI form or photograph and, and a, a video and audio, mint that on the blockchain and give permission to whoever we want to utilize that piece of work. And we don't have to manually search people down, you know, if they're utilizing it, or we can use the blockchain as a way to gatekeep it. And maybe we don't want it monetized and shared, or, you know, around in different communities. And so what is so exciting is that when we're combining these tools and technologies, when they're not living in silos, when, you know, different industries are talking together, right, when the engineers are talking to the fashion designers, and the artists, and the blockchain developers, right, this is where the magic comes in. And so for me, my process is not just leaving the creation as a generative AI piece, but taking it further, bringing it into other mediums, but also bringing it onto the blockchain. Because in the future, digital assets are going to rise in prominence over physical assets. But the physical assets are what is what's going to deliver the value to those digital assets. So it's so important for us now as creators and innovators to understand how these technologies can be used to protect us, not only from a province standpoint and ownership standpoint, but also from a, a data security and privacy standpoint. Fantastic, thank you so much for sharing. And I will let you um, get into your wonderful presentation so you can actually share some very valuable uh, tips on how to get started uh, on mid journey and how you can actually you know, prompt um, as well to be able to generate the images that you come up with. Thank you so much, Nova. Thank you, Sharad. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Thank you, Ashmi. I understand you'll be in Dubai this month. I was supposed to be in Dubai, but unfortunately, I will not be in Dubai. Okay. All right. I think Nova is coming to Dubai. I am coming to Dubai, and that will be my first trip. And right. I am so excited, and I hear the weather is amazing right now. So it's definitely yeah. quite a challenge to figure out what to wear. <laughs> Thanks, Ashwini, uh, for, Thank for being here. Thank you, everyone. See you Thanks. soon, maybe in London then. Yes, absolutely. Um, See you in London anytime. Yes. Thank you, Ashwini. I appreciate Thanks, you. Thanks, Nova. Bye. Nova, um, yes. how long is your presentation? Because we are extremely tight on time.
I can run through it in about a minute and a half if you okay. want. Okay, go for it. All right, let's do this. All right, let me share my screen. Okay, and move this over here. Thanks for bearing with me, everyone. All right, can everyone see this? Yes. Okay, amazing. Yeah, we can. Amazing. So I'm just going to show you some images that were created with generative AI. So you can see the ver the variety of what you can do. It doesn't always have to be fashion, but of course, as a fashion designer, <laughs> that's what you're going to see. Um, but you can see the detail in terms of textures and what you can do with backgrounds and locations. And I really play with a lot of my prompts to give a variety of looks and feels um, when I'm creating, you know, if, if it's something that I want that's more artistic or detailed or hyper-realistic, um, that will also guide me in terms of the prompts that I'm using. And so I purposely chose images that have very different styles so you can see the range. And then also you can create your own style and train the algorithm for your own style, which is exciting. So if I put in a prompt and it could be rainbows on a sunny day, the algorithm will generate something very different than if you put it into the same exact words into your algorithm as well. Um, this is not a fashion image, but this is something um, that you can create, you know, landscapes. Um, this was for a project around landscape design. So again, there's so much that you can do. Uh, again, food and food products and styling, food styling is something that you can do and illustration, animation. So the, there are no boundaries, there are no limitations. So some of the tools to familiarize yourself, some of the more popular tools, um, Midjourney, Stable Diffusion, Artsy, Dolly, Beautiful AI, depending on what your, your goals are and what you're trying to do. Um, Beautiful is a presentation tool and um, Dolly is an art tool similar to Midjourney. And there are many others that relate to text to image and text to text. So I'm gonna just focus on two um, really quickly, Midjourney. You will need a Discord account. And so if you went to Midjourney and click beta, it will prompt you to uh, join the Discord. And once you have a Discord account, that's where you're going to actually be creating your designs. And so that there's lots of YouTube videos on how to do it. I won't spend too much time on that, but just really quickly, you can see a very simple prompt here, horses on an airplane, and the varieties that it gives you, you're gonna get four images. You then can choose which image is your favorite. As you choose images, you are training the AI. And then you can continue to modify the image, upgrade the image, and then save the image. And you can change words to make it um, slightly different if it's not what you like. You can choose no image and put the same prompt in again and over and over again until you get something closer to what you want. Stable Diffusion, also very similar to Midjourney. They do have a free option. Midjourney, you do have paid accounts now that you have to get. The more you use it, I recommend choosing a higher grade account. So with Stable Diffusion, very similarly, once you learn one generative AI tool, you can apply those skills to another. You can see the styles in Stable Diffusion, very, very different from Midjourney, even though I'm using the same words. And again, Stable Diffusion is used with a lot of creators that are creating their own apps and building on this technology, but you as an individual can use it and simply play with it and generate whatever images you want. Again, you'll get four images and then you can upgrade and adjust from there. And that's it. I told you, I promise I keep it short. <laughs> Thank you, Nova. That was 
very good information you shared with us. If we had more time, I have five thick points I had noted. You never cease to amaze me, I have to say that. Uh, you have achieved so much in such quick time. And, uh, you know, I'm inspired by what you do. You know that. And uh, I'll see you on the other side, actually in Dubai when you're here this month. Yes. Thanks, Noah. Cheers, <laughs> all the best. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, so, Susan. We are now bouncing straight to our next uh, speaker, Jennifer Roebuck. I had the good privilege of meeting her in London during NFT London. Though it was, a short, yeah, it was a short meeting, but I knew that she had to be a mirror shaper. Uh, so thank you for accepting our request, Jennifer. And um, I know you wear multiple hats and you are deeply entrenched in Web3. So mm -hmm. yeah, so uh, it's over to you. And okay. your topic is uh, emerging technology, exploring the presence and influence of hyperculture. I don't know ABC of hyperculture, so please educate us. Go for it. Great, I'm looking forward to it. And thank you so much for having me. I will just share this and hopefully this works. Everyone has the same challenges here. One second. It's good. Uh, there we go. No, there we go. Ah, okay. All good. Great. So um, I, I'm Jennifer and I'm actually part of an investment firm and future brand studio called uh, Metaversal. And one of the things that we do is we we actually study the intersection of creativity and technology. Um, and we have a pretty extensive generative art collection along with uh, some healthy investments in Web3 infrastructure and um, IP. So we look a lot at what's happening with culture specifically because culture, as many other meta shapers have shared today, is a critical part of Web3, right? It's the values that Web3 brings to bear and also the process of creating and building is, is incredibly important. So today I'm going to take you through hyperculture. And as you've already said, Sherrod, you don't know what it is. It's fairly new. Uh, I would say it's incredibly nascent. Um, but effectively what we're seeing is the zeitgeist of culture is now starting on chain. Um, and so what does that mean? I mean, basically what it means is in addition to blockchain being a source of validation, a source of uh, financial change, it's becoming a new media source. And this is very interesting. Uh, let me see if I, there we go. So I've talked a bit about Metaversal um, I won't go too far into that, and I know we're over, so I'll skip this slide and go straight into what hyperculture is. Um, so hyperculture is actually the natural outcome of living in a digitally connected society. And the society that we see today uh, enables rapid communication. It's probably the most rapid it's ever been. And when you think about how fast we communicate, um, the average Westerner has about six touch points within about 10 seconds to make a decision on something, whether they like something or whether they want to purchase something. In China, it's actually 15 touch points within 10 seconds. And that's because their systems are even more tightly integrated in the digital ecosystem. So this is where we're heading for those of us in the West. And for those of you in the East, you're already living it. So I'd like to know how that feels. Um, and so what does all this mean? It just means that with blockchain, with AI, with all of the creative tools people have at their fingertips, they can remix anything they want. They can express their 
beliefs, their values, any cultural political movement within seconds, they can put it on chain, they can share it on chain, and these things on chain become collectibles and they become ways of people then expressing themselves. And so we're seeing this more and more. Um, if you spend any time on Zora, that was one ecosystem that is worth exploring. I would say in the past three to four months, the launch of their L2, the launch of their trending environment has really spun up this, this huge cultural movement. So this graphic here is an example of what happened with nouns. For those of you who follow nouns, nouns, forked the dow split in half they have a huge treasury of you know 40 million usd which is not a small amount of money for what was effectively an ip cultural project and as soon as that happened the news on blockchain spread these graphics were created people were minting them and then using them to express their belief as to whether or not this was a positive thing or a negative thing um so that's one example so how does this all come together? Um, if you think about media, so again, we've talked about decentralization, decentralized you know, creative industry, right, is one example. Well, we're also moving to decentralized media. I think you can see this a little bit in TikTok today. So it's distributed. TikTok have released creator-centric you know, incentives, as has YouTube but you still don't own the media. You're still part of a distributed system. So the next uh, step in this direction is this decentralized new media. And the differences are that it's fully programmable by the media owners, the media owners being the consumers and the users. Um, and that all of this generative technology and ownership centric technology is going to take media and really put it in our hands. And we're starting to see, so I would say in the past eight weeks, I've seen about seven companies funded that are new media companies solely focused on communicating via blockchain. Um, the other thing worth noting is metadata on blockchain serves as one of those communication devices. And so the reason I placed hyperculture underneath media is you have two things happening, right? You have the infrastructure, which allows for the media to be created in the first place. And then you have the cultural aspect of this, which is people remixing and creating faster than ever before. So those things, those two things together create hyperculture. And so how does this all play out, right? So for somebody who's studying the process or has an interest in, in the process, um, we can break it down into three steps. So firstly, how does it shape culture? Well, it allows people to express and by expressing and proliferating, you're actually shaping culture because you're shaping opinion. And then because nothing is new and nothing is old, everyone's just remixing old music tracks, art, fashion, right? So Ashumi's question about IP is a very valid one in this context because people will remix and reshape and share anything. But that is that cultural remixing. And then it's communicated and it's communicated in communities specifically. And what we see is, especially with Gen Z and increasingly Gen Alpha as they get older, um, this is how they want to communicate and express themselves. They want to embed tokens in media. They want to talk with their niche communities on chat platforms rather than on social. So we're seeing this is all kind of coalescing into one new ecosystem. One sec. 
Um, and here's an example. I've used the nouns example because I think it really helps people kind of grip what this is. But you have something in culture that happens. And as soon as it happens, it becomes an NFT. And it sits in kind of three areas, Zora, Tezos, or Base. Those are kind of the ecosystems that we see this happening um, for the most part. And as soon as it becomes an NFT, it's shareable, it's free. So we're out of the speculative hype phase of this technology and into the ownership and communication phase. And as soon as it's free, it mutates and it becomes memes. It becomes something else and takes on new forms and, and almost surfaces as more NFTs. And then those NFTs create communities. So um, Open is a great example of that. That's a Jack Butcher um, project that just went completely viral. And before you knew it, everybody in the hyperculture ecosystem was displaying uh, an Open NFT because it was, I think, $2, right, to, to access. You, you paid the, the gas fee and that's about it. So, and that really held for, I think, four or five months. That was the the main NFT that you would display if you were advocating for open creation communities. Um, and we also see this happening in art, right? And this will probably not be new information to many people who are part of MetaShapers in the way that fashion and art are remixing, but this is allowing artists to also create new um, collection communities and remixing art with artist permission across multiple well-known artists. Um, and that's a huge movement that we see and interestingly, this space is probably the most commercially viable across hyperculture that we've seen so far. Um, and then the last example is really going back to something that's very um, old. So when you look at how IP works and the proliferation of IP and how communities work on creative projects, the Japanese have actually been doing this for 30 years. So Pokemon, some of the top IP that exists today in anime was created through community creation. And interestingly, while blockchain is helping facilitate that, we're seeing it come back almost as if it's a new concept. Um, so Storyverse is a really great example of a, a community-centric IP creation platform. But what it's really doing is taking some of this original IP that we saw during the hype cycle, like a Doodles or a CryptoPunk, and moving it into a shared narrative with shared value so that anybody that contributes isn't just sitting around looking at the valuation of an NFT. What they're looking at is the valuation of the project and how they're contributing. And so that's a much greater force, which again, encourages a lot of this remixing and shared um, communication. And so why does this matter? Um, the reason this matters is we're starting with something simple, which is a, a way of remixing culture, a new way of communicating. And often these things that start small become big things. So Web3 media will become a form of, of media. I'll say 24 months, we'll start to see some notable platforms um, picking up on this. Um, we'll start to see that you'll have to have some sort of on-chain media as part of your marketing mix. So when you think about the way traditional companies communicate, you know, web two, you you throw something on TikTok, uh, pretty soon you'll have to have something on Zora or on base. Um, I've captured some, some values here and things that people need to understand that matter to Gen Z. Obviously in the interest of time, I won't read through all of them, but some really important ones 
that have come up, I think, thematically across today is, you know, identity is important, but curating your own identity. Famous, you know, fame works from a, a PR and attention perspective, but it doesn't really work uh, from a trust perspective. So people who are not famous and are making themselves famous are more interesting for that reason. Um, you know, people don't want to be bound by traditional paradigms. And obviously, collaboration and engagement are really important. Underneath this, we have a loneliness epidemic. And so some of these communities and some of this communication is really um, filling that void for some. And so how do you actually navigate this if you're a brand? So as a CMO, I've spent 25 years managing large consumer brands and still do a fair amount of advisory work um, in the old world to complement um, my life in the new world. Um, and there's sort of three things that matter. So the first theme really is capitalism in reverse. Come up, you know, work with a creator, uh, remix, build, and then monetize. And it's completely counterintuitive for most people who have a completely top-down business model. Um, secondly, be a playable brand. So you, if you don't have something that's interactive for this generation, they're just simply not interested. Um, you see that with Nike, you see some of these brands starting to go into these new spaces. And that's a really, again, a nice leading indicator of what's to come. But having a, a playable brand quality will be important. And then the last thing is community and experience together. So this phase of Web3 where anyone can spin up a Discord and people are vibing, that's done. There's too many of them. Most of them don't have uh, a shared purpose. So these two things need to come together and it's very important whole bunch of insights that again I won't read through but these this since we're sharing the recording after um these are all takeaways I just wanted to share around how consumers are shifting and why this is an important movement and then three takeaways so this is the new media so just keep an eye out for hyperculture and specifically media on chain um the playbook is changing. I think we see a lot of PR and hype right now, but I think that PR and hype will translate into more tangible activations uh, that are on-chain and within Web3 and Web3 and Web2 converging even further. And then the third is really community. So we're moving from a trope phase to real community development, which means we have a lot of niches. We have a lot less focus on the capitalistic, capitalistic side, side, but we have more combined capital output because of the the group share aspect of, of this movement. And that is all I have today. I think you're on mute. Are you there? Yeah, I was just saying uh, thank you for making us smarter. And <laughs> I, I intend to book a call with you to make a deep dive on some of the points that you raised because this is fascinating stuff. And not many people know about hyperculture. And I think we need to educate, inform, and then possibly implement. So thank you. And um, thank you for being here as well. And mm -hmm. I'm going to move on very quickly to our next speaker because we are almost 30 minutes behind time. Um, but it's all good because we are generating so much of amazing content. And uh, yeah, so... Jennifer, you have to stop sharing uh, your presentation so the next speaker can take on. I, I believe we are going to Gigi now, right? So 
That's right, Sherrod. And just to say, we will make up some time. So I don't want anyone in the room to think that they will be staying till 10.30. Okay. We should be okay. Um, you can't see me on screen now, but you can hear okay. me. So over to you, Sharad and Gigi. Yeah, okay. So uh, Gigi, I'm going to hand it over to you, but with a backstory for our audience. I met you last year at the Algorand uh, blockchain conference. And when I asked you, what do you do? You said, I'm defining the purpose of life and trying to create an impact. You use purpose and you used impact in the first sentence. And I thought to myself, my God, she has to be a mirror shaper. So here you are. Thank you for accepting my request to join our group and on to big things. I know you are uh, helping create strategy for journey, but I'll let you introduce yourself and next 20 minutes are yours. Over to you. Sounds good. Beautiful intro, Sharad. Um, yes, let me just um, share my screen so we can get started. Can you all see my screen well, Sharad? Yeah, it's full screen, it's all good. I'm a little bit of a Zoom boomer in all honesty, so um, very, very Google focused. Uh, let's get started. Um, before diving into who I am, I, I obviously saved a little slide for that. Um, I wanna dedicate today to talk about tomorrow's enterprise because all the stories we've heard today, we realized that it will really make an impact on the future of our enterprises, right? So how could we, um, answer the question of how could we use immersive web to really advance organizational change. So before I dive into it, you obviously want to know who is talking to you, right, about this topic. Um, little glimpse at who I am. I'm very curious. I consider myself a futurist, um, but also everything aesthetic really matters to me. Um, I'm a Web3 native. I've been in the industry for over three years. Um, and as Sherrod mentioned, I'm purpose-driven. Also spiritual fitness is a big part of my life. I'm based in Dubai and I'm very much an early bird. Um, I also sometimes wonder, I'm a millennial, but actually maybe I'm more sort of feeling like a Gen Z. It's always a topic when I hear all these talks about new generations that I uh, tend to resonate more with them. I'm proud to be um, a strategist at Journey. Um, Journey is a multi-award winning uh, company. We have over 110 employees over the entire world with strategy departments, art direction, technical direction, you name it. We are the leading patent in immersive web enterprise um, solution platform. Um, and as you can see, we've worked with the biggest brands in the world, uh, BMW, H&M, Vogue, Cartier. Um, and we also won quite some awards that we're kind of proud of. So today I'm gonna to split it up in two parts. So first I wanna dive into what is changing. Today you've already heard a lot about what is changing, but I will do a little summary of, of our take on that. Um, and then diving into the business impact. So what does that mean for the enterprise of tomorrow? So what is changing? Whether you call it the metaverse or the immersive web, what we mean it's 3D AI enabled interactive web experiences. Um, I think we all have seen those charts where you see that the, the web in the 90s was really about read, the social web was about read and write, 
And now the immersive web would be read, write, and own. But I really want to add to that that it also becomes very immersive, which means 3D technology is a key component in that. But looking at that shift, what is interesting is what are those drivers of change? Why is this happening, right? And we have identified four drivers of change. First and foremost, Web3. Um, blockchain technology really enables us to work without intermediaries. What we have seen in this entire day in this conference is uh, ownership, right? Communities really enabled by Web3 technology. But we will be nowhere without having amazing 5G and 6G networks to really have amazing cloud computing um, and cloud streaming because that enables these 3D interaction and worlds on our phones. Third, it's really the gaming industry. They're paving the way. All those gamers, it's really accelerating. You see new generations gaming a lot. And that's really a big driver of change that eventually also leads to the fourth pillar, next generation customers. Changing needs and preferences. Um, a new generation is really asking enterprises for new platforms to interact with and to work with the audience. So if you would look at how would that shift look like for the immersive web? At the moment, around 10 to 12% of all experiences are immersive in the, in, let's say of the web are immersive. And we really expect exponential growth in that front. So in the next few years, we can really, um, um, yeah, expect to sort of bootstrap this amazing um, 3D opportunity um, ahead of us. So let's take a look at the fourth pillar, um, the next gen customer. Gen Z and Gen Alpha. Obviously, we could talk about it for so long, like Jennifer said, there's so many aspects, but I think what's very interesting for um, uh, enterprises at the moment are two big shifts. One is in identity and one is in information consumption. So identity already has shifted when social media took off, right? I would always call it a teetered identity, which means your online identity is just as important as your offline identity. But now adding this immersive layer to it, it really means it's so more multifaceted, versatile, and users can really escape into a new reality, a new immersive self, where you can just find so many ways of expressing yourself, but also really uh, feel that that is a core part of you. And obviously, if that is a core part of you, how you consume information and how brands and enterprises interact with your consumers will be impacted. So going to the lower part of this graph, the information part, we have seen already an erosion of traditional media or new generations. They are focusing on my community is my truth. My social platform is my media. I want things to be personalized by AI. Everything should be also more fun and, and education should be more edutainment. Um, and eventually we really expect an erosion of even websites because everything will take place potentially in gaming platforms where they're natively are interacting uh, with each other and, and, and with brands and whatnot. Um, and I was reading a book about these new generations. I always tend to keep reading and reading because it's just um, for me, work and, and my personal interests are very intertwined. And I love this quote and that's why I dropped it in here. By 2025, there will be more than 2 billion generation alphas, the largest generation in history who have been born into more diversity in technology than ever before. So letting that sink in, I realized the growth that we have seen as a sort of older generation is nothing compared to what Gen Alpha is used to seeing and changing in tech, right? So 
I'm very glad that at Journey, we empower enterprises to embrace the, the immersive web and really adhering to the needs of the next generation. And why we really stand out is three core pillars. Uh, we integrate with Web 2 and Web 3. We have the highest streaming quality as an aesthetic lover that is something close to my heart. Um, it's accessible on every device. And we also enable enterprises to work with the platform themselves with integrated CMS for their immersive world, data tracking, integration to their CRMs and other APIs, you name it. But other than the nitty gritty and all the pillars, if the web would feel and look like this, wouldn't our digital world be more human? Wouldn't we feel more excited and engaged to also spend time online in the world where we are in a remote first policy, where we are spending time online a lot? Maybe this has so, many, so much more than all these little words, right? It basically means the entire world is at our fingertips in an aesthetic and more human way into our pockets. And thinking about that, it's, it might be like ambiguous, how will it impact and how and, and what and, and, and how can we structure it, right? Um, and for me, this was a very clear overview that really helped us also to, to um, explain to enterprises how this shift will take place. There are three big meta use cases, commercial, corporate, and industrial. I will focus mostly on commercial today, but I will dive into each of them to give you a little glimpse of what it could mean for the future of the, of, uh, for tomorrow's enterprise. Um, let's start with um, industrial. So obviously we're going to the business impact side. Industrial. Um, basically, we like to still name it the industrial metaverse. And it's a digital representation of the physical world that is used to improve efficiency, safety, and sustainability of all industrial operations. It's a combination of a myriad of emerging tech. And while the exact nature of the industrial metaverse may differ for each company, the core focus will be on boosting efficiency, productivity, interconnectivity, and enhanced collaboration. I could talk about this for hours. It's a very, very exciting and deep, deep technical, technological landscape. Um, so feel free to reach out to me if you want to deep dive into this even more. If we would look a little bit into the corporate life, right? Thinking about, oh, these new generations are virtual natives. So what would that mean for how we work together, right? Also thinking about, we're going into a very much remote first world. Um, we see that the immersive workplaces provide virtual experiences throughout the entire employee life cycle, from recruitment to leaving the company. Think about job fairs immersively, mini workshops, but also onboarding with an AI host or um, having great product explanations with digital twins right in front of you or having uh, immersive um, uh, collaboration sessions with global teams all over the world, but feeling as if they're literally next to you, right? Um, it's opening really doors to a lot of potential business impact. Think about better employee satisfaction because there's a deeper sense of connection and belonging, even though we work remote. There's increased efficiency opportunities to really communicate and learn and develop programs together, but also enhance creativity. Think about a wide, big room where you have a wide canvas for designing ideas together, um, but also an enriched culture and increased margins. Um, 
So we're currently also working with a lot of companies to develop those, we name it introverses. Um, it's beautiful to see that being taken off and a journey we really care about that those environments should also be beautiful because then we can really connect um, yeah, in a more meaningful way. So finally, um, the commercial use cases. Thinking commercial, I think every brand is aware of our customer journey, right? It's online, it's offline, and that's how we have been engaging. But then there's like this new younger generation, right? And they're more virtual focused. So how do we facilitate and participate um, and actively shape this change? That's the core question. And there are myriad of ways to do that. Just um, to name a few, um, immersive experiences can really showcase beautifully brand heritage as if you were there with the founder of a brand enhancing storytelling. But it can also be used for community activities, combining it with the Web3 philosophy, right, of the community. A virtual showroom with AI consultancy or getting digital gifts at your, when you check out. Um, we already have done um, um, an immersive lab with uh, Clinique where users could actually shop inside of the metaverse. And um, what's also a beautiful opportunity is to really get digital assets, digital mementos um, that evolve with you and you buy it with the product. Um, or we could think about the retention phase where um, you could create beautiful loyalty programs where your customers eventually really become actual shareholders of your brand. Um, again, referring back to the new web, which also means you own a part of the web, you own part of uh, what brands are doing. And the numbers also don't lie. Some numbers from our previous cases, um, we saw a 50% increase in conversion rate, a 10% increase in average order volume, um, and um, an astonishing 30 minutes average time spent in our worlds. Compare that to a regular website, maybe a two minute um, average time spent. Um, those numbers don't lie. So immersion is really something to um, be excited about. And also here, the business impact is huge. Um, increased revenues and margins. There are also new business models. You could sell direct to avatars, fashion. You could develop prototypes um, in 3D and really redu reduce return rates because you can really see and experience products before you just randomly buy it and realize it's not really a good fit. Um, also next generation CRM systems, which we can also create in a privacy preserving way through Web3 technology, um, but also fostering sustainability, right? Through virtual sampling. And as mentioned before, hyper engagement and overall is really increasing the lifetime value of your customers by having an actual relationship and having co-ownership and loyalty programs where they have benefits as well as the brand. I would like to close off with a video of some work we've done for, for BMW. And as I said earlier, sometimes a video or images say so much more than, than a thousand words. Um, and Charlotte, if there's no sound or anything, then please let me know. When does a car launch become about more than just a car? When it's not just a car, but a companion. In 2023, at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, BMW premiered the iVision D. The name D stands for Digital Emotional Experience. No buttons or levers inside. Just one dynamic heads-up display showing all the information you need and the potential to do much, much more. That's the BMW Mixed Reality Slayer. The task? To create an accurate digital replica of nearly two square kilometers of Las Vegas. 
This material was then enhanced with up to four levels of visual effects, transforming it into a whole new immersive vision of the city. Lastly, it had to be displayed directly onto the windows of the iVision D itself, so users could slide seamlessly from the everyday to out of this world. No simulations, no pre-recorded promo. For the first time anywhere in the world, a digital environment was fully integrated into the operating system of a car. But this incredible activation was only half the work. Online, we expanded our successful Joytopia franchise to its third chapter. The Quest to D was a multi-stage mission set in a fantastical, floating, reimagining of the Las Vegas skyline, where visitors hunted for key parts of the car, sent on their way by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Start your journey. Visitors first harnessed the power of the silver glove to go soaring through the skies before arriving at their final destination, the iVision D. Packed with fun, gamified moments, and jaw-dropping world design, the Quest to D was the perfect partner to the groundbreaking launch at CES. Over 50,000 people spent a total of 138 days enjoying the online experience. That's an average of more than four minutes per person exploring and learning about the iVision D. When was the last time you saw a classic website do that? When does a car launch become about more than just a car? Till the end. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Gigi. Amazing presentation, a lot of learnings. And um, I'll see you on the other side. We are still rushed for time. So I'm going to bring in our panel now, and it's going to be moderated by Alice Ridgeby, and I'll let her introduce the panelists. So can we have all the panelists in the room, please? And thank you, Gigi. Thanks, Sherrod. Say that again. I was like, good luck, panelists. Thanks, Sherrod. And if there yeah. are any questions, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, yeah, okay. absolutely. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you so much, Gigi. Cheers. Uh, all right, uh, let's have Alice Richby here. I can see her, uh, Jimmy Dado and Alison. And we have one more panelist, I think, Sunil Arora, yeah. Sunil is trying. Okay, so I'm gonna hand it over to Alice. Um, uh, I met Alice six months back virtually. Um, she runs a very successful uh, report with a podcast, interviews, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's called Movers mm -hmm. and Shakers. You must check that out. Uh, it's uh, you can get links on her LinkedIn profile, and she's going to uh, be the moderator for this panel. Uh, the topic is artificial intelligence. Is AI the new driver of the metaverse economy? Very interesting. I'm all ears. Over to you, Alice. Thanks, Sherrod. And just to let everyone know, for some reason, I don't think my camera is working too well, but it's a good job because I'm purely moderating. I will not be <laughs> the main centre of attention. Um, but yeah, thank you for welcome. And yeah, Gigi's talk as well was amazing then. Um, obviously, really well. Amazing. Okay. Alice, Alice we, we lost your voice, uh, your you audio. Your audio and your video. Are you there, Alice? I am here. Can you hear me? 
Yeah, we can hear you. And that's the main okay. thing. I'm going to turn Neil's my camera off camera as well, Alice. Yeah. <laughs> that's fine. Okay. I can't do both, apparently. But yeah. Um, so as I was saying, I will kick things off and do, I guess, formal introduction, get the panel to introduce themselves, very brief introduction. And then, yeah, we'll ask some pretty hard hitting questions. So, Alison, do you want to kick things off and give us an introduction to yourself? Yes, and super fast. So, Alison Alexander, <laughs> a co-founder at Metacampus. Um, if you want to know more, um, check us out. But we're about helping people transition into the Web3 ecosystem. Um, thank you. And Jax, do you want to go next? Yeah, I'm. I'm uh, thank you. I'm a smart technology entrepreneur. I uh, did a PhD in AI. I'm pretty passionate about personalized AI and AN Web3. So very excited to talk about uh, this right now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Jimmy, do you want an introduction as well? Absolutely. Hi, everyone. My name is Jimmy Daudu. I'm the founder and CEO of Voltail, where we're building an AI-driven metaverse. Um, recently had a partnership with Meta AI, so a lot of good stuff coming very soon into the works around, you know, um, merging AI, the metaverse, Web3, and all of that good stuff together. So, hey, stay tuned, and um, really, really excited to be here. Thank you. And finally, Sunil as well, it was a brief intro. Hi, friends. I'm Sunil Arora, co-founder of Trace Network Labs. Uh, I am a technology advisor to the fashion industry in 50 plus countries for the last four decades and uh, been an educator and a professor at NIFT India, FIT New York and London and Paris schools of fashion. Been involved with the Web3 and AI for the last three years and uh, that, that's what we are doing and I'm very happy to be here. Thank you, guys, as well for the, the swift intro. So those of you who haven't read the agenda, um, myself going to be okay can I just chip in there sorry Alice yeah, yeah. it's Susan again um can I just ask the panel can you hear Alice okay no, no. intermittently no, no it's it's going okay. on and off oh. so Alice uh, can you just what, what's happening or can we take over for you uh, just let us know mm -hmm. sure I one of the Wi-Fi, and if it doesn't work, then I'm super sorry. One second. And what's with Sunil's camera? I can't see Sunil. Uh, you can't see me. I'm no. here only. No. I think it's I'm very lovely. Switch you. off and switch on your camera. Switch Can everyone off. hear me okay now? Or? Yes. Much yes, better. Yes. Thank you. Uh, uh, okay. Thanks, guys. It's okay now? Not for you, Sunil. Trying. No, it's uh, I'm. I can see myself and others also. No, but we can't. As see long you. as you can see you, we're very happy. <laughs> Alice, off you go. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Apologies for that. So, um, I'm going to bring this first question to Jax and Jimmy. Um, obviously, Jax, you can go first, and then Jimmy, feel free to you know answer secondly. But how would you say you have seen thus far artificial intelligence has positively impacted the metaverse economy in your world and, and what's relevant to you? So, Jax, if you want to go. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Alice. I think it's all about uh, more intelligent, responsive, uh, personalized virtual spaces and interaction. 
Uh, we already have uh, with, if you think about recommendation engines, what they do with Amazon and Netflix and the kind of personalization that we see there. I, I think with Web3, we're going to see more enhanced user inter interaction. And also with generative AI, we see this automated content generation as well. And um, I've been using this. It's, it's helped with productivity as well. Uh, so, so I think it's going to be incredible. Um, I think there's still a long road ahead in terms of making it truly personalized and to get that ownership part um, really going. And I think Web3 will play a tremendous role in, in terms of that. So I'm really looking forward to that. Thanks. And, and Jimmy, do you want to? Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, I'll talk through a current use case we're working with um, a telecommunication um, giant in Africa, um, MTN Nigeria. Currently, they have uh, eight, eight or five million users. What we're building for them is taking away the current chatbot and turning that into a smart avatar in a virtual environment. So it's um, it's a project called Adjocare, and you come in, you talk to an avatar. And you have the MTN backgrounds with products and services, but you can start to talk about things like um, challenges customers face. You know, I lost my SIM card. I lost, you know, I need to buy a data plan. I'm leaving Dubai to, to Lagos, Nigeria for five days. What are my options? So what we're doing, you know, for them and positively speaking around AI is looking at how we reduce customer service queries practically that reduces operational cost. We increase customer engagement by having this new jazzy adjocare talking to you and you feeling like you're talking to, to a human being, right? And then creating a new channel of revenue for them whereby, you know, with that trip to Lagos from Dubai, you already have places where you could, you know, generate revenues for the customer, but um, sorry, for the clients, which is MTN, but for the customer aiding where they could purchase that data plan, for example. So these are three ways where AI is already positive, positively impacting, you know, the metaverse play and organizations at large. Thank you, I appreciate that. And Alison, do you have anything to add to that, um, those answers that the guys gave? So I'm I'm happy with that. Yeah, I, I know we've got a few questions, so I'm just going <laughs> to leave it with them. Yeah, cool. cool. Well, I'll come to you and Sunil next then with um, with our next one. So we'll flip that question on its head then, you know, in your world again, what have you seen has maybe been a downside or a negative impact of AI on the metaverse? Uh, the negative impact? Yes, oh, wow. if, if the... any, but, you know, I think it's good to see both sides of the coin. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, the negative impacts are mainly related to cybersecurity and IP infringement. These are some of the biggest risks which I see of AI uh, for the normal economy as well as for the metaverse. However, uh, great content creators will continue to stand out by sharing uh, unique insights, personal lessons, and perspectives that AI cannot replicate. So they continue to have a significant edge because of their established voice and reputation. So these these are some of the the the... Uh, the more apparent uh, negative risk which I see uh, in the fashion side of things because there's a lot of creation happening over here and the AI is uh, adding uh, to a lot of uh, design related activity and those can easily be uh, replicated and copied by people. So that's where I see the you know, IP infringement is, is, a, is a bigger thing that, that I see over here. Thanks, Sonal and Alison, what would you say your thoughts were on that one? I think for me, 
the the application of AI within the metaverse, people are loading that with a lot of their fears about AI. So because of that, I, that's how I see it having the negative impact. Yeah, I, we have actually just heard demonstrable examples of um, copyright infringement, absolutely those things. And also the use of AI when people are designing things in the in the metaverse. The difficulty on that for me is that it can actually lead to further bias that we have if because we all know that AI currently is bias. Yeah. And so because we haven't fully cracked that one yet and we're all working on that, but actually that means if AI is used to build the metaverse, that's going to build us build a bias environment. And so I think that's one area. Oh, Sonal, I think you might need to mute your other um device yeah i've joined from here alice can i alice can i just chip in onto onto that negative aspect yeah, real quick? please do yeah um I, I think a big one for us is deep fakes um you know we've seen a whole lot of that you know um um yeah we've seen a whole lot of that you know people can start using that for fraudulent activities um we've seen you know examples of ai driven voice um that sounds like someone's mother getting security pins and you know talking to the bank so you know i think all of those types of activities can definitely there's always going to be there are always going to be bad actors in every new space or every space so i think it's how we also police ourselves and ensure that while we're shaping and helping build this we start to put you know um safety nets um within what we're building as well so just wanted to add that Thank you. Jax, do you have anything you want to add on before we move? Yeah, I, I fully agree there with uh, Alison and Jimmy there. Um, I, besides privacy concerns, deepfakes, ethical concerns, um, there's, there's also over automation. So we've got to be careful. Too much reliance on AI might reduce genuine human interactions and the unique human touch in content creation and other things as well. So it's very important to have a balance and have wisdom in terms of how we apply it. So, so that could be one that we need to look out for. Uh, also in my talk, I actually mentioned uh, quite a bit in terms of things like dependence locking and loss of control and those kind of things as well. And then economic disruption, job potential job loss, um, companies not quick enough in terms of being adaptive in terms of tasks and roles and so forth. Uh, but I think we cover a lot of the, the negatives. Yeah, no, definitely. But, but Thank you. Can I just pick up on the bit that Jack said around um, kind of I want to build on like what Oliver said earlier around the mental health, because yeah. that's also builds. It, it connects Absolutely. a lot of that together, isn't it? It's like, in a sense, we're going to be just repeating what a lot of the speakers have said today, because it's bringing a lot of exactly. those things together. But what he was talking about is the need to have that space and for it to be spoken about that it's okay that people need to take that time to have good mental health in, in this environment. And with all the AI element and people needing to work hard to kind of make sure they don't fall into any of those holes, it's even harder and more important for people to take that mental health time. Yeah, I'm a big advocate of that one for sure. Um, so I guess I'm moving swiftly on to look into the future then. And this can be, again, you know, I like to kind of hear it from, from everyone's own personal world, but um, Jimmy and Jax, 
we'll go to Jimmy yeah. first. How do you foresee the future now of AI driving the metaverse economy in your world and what relates to kind of your day-to-day -day and, and your um, your business? Um, I, I think it's, it's promising yet very complex. Um, you know, if I look at it, I know Nova, Nova earlier on talked about, um, you know, some of the, you know, use of mid-journey, use of, you know, those AI tools for, um, for images and all of that. But, you know, if you, if you look at, if you're building a immersive environment in Unreal and you go to one of these, um, tools to generate 3D assets, you're still going to need some optimization time, you know, you're still going to need all of that. So, you know, looking into the future, it's how how do we how do we keep on evolving the the concept of using those AI tools to make you know what we do quicker, faster, smarter, right? And yeah. while there are, there are these complexities, I think you know part of those challenges are you know Jack talked about the the ethical side, Jamie talked about the privacy side as well. Um, you know, there's also the security concern as well. You know, talked about deep fake. Um, so I think the future is 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 promising, scary, but you know it's um, it's interesting. I, I I believe we are. I personally am excited because I'm part of this forum. You know, driving, shaping, leading, building, experimenting, and evolving what we are, what what the possibilities of of the tools could be. But um, it's it's really interesting, yet scary at the same time. <laughs> I, yes, I, Alice, I fully agree with Jimmy. I, I actually, um, in my book, Democratizing Artificial Intelligence to Benefit Everyone, I, I actually talk about the future. And obviously, I talk about uh, uh, um, MTP for humanity that complements United Nations goals. And then I actually talk about solutions, kind of AI-driven super platform where people are empowered, uh, where everybody have their own personalized AI, and also where their data as well as services can be monetized as well. So um, we, we need to have that kind of uh, kind of democracy um, in terms of smart tech. Um, I think in the future, we'll see AI also in decentralized AI systems, DAOs, um, kind of distributed AI models operating in various parts of the uh, metaverse. Um, also in terms of governance, AI-driven regulatory systems, I think we will see that, ensuring fair trade, security, uh, adherence to community standards, those kind of things as well. Um, also greater economic sophistication, I think. Um, AI could, could obviously drive new economic models. Uh, we already see this kind of new business models come to the fore, uh, digital currencies, um, innovative financial products, all of those kind of things uh, tailored for, for the metaverse. And, and I also think enhanced creativity. I was kind of blown away by a lot of the presentations today in terms of just how people already adapt. Uh, and, and we see the enhanced creativity play out in front of our eyes. So, so it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. And Sunil, do you have anything to add to that? You know, what do you see the future like in your world? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I have something to add. The breakthrough technologies helping in procedural generation and asset creation in, in our sense of the world, which can be leveraged to create uh, infinite, diverse, and unique virtual landscapes and assets, acting as a co-pilot with designers and manufacturers. So creators can input images of styles, fabrics, and textiles, um, as Noah had was already giving you a lot of information on that. 
uh, prompting the AI model to create potentially thousands of collections uh, and their images based on just a few words or references. So through this, fashion designers can rapidly create, ideate, and develop new designs with absolutely uh, no effort and uh, with genuinely no uh, design skill also. So all these things are possible. So these, this is where I see uh, things happening in a big way. Amazing. And finally, we'll finish off with lovely Alison. Is there anything else you want to give us on that one? Perfect. I just want to say what we've just heard is around a promising yet complex um, environment. We've heard that we're going to get a new economy, different kinds of econ new but different economies and new designs. And for me, what that speaks about is that AI is going to empower individuals who yeah. might never have had the financial or the social capital to be in this space. So I think to me, it's about that change that's going to come and that will create us new economies that don't just work for the white middle-class worlds of how the world has been created so far. It will change how we operate. Absolutely. Amazing. Amy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that finishes off really nice. And actually, on time now. I mean, if anyone has any uh, Alice, comments, uh, I would there's love a, that. There's a comment. There's a there's a question in the Q and A. I think it's it's actually for us. Um, happy happy for us to take that quickly, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. I didn't actually see that one. Um, would like to ask ask the thinkers in the panel to explain the cost factor. Is the metaverse for the rich? How much do you see? the reach and availability of metaverse at ground level and at a mass level? I don't think it's just for the rich. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's going to be on a, on a spectrum. I think we're going to, it's almost like the mobile phone. Even if you think about Africa, you think about feature phones, uh, the impact um, of that. We saw a little bit of leapfrog um, happening in especially Kenya and some places around mobile money. So I think we're going to drive costs down and it's not just going to be for the rich or the elite because we need to, I, in my talk, I actually talked about this kind of thing around um, uh, the digital separators. Uh, we, we, we have to get rid of that. That shouldn't be a separator. So we need to work hard as a global um, humanity, as a community, civilization, to ensure that everybody's got opportunities. I think that's, the, and the potential is there. So, so I feel good I'd, about it. I'd like to add, yeah. I'd like to add uh, a couple lines. Uh, like uh, uh, in virtual worlds, uh, assets can be in incredibly costly and time-consuming and complex, uh, which is one of the problems with the smaller fashion labels, which uh, might lack the capital or the time to create virtual world ventures. So, but thanks to AI, fast development and creation is becoming more and more efficient, more collaborative, more cost-effective democratized and enabling uh, co-creation faster at lower at lot lower cost than we had ever thought possible so uh, generation uh, gen ai is uh, doing a lot for the metaverse economy besides doing for the physical economy also absolutely and, and maybe just a final comment i just want to say this this kind of ai and web3 for me is like a new era of decentralized innovation and where we actually create the decentralized world where intelligence meet trust. That's for me such a great summary. In, if, you, if you really want to make it short and sweet. <laughs> yeah, just, I'm, just gonna, I'm just going to jump in there real quick. Sorry. 
Um, I, I think from a, if you look at the cost of technology over the years, you know, new technology comes in, it's super expensive. You know, take you back to 2015, sorry, 2006, seven in Nigeria, Africa, you know, cost of a SIM card was about 50,000 Naira, you know, um, come now, SIM card is free. They even give you data plans on your SIM card, you know, but when it came out, it was very expensive. So that's how it is with the metaverse and, you know, these technologies, getting a, a gaming PC right now might be expensive, getting assets, like Sunil said, might be expensive, but, you know, coming three, four years when there's mass adoption, it's like, it's going to be cheap, very affordable, you know, yeah. so I think just wanted to stress Absolutely. that out on, from an economic curve perspective. Thanks, yeah. Jimmy. I appreciate that. And thank you, everyone, for the input on that one. Shrad, I think it's probably time that we went back to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of takeaways, panel. Um, yeah, loved uh, loved uh, all the points that you guys made, Meta Shapers. Uh, this is uh, taking us to our last presentation of the day. And then, of course, we have a five-minute surprise, so you have to stay till the end. Our next presentation is by John Scott. Um, I don't even know now where he's based because he's moving around like a satellite uh, half the time in New York and then Dubai and then London and then Paris. So I've stopped keeping track of you, John Scott. But here you are. Uh, unfortunately, your 20 minutes has been reduced to 15 minutes. No, so, I'll be quick. Okay, yeah, I'll be so, I'll be shorter than that. Yeah, go for it. Uh, if you want to reintroduce yourself, do that and uh, talk to us about the leadership, uh, the leadership. Absolutely, thank you yeah. so much. And just a special note of thanks to you, Sharad, to Susan, to Andrea, who's awake now at two a.m. in Singapore. Sahar, Emmanuel, everyone uh, helping us go off uh, fantastically today. I've been following along from New York City, where I am presently until Sunday. Uh, and I'll see you in Dubai soon, Sharad. I'll keep a message right. going out to you. So I've, as I said to Susan just now in the chat, about 75 plus percent of the points I was interested in making have been made thus far about 25 times. So I've uh, been agile and kind of reframed what I'll speak to you about. And the topic I was intending to speak about was what action to take to avoid inaction in this space. And only Susan can come up with something as perfectly concise as this. So I think as I've synthesized all of the conversations as much as I could today, I think there's a few key takeaways I'd like to leave you with. And so my name is John Scott Turco, for those of you who don't know me. Uh, I'm an organizational psychologist. I have a company called Humanix and one called Mixed AI. And my goal is to help create courageous cultures that lead innovation and grow bottom line results. It led me several years ago into the Web3 space, thanks to my friend Sharad and other people. And my goal for this brief session today is to get you to think differently, very much in line with what everyone was speaking about previously and on the panel just now, about what the future can look like from a leadership and organizational perspective. I think many of us consider these changes, and, and let's be candid, we have so much information we've been presented with uh, today. It's like drinking from a fire hose. And I know that Shara will be sending out a summary and a six hour long piece that I encourage you to scrub uh, and go through all the gems that you're going to have. It's easy to sit back and say, this is how this might impact my business. This is how it's impacting production. Um, Stephanie spoke about sustainability and all the different ways it's going to impact 
how we can approach our world going forward. And oftentimes, the leaders that I work with see all this as peripheral when it is, in fact, integral to how their organizations will run, will attract key talent, and will drive bottom line results that are going to change the world going forward. So my suggestion on how to take action to avoid inaction may seem a little counterindicated. I think people look at, this is an easy point of entry. This is a low-hanging fruit. My suggestion, based on my experience in current conversations with clients, is to think bigger. It is to not look for the simplest way to think about how Web3, the metaverse, AI can play into your world and your business is to think bigger about how do you relate to one another in your organization, to your customers, to your suppliers. Everything, as it's been said many times today, everything is changing. So I encourage you to take a look at this from a few key points. One is to look and cultivate a human-centered approach so that we're not looking at this as we can do this or AI can do this or the metaverse is going to take this piece of our interaction offline or on chain. So how can we do this? So looking at human-centered interactions, um, Dr. Ludic just said this, it's been talked about all day, the ways in which we're relating to each other, looking at truth and trust and honesty and interaction, all these ways are going to impact how you do business going forward, how you interact with one another. The second piece I'd like for you to look at is, as uh, was said before today, embracing sustainable practices that drive financial inclusion. Again, this is going to make the technology far more inclusive and waiting for this invitation as a leader is never going to come. You have to take a risk and move this forward. And the fast piece looking at this, the last piece, sorry, is to foster collaboration, um, to look at communities and how you're engaging your people. And your people is going to change. Right now, you may be thinking about this in terms of my organization or in the case of the wonderful community that Sherrod and others have built this MetaShapers community, looking at how we're going to foster collaboration in untraditional ways. Jamie and I have had this conversation, and Tony and I, many people on this call, and I have spoken about this and how it's going to impact your business and way of working going forward. So the suggestion in summary, how can you take action to avoid inaction is to think bigger. Think about the ways that you and your business and your team are driving change, not only in your sector and your vertical and your geography, whatever it is, but also in the world at large. Think bigger about how you can harness the power of this new and dynamically changing technology. Earlier, uh, we had a panel that talked about culture, and this is a key part of my work. And I think the important piece and the piece that I'll kind of close this brief session off with is to think about the fact that your culture, the culture that we're working in today, the culture that we're building for the future is entirely a construct of decisions and actions and behaviors that we make right now. Culture is not a static piece. We can't just say, you know, this was the culture we had before COVID. I'd like the old culture back. Can I get this again? It's gone. The culture you're going to create today is going to drive the future successes, not only for your organization and your clients, but also for the future of the world that we all share together. So that's my brief, uh, much cut down pieces. I want to thank you all for your time and Sherrod for putting this together. I look forward to seeing you all soon. Thanks. And don't go yet because you have to introduce uh, Antonio Meza, our good friend. Ah, excellent. So yeah, I, I would love to do that spur of the moment. So Antonio, uh, hiding behind his uh, avatar here. Uh, I know Antonio for several years. Um, those of us who've been privy to his drawings and his um, really 
eclectic look at how art and business inter, uh, interconnect. Uh, Antonio is a wonderful consultant, a uh, good friend of mine, and, and a fantastic visual uh, artist and facilitator. So uh, Antonio, I'd like to kick this over to you to talk a little bit about how you're putting this together uh, throughout the day and how you've done this. Again, we've been very fortunate, uh, I should say, I've been very fortunate in working with Antonio uh, around the world. And I don't even know, what do we say? Six continents, Antonio? I think we've worked together on this point. At least. So over to you, over to you, my good friend. Thank you so much. Thank you, John Scott. Thank you, Shalar. Can you hear me well? Yeah, a little louder, please. Excellent. So I will keep it brief, but I have to say it's been an amazing day full of content. It's a little bit overwhelming, but what I've been doing here is a little bit becoming your human meat journey today. A little bit becoming your, your, your human uh, algorithm to try to synthesize and to create images that somehow represent the key insights of the conference today. So I know we're very short on time, so I won't be able to share all of them, but you will be able to see them because Sharar will be sharing them in the next few days in social media. But I, I still would like to share a few key ones uh, today just to represent some key examples of the content that has been so rich today. So let me uh, share my screen and then I can do that. So maybe you can see this. I wanted to start with this because I did this sketch as a little bit of a summary of what I've been taking from you today. I really love this acronym of people, planet and profit because today we've been really speaking about how to create a better planet with the creation or with the use of the virtual uh, worlds in order to improve our our world right so it's not about opposition it's about complementarity and about how can we improve human experience uh, by developing new technology new business new ways of connecting new ways of creating community we had amazing panels for example uh, uh, this panel in which was acknowledged the fast of change the attention to the um, topic of ownership, the possibilities of using technology to, um, for example, to foster uh, charity, the importance of collaboration. There's been the mention of community time and again through the afternoon, uh, through the afternoon here in, in Dubai and evening. Uh, another one of these presentations was from Stephanie about some user cases uh, in industry, in business, and about the urgency of, of uh, getting into these topics today without fear, but with courage and with inventivity, with creativity. And so, so that you can see how fast it goes. Um, uh, we had this panel, well, this conversation with Nova uh, as well about how to create uh, fashion empowered by technology, but also but keep keeping the side of human creation, right? And just a couple of minutes ago, John Scott was taking us through this uh, conversation about how to take action in order, in order to avoid inaction, about culture, about being human-centered, and really about thinking bigger. Um, Gigi was amazing as well. 
sharing the kind of work that she's doing and sharing about how a new type of consumers and citizens is emerging and the importance that that will that we'll have in the years to come. We went through concepts like hyperculture, how the blockchain is becoming a new media, how remixing is the new kind of creativity. So as you can see, um, there's been a plethora of ideas, insights, concepts. Uh, Sharad promised us tons of insights today, and I think that we've been well served. Um, what I do is to listen. Basically, what I do is to listen and then to create a very synthetic, very simple representation of the core ideas to feed them back to you so that somehow you can relate to this content in a graphic, in a humorous way, but also with a little bit of emotion and with a little bit of insight so that when you look at these uh, vignettes together, you can probably realize that we had an experience that it was rich for the brain, but also, for example, thanks to Olivier, Olivier uh, it was also focused on what it means to be human, what we need to take care of ourselves and to take care of our planet by creating technology, business and community. So thank you. I'm going to stop my screen share here. I'm very Amazing. grateful to Sharad and the community. Amazing work, very creative. Uh, you got it spot on. Please uh, email me all of these illustrations, which I'm going to share with all our audience members who registered for this uh, summit. And now may I request all the panelists who are still in the room to come on with their camera as we thank uh, everybody who's uh, joined us in this journey today. And yeah. Um, oh, okay. So many of you are still awake. That's great. Uh, it's <laughs> it's just past uh, 10 p.m. in Dubai. And uh, what, 2 a.m., Andrea, your place? Yeah, Andrea's winning. <laughs> yeah. So you get a special gift from me whenever I see you next. And that's a promise. And so thank you to the entire team, the cast, the crew, uh, the audience you know, for making this happen. This was marathon, never been done before. Six hours plus on the trot with no break, nonstop, and so many uh, interactions. So now uh, what happens next is very simple. Uh, we will create this document that we promised with 100 takeaways. We will provide a six hour recording tomorrow along with a podcast. Uh, also, people can get their digital, uh, digital collectibles, the NFTs for their participation. And what's going to happen next year is MetaShapers is going to be launching the MetaShapers Academy. We've just finished with the branding. We are doing the content management system for this website marketplace that we are building. So since we have so much talent in the MetaShapers group, and we saw an exhibition of that. And guess what? Today, we were just 30 out of 300 plus meta shapers that exist in the larger uh, sphere. So there's so much of uh, hidden talent and we, I'd love to bring them also to the fore next time. So uh, the Metaverse Academy will be a platform where meta shapers can opt to be part of that uh, exercise. We will be providing uh, consulting services to organizations big and small globally 
and it will be monetized in the you know in the scheme of things of Web three. So um, that will be an interesting initiative. So that's going to be launched in the first quarter of next year. We are also working on doing a mobile app for MetaShapers, so we can get all the good con content in one place. We can schedule meetings on the fly amongst our community. And of course, we'll be growing it substantially next year. So that's pretty much it. We are done for today. A lot of gratitude to all of you that I see on the screen and those who are not in the room right now, all our speakers, panelists, fireside chat people, and to our lovely audience for staying with us right from the beginning till now. Tomorrow I'll share stats with you. Uh, from what I know, we had 450 different people come in at different times, which is amazing. We've never had that in any of our webinars. So that's good news. We generated a lot of good content. I mean, my head is still spinning. I need to process and digest this. And I think you'll all agree. It was TMI. There was too much information, but there's so much of good stuff. And earlier when I used to go to conferences, people used to say, if you just pick up one thing in a conference, it's good. Here we've got 100 things that you know we have to process. So it's been amazing. And uh, I'm going to sign off now because it's late for all of you, wherever you are in the world. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And audience, uh, we value your time and your interest in everything that was said and done. And thank you for the privilege of your time. So over and out. Susan, have I missed out anything or we are good? Sherrod, uh, you wrapped up beautifully. I think we're absolutely good and that's all so exciting. Thank you very much. And I can't wait for that 100 takeaways book myself. Yes, it's Over and out. Thank you, Mera Shapers. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Thank you so Cheers. much. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.